My name's Grant Cardone, and I've spent over 25 years studying everything that I could get my hands on regarding selling, sales, negotiations, with the desire to create processes and training programs that actually could improve results in this area. I've spent years collecting research on both the changing marketplace and the changing customer. And out of that research, I developed and validated training programs that will improve your, the individual, your results, and the overall company's sales results. I've traveled across the world working with salespeople, managers, entrepreneurs, fundraisers, and global industries putting in place processes and practices that would ensure that a company and an individual doesn't just survive and get by, but will prosper, regardless of the economic environment. For this reason, I have become known internationally for bringing new ideas and techniques to the art of selling and closing the deal. I've spoken to audiences in every major city in the United States, in Canada. I've been to Brazil, the Caribbean, and spoken, Austria, Australia. My methodologies have been employed as far away as Ireland, Russia, London. Many suggest that the information I'm providing today on this subject of selling and negotiating and closing is the first new information provided in this era in over 50 years. I've been compared to many of the other speakers and coaches and sales experts. Audience travel all over the world, pay up to $1,000 a ticket to spend a day at our live seminars. You're going to find the information in this audio program fast-paced. You're going to find it information-packed, out-of-the-box kind of thinking, a commit-all-the-way attitude when I'm talking about closing. Hopefully, you will leave this audio program excited about the possibilities, fully armed with information that has resulted in attendees for my seminars, leaving my seminar, and creating billions of dollars in sales. You know, I splashed into the sales improvement arena like a meteor, many people say, when I single-handedly revolutionized the typically, or what's considered to be the obstinate, very difficult to change automobile industry. In the late 1980s, I accurately predicted how that industry would be forced to change due to increased competition, changing buyer demands and expectations, the manufacturer's need for improved customer satisfaction, and shrinking profit margins, as well as the outrageously disappointed sales production from individuals and very high employee turnover. I proceeded to successfully introduce new technologies now trademarked as information-assisted selling and other alternative ways to handle transactions in a manner that was customer-friendly and more effective. These concepts were at first resisted and later adopted by almost every automobile manufacturer, a majority of the 22,000 automobile dealers, and later, later, much later actually, the entire automobile industry. One of my companies, the Cardone Group, has been touted as the number one training company in the world by a leading magazine of the industry. This company's focus is on working hands-on with businesses, primarily automobile dealers, to increase the production of that group. Now, the belief is if we could increase the production, the efficiency, and the customer satisfaction of the car dealer, which is an extremely competitive environment, we could do it in any industry, and now we have. This is achieved through a number of very specific and measurable processes that remain in place in that business so as to ensure longevity of the ideas implemented. You're going to find this thinking very forward. You know, you may even ridicule it and resist it, but I assure you it works. As many people, masses of people have now adapted to this way of doing business in the 21st century. You know, I humbly say that I've changed the results of thousands of salespeople that were willing enough to come and be changed 
We've moved people's incomes to phenomenal levels, increasing their understanding to greater heights so that they could truly control and conquer the art of selling, the art of negotiating, and the master art of closing the deal. I recently wrote a book called Sell to Survive. It's been featured on Forbes, Reuters, MSNBC, 40 other online publications. Many people have compared this book to the, if you read The Think and Grow Rich of the 21st Century, like this new kind of way of thinking about a certain area. Others have said that the information in Sell to Survive is the best information written on selling in 50 years. I'll leave that up to you. Get that book. It's called Sell to Survive. It is absolutely awesome about the importance of selling to anyone, not just career salespeople, but all people depend on selling. There's 6.8 billion people on this planet, and we're all salespeople. I have personally researched selling most of my life, collecting thousands and thousands of hours of recordings of customer, actual customer interactions and surveying many more in order to determine what is it buyers want today? What are their expectations? and what they don't want so that I could develop practices to handle these customers more efficiently and more effectively where they're happy and where we're happy, you know, where you're selling your product at a, at a price that you can, can survive and prosper on. Some of the products that I've sold over my career has been insurance, automobiles, clothes, jewelry, food products, training materials, seminar tickets, coaching fees, consulting contracts. I've sold homes, commercial real estate, from shopping centers to apartment buildings, and I've done a tremendous amount of fundraising for charitable events. I've consulted and positively influenced the lives uh, and careers of entrepreneurs, bankers, realtors, mortgage brokers, financial planners, actors, producers, fundraisers, CEOs, coaches, lawyers, chiropractors, doctors, and the list goes on. And I know for sure I can help you. In addition to my onstage you know, speaking engagements, I have proven myself in the real world of negotiating. Now, this is very, very important for you as a listener because you want to know the guy giving you information is just not speaking on stage or from some perfect little scenario, but also negotiating in the real world. In the last 30 years, I've been involved with deals as small as $10, believe it or not, to deals involving hundreds of thousands to large transactions that take a long time and are a long cycle in excess of $100 million dollars. My experience and range of transactions involves everything from daily retail transactions, you know, like an iPod, where it's highly competitive in a short sales cycle, to working with relationship-intensive exchanges that were very long sales cycle, regardless of how much money was involved. I've worked with short-term contracts and long-term contracts. I've worked with and had personal experience with products across the board, including consumables, all consumables, gym memberships, banking memberships, cross-selling, clothing, automobiles, country club memberships, home furnishing, home purchases, buying and selling real estate, multi-level marketing products, investments, and again, charitable donations. In addition to my speaking business and my consulting companies, I created a real estate company. And this real estate company was created much out of what you're going to hear in this book because the ability to negotiate and to close and to get agreement from others is critical in real estate. These transactions have included single-family homes at $80,000 to purchases of multifamily uh, apartment buildings in excess of $50 million at a whack. So let's get to it. This is called The Closer's Almanac. And my goal for you is to learn this book in every way possible through reading 
listening to the book, drilling, rehearsing, and role-playing the specific closes. Now, before I get into the specific closes, which I'm going to give you over 100 specific closes, I want to talk about the whole area of working a deal. The goal of this book. The goal of this book is that you, the reader, or the listener, will become a master. And I encourage you, if you're listening to the audio program and haven't read the book, get the book. If you have the book and you're reading it, get the audio program. And then you want to listen to the audio more than once. I'd read the book. I'd listen to the audio. I'd read the book a second time. And I'd make sure your family members get this book as well so they can read it and understand what you're doing every day. The goal of this program is that you will become a master at the art of closing and negotiating the deal. Not crossing your fingers worrying, but a master at closing any deal. This program is about providing you with the information necessary so that you can have whatever it is you want in life. This one skill called the close separate those that have from those that don't have. Those that don't learn the survival skill called closing, if you don't learn it in your life, you will never have abundance in your life. All of life, all of life is about negotiating. And this program will show you how to negotiate, how to get your way, whether it's in the boardroom, at the negotiating table, or even right there at home. You will learn exactly how to make logical sense of every situation you encounter in every type of negotiations. There will be people that listen to this program that have doubted their ability to negotiate that will use this program to close hundreds of millions of dollars of business and make millions of dollars for themselves. Some of you will use this to get your company funded or make your dreams a reality. I hope you are one of them, and I look forward to hearing from you. You'll be introduced to an arsenal of closing techniques so powerful, so effective, and so abundant that you will be catapulted to new levels of confidence and new levels of income. These are not just big claims, but my personal promise to those who take this program and dedicate themselves to learning the information from the start to the finish, for those dedicated, I will introduce you to new ways to close deals that have never been made privy to others that have been proven to work more often than not and have already changed the lives of thousands of people. While many, many programs claim new material, the information enclosed in this program is new, it is logical, it is ethical, it is fresh, and I assure you it will get you business that you have failed to get in the past. This information will cause you to be respected by your buyers and they will no longer toy with you the way they have in the past. If you ever feel like the buyer is toying with you, know this, they are. And they are because you don't have the respect of your prospect. They will quit toying with you when you know, K-N-O-W, how to handle them with confidence and logic. When this happens, you will be able to control and predict your income. You will be loved and respected by those you do business with. You will be loved and respected within your company or organization and even loved and respected by your industry as others will hear about you because of the results you will attain. You will become a different person as a result of studying this material and you will grow a new confidence in your future, your life, and your ability to take care of yourself, your family, and to make your dreams come true. The Critical Survival Exchange Point. This book is about that critical survival exchange point called Closing the Deal that goes beyond persuading and promoting and selling. Closing the deal is the transfer point where you quit selling 
and get the buyer to exchange something they have for something you have. The close, unlike selling, is that specific moment where the individual is seeking to acquire an agreement and all parties actually take an action or actions and things of value are actually exchanged. If there is no exchange, then there is no closure. And if there is no close or agreement, then there is no real value exchanged. This single step is where the salesperson, the consultant, the account executive, negotiator, the mediator, the middleman, the broker, whatever you call yourself, finally and for the first time becomes of real value and benefit to the prospect or buyer. You know, that may seem harsh to you, but until an exchange takes place, you may have been of service, but because you have not closed, because you have not caused an exchange, you have not really created value. Until the close agreement and exchange takes place, there is no real value in what preceded it. No exchange equals no real value. No close equals no exchange equals no real value. This point can be compared to working out. Until you start actually getting into shape and receiving the benefits of working out, the actual working out is just something you had to do in order to get where you wanted to be the exchange. See, if you stop working out before you ever get results, was there really any value? Certainly, you can find some value in the first workouts, but that's not why you went in there and worked out. See, until you start actually losing weight or improving muscle tone, no real value has been attained. Therefore, you never received any exchange for your workouts. You quit before you got the exchange. You quit before the close, basically. And this is what most people do that is the cause of their demise. They quit before they get an agreement to exchange. This single misunderstanding is the cause of individual, entire companies, and the dreamers undoing. It explains why targets are not achieved, goals are not attained, and dreams not fulfilled. Let's face it. No dream has value until it becomes a reality. It was just a dream. It was an idea. It was a concept. Until you can close others and it becomes reality, it doesn't benefit anyone. This is called the exchange. See, for all people, and especially salespeople, this exchange point is a new way to think about the close. If you accept this point completely and without challenge, I promise you it will prove critical to your future and will result in your closing more deals and having the life you desire. Do not underestimate this point I'm making here. Real value is demonstrated only when there is an actual physical exchange between two parties. They give you something, you give them something. So I'm going to say this again. Do not underestimate this point I am making. Real value is demonstrated only when there is an actual physical exchange between two parties. They give you something, you give them something. Certainly there was benefit in showing your product presenting your product, being enthusiastic. Of course, there are points gained by being friendly and making others feel good. The customer appreciates you for the information exchange, but there must be an agreement to transfer and actions taken between both parties for any real value to occur. This is very, very important point for salespeople and management and for anyone who negotiates, anyone who has a dream, and anyone who is not getting the desired results. It is my experience that most people are confused and have the belief that if they know the product, product knowledge, if they act enthusiastic and are nice to the customer, then all will be good. 
While these things are important, your prospect will rarely, you know, very seldom will that prospect ever pay for any of these things. That is why the close, not the sale itself, not the promotion, not the persuasion, is that place where you and your company for the first time get rewarded. Basically, everything that preceded this thing called the close, while necessary and vital, is not involved with an actual exchange. Therefore, no reward is earned until this critical survival exchange point takes place. I call this critical survival exchange point because unless you know how to close, you will not survive in this world. To sell or close. Don't get me wrong here. While all the steps that preceded the close are vital and necessary, the most valuable step is when you get an agreement to exchange between two parties or more. They get what you have to offer in return for something that you want from them. That's that exchange point. See, take the presentation, for example. You're presenting your product or idea or concept or proposal. Can the prospect take that presentation or proposal? Can they take that forward in their life and benefit them and solve problems with it? No, probably not. See, that prospect can't do anything with it as there has been no real exchange. He hasn't given you anything. He doesn't have anything to really own and have ownership of. Close him on using what it is you represent, using the product or the idea or the concept, and then there is value. Did he learn something from your presentation? Did he benefit from the time you spent with him? Hopefully, but again, he cannot use it in his life. And if he or she cannot use it and you didn't close them because if they don't take it with them, you didn't close them, right? See, that person would have been better off staying at home and reading about the product. Was he impressed with your presentation or with your personality or how you dressed? Hey, you better impress him. But again, there is no real value exchange in impressing people if you don't close that person on your product, your idea, your dream, or your service. Finally, when he does close and agrees to give you something in exchange for your product, your service, or your idea, then, and only then, is value exchanged. The goal of your presentation is to create a desire and an urgency for your product so the customer will want to exchange with you something that is of value to you. The end game, then, is the close. And this book is about the end game. The creation of an economy. The ultimate goal is that your prospect takes ownership of your product, uses your service or funds some activity, and in turn, this makes him feel good, solves some problem, makes him money, or whatever your proposition does for him. What is the benefit to them? In exchange, you get something you want, need, and value. For most of us, the thing received is money. With what you received, you can now go out and be closed on other products, ideas, and dreams that solve your problems, expand your company, get support, make you feel good, and maybe even make you more money, thus the creation of an entire economy. Until there's a close, there's no exchange. And until there's an exchange, there is no economy. That's why this chapter, the creation of an economy, see, until there's a close, there's no exchange, and until there's an exchange... There is no real economy. Economies require exchange, lots of exchanges. The more exchanges and the more valued the exchanges, the bigger the economy. It is said that money makes the world go round, but it would be better stated that the close makes it possible for the money to go around the world. See, 
Without the close, the exchange, nothing would ever actually happen. That is why this book is important for those who want to control their future. You either create your economic future by closing others, or others will create their economic future by closing you. The Winner's Exchange You see, once someone is actually closed and agrees to owning your product, your service, or getting behind your dream, at that moment, he is carrying something forward with him that he didn't previously have. Hopefully, what he received is actually worth more than whatever he gave up in order to have whatever it is he received so that you can continue to repeat this over and over. This is what I call the winner's exchange. When there is a winner's exchange, they not only felt like it was a good exchange, but they would do it again because the value received was better or greater than the value given. And they will go out and tell the world about this deal they made. At this point, the individual feels good about what they gave up as they feel it was of more value to have that product, whatever it is you were presenting, than what they had to give up in order to get it. And then they will tell others. The fact that you did a great presentation, that you were professional, you were enthusiastic, that you made him feel good, hey, it'll benefit you down the road, but it won't benefit you until you actually get to close. The goal of the closer. Regardless of your position in life, you will have to learn the art of closing a deal. Your job is a closer, and we're all closers. Everyone is a closer. Even children are closers. They just, they're not, they have no shame about it. See, your job as a closer can be reduced to this one point, getting the prospect to take action and give you something you value in exchange for something your prospect values. Hopefully, both parties will value what they receive more than what they gave up in order to consummate the exchange. Closing is the only thing that assures your buyer, your prospect, actually gets your product, your idea, or your dream, and that you get whatever it is that you value for you and your company. To the degree that each party walks away feeling like he did well in the exchange will determine how many more times you're able to repeat this activity with others, thus the winner's exchange. Now, this is critical. To the degree that you actually know, big K-N-O-W, capitalized K-N-O-W, to the degree that you actually know what you did that caused the situation to close and are able to repeat those actions again and again is the degree to which you will prosper. Know or no? Knowledge comes from the word know, K-N-O-W, meaning you know what happened, how it happened, and what caused it to happen. You know you have knowledge about what happened, how it happened, and what caused it to happen. See, anyone can trip over a close and then not be able to repeat it and thus not be able to prosper over time. As the song goes, even a blind squirrel can find a nut. I think that was a song or a poem. See, in this game of closing the deal, you do not want to depend on luck or chance as in life. You don't want to depend on luck or chance as you will find your career to be like a bitter winner with few nuts to eat. You want to have your eyes wide open when it comes to this very rewarding step of your presentation. You want to know, K-N-O-W, how to close. You want to know, K-N-O-W, exactly what caused the close. And you want to know, K-N-O-W, how to create urgency, how to remove time from the decision. You want to know how to handle any and all objections and stall. The word know 
from the dictionary means to be aware of through observation, inquiry, or information. Two, be absolutely certain or sure about something. That's what the word know means, K-N-O-W, to be absolutely certain or sure about something. Knowledge, definition, one, facts, information, and skills acquired by a person through experience or education, the theoretical or practical understanding of a subject. Two, awareness or familiarity gained by experience of a fact or a situation. K-N-O-W. Assume the K is for knowledge and then assume the W is for wisdom. If you remove the K and the W, you end up with no, N-O. And the reason so many people get so many no's in life is because they lack no. They lack knowledge and wisdom. N-O, no, the ultimate devastating you know, depressing N-O comes from missing knowledge and wisdom. It is said that if you think knowledge is expensive compared to not having knowledge, there are two basic ways to learn, and it is your choice as to which route you will take in anything that you want to learn in life, and particularly this book. There are two routes. One, you will create an experience and then learn from the process of creating and practicing through that experience. That means you set up an experience and you learn from that experience. The second way to learn is experience something and learn as a result of that experience. Unfortunately, most people pick number two. They experience something. They go through their whole life, 80 years of experiencing things happening to them. At the end of their lifetime, they become wise men or women out of all these 80 years of experiences and no time left to use this newfound knowledge that took 80 years, by the way. See, most people pick number two and learn from the school of hard knocks, accumulating losses along the way and having very little time to correct anything. The best choice is to create an experience so that you can formally learn how to win. Navy SEALs, athletes, actors all create an experience prior to the event. They learn before the event actually takes place. They create an experience that puts them in a position to better handle the experiences of life. Business people, entrepreneurs and salespeople are notorious for learning from the experience after the fact. So there's two choices. You're going to either create a scenario where you can start learning or you're going to live in scenarios and learn after. See, one guy spends his whole life learning from his failures and another guy practices so he can create an experience and avoid the so many failures. It is said, even an idiot can learn from the experiences of a lifetime. But a wise man learns so that he can create the experience he desires. I suggest you take the time to learn both from experience by paying very close attention to what is happening in the close, and also take the time to prepare yourself intensely prior to ever being in the close. Things like taking notes, listening to recorded programs like you're doing right here, and especially through drilling, rehearsing, and role-playing. See, this point of actually knowing what caused the close is a greatly missed point by those involved in closing transactions. Most veteran professionals miss the point of really knowing, K-N-O-W-I-N-G, what it is they did or what it is they do that creates success. And because they don't know, they can't duplicate it. Most people wander into or stumble into a close, but don't know what actually caused the agreement to take place and therefore cannot repeat it. And if you can't repeat it, you can't predict the success of your life. 
They become elated when they close a deal. Let's say you stumble into a close. And you're like, I got to close. I got to close. Oh, man, I'm excited. See, you become elated at that moment. But due to not knowing what caused it and can't repeat it, you therefore become uncertain again. The elation is only temporary. Herein lies the problem, as the individual continues on not knowing, uncertain, and unable to correctly predict results. This school of hard knocks beats the individual into submission, and sooner or later, he or she gives up on their quest. This happens to billions of people on this planet because they don't take the time to know. Close or lose. While it has been written thousands of times by thousands of people that the field of selling is highly lucrative, it is not true that a person ever gets paid to sell. As stated before, a salesperson is only paid to close and when he closes and consummates an exchange. The close, then, could be referred to as that vital make-break point of selling whereby things of value or exchange from one party to another, at which point the deal is then closed and all individuals are rewarded. See, you're not paid to sell. You're paid to close. If you remove the first letter from the word close, you end up with lose. The reality is, if you can't close others on your ideas, your dreams, your proposition, your offers, you do lose. Now, this is harsh, cold, stark reality. But the reality is, when you don't close the deal, you lose the deal. Would you agree? When you don't close on your proposal, you end up giving up something and closing on someone else's proposal, at which point you probably lose something. There is no cost to a salesperson, or for that matter, any person who wants to do big things. There is no cost greater than the cost of the lost close. None. But close the deal? Get the agreement and have the parties exchange things of value. And this is the point where trumpets will blow, parades fill the streets, and the heavens part. I guess I got a little carried away there with my rejoicing. But that is what it feels like to complete an agreement. And everyone listening to this knows when you close a deal, you get excited. Like, oh, wow, man, I closed something. It's almost like something magical happened. Everyone gets jacked. Everyone feels invincible if just for a moment. Knowing exactly what accomplished the close is necessary, vitally necessary, in order that you are able to repeat this action and then be able to predict future results. This knowing is the single most important thing to an individual and an entire company. It is that thing, knowing, that will catapult you and your company into a whole new stratosphere where you're able to order the parades, order the dancing girls, and the bands because you're able to predict the close. See, whole companies try to control their future with budgets only because they don't know what they're going to close. If they knew they could close future business, expand their business, they wouldn't be so budget-driven. When you can do that, you are now in a position to make your dreams come true. Your business will be prosperous. Your individual finances will be prosperous. And you start to create entire economies, at least for yourself. See, the true pro-closer is that individual that has taken the time to observe what is happening, recording his or her experiences. They take the time to practice, drill, and rehearse before they ever even enter the arena of closing a deal. 
They now know, know, K-N-O-W, how to close. They even know where the whole situation will go prior to being in it. The ability to predict that I wrote about in Sell to Survive. This individual practices what they need to say in order to get the close. This person knows why someone closes and knows why they don't close. This person will be prepared for every possibility. The true pro-closer will have complete certainty about their feel, their profession, be able to predict their income, and they will absolutely love their job. With this certainty comes confidence, and with this confidence comes more closes, and more closes creates momentum for more of everything. The individual starts to glow and vibrate at a frequency that others find compelling, attractive, and irresistible, and they keep saying yes to this person. Now, I know you think that's overstated when I say that, but the reality is I did this for myself as a young, rookie, unaware, no-knowledge and no-wisdom salesperson when I for a short period of time, dedicated myself to learning everything possible about the close. My confidence increased. My results got better. I started to get momentum. And momentum, you know, breeds momentum. And success breeds more success. And literally, I started to glow and vibrate at a frequency that others found compelling and attractive and irresistible. And I started getting lucky and I started getting more yeses and people liked me. And that's what I mean by the glow and the vibration. People start saying yes to people that are winning. See, the individual becomes more able and more successful at making things happen due to his knowing, K-N-O-W-I-N-G, he knows or she knows the game and is able to quickly adjust when necessary and ultimately correctly control the outcome. He or she then becomes more valuable to everyone around them, peers, the executives, the corporation, the industry, and the individual that you're making the proposal to. The prevailing lack of commitment to practice I'm talking about what's going on in the marketplace now. This prevailing lack of commitment to practice, to drill and rehearse, this skill of closing as a learned skill is the single biggest missing ingredient in getting people to a point where they can have what they want in their life. I'm going to say that again. The prevailing lack of commitment and dedication to practicing, to drilling, Preparation to rehearsing the skill of closing as a learned skill is the single biggest missing ingredient in getting people in a position that they can have what they want in life. Let's face it, there's no shortage of dreamers on this planet. There are only a shortage of people doing whatever it takes to make those dreams come true. The lack of practicing produces a lack of knowing, and a lack of knowing is replaced with hoping, wishing, praying, and ultimately more disappointments. If you find yourself doing any of this, hoping, wishing, praying, begging, pleading, or being disappointed, it's because you don't know something. In this critical area of getting others to support you, and, you know, the close, that's what we're talking about. In this critical area of getting others to support you and close and get behind you and close, a lack of no will result in a lifetime of no's. There's a saying, knowledge always desires an increase. As fire demands more fuel, knowledge always demands more knowledge. The winner craves knowledge. The winner craves solutions. 
so that he or she can better control the outcome of their life and reduce the chance of no, N-O, by having more no, K-N-O-W. Ability determines stability. It is crucial that you develop the ability to bring your prospect to a positive decision for your offer and thereby terminate their desire to look, to think, to talk it over, to wonder about it, pray, question, worry, stall, and object. The degree to which you get in exchange for something agreed upon by itself determines your stability and productivity as a dealmaker and ultimately your value in the marketplace. I'm going to say that again. The degree to which you can get an exchange for some agreed-upon valuable by itself determines your stability and productivity as a dealmaker and ultimately your value in the marketplace. You understand what I'm saying here? To the degree that you are able to actually get an exchange for some agreed-upon valuable, this by itself determines the stability of you, your household, your finances. It determines the productivity of you as a dealmaker and ultimately determines your value in the marketplace. Those who can close love life, and those who cannot close will dread it. Those who can sell their ideas and their dreams and their products and close others will get whatever they want in life because they're able to get people to exchange with them regardless of what they're representing. It wouldn't matter what you're selling. You're selling music, advertising. You're selling ideas, concepts, dreams. It doesn't matter. You're selling food products or consumables, refrigerators or insurance. It doesn't matter. To the degree that you're able to sell and control that process determines what you get in your own life. Those who know how to get the clothes know what to say, know how to handle the objections, know, K-N-O-W, how to stay in the deal, know enough different strategies to withstand even the toughest of prospects will close deals and will be able to predict their incomes and will be able to predict their future successes. These people, these people that are able to do this are the most valuable people to the company, to the industry, and even entire economies. These are the closers. These are the people that make things happen. There's a rule about being able to predict your income that goes like this. If you cannot predict your income, there's something you are short on knowing. Here's the rule. If you cannot predict your income, there's something you're short on knowing. Either you, number one, don't know what you want, or number two, you know what you want, but you don't know how to get it, or number three, both. Okay, so there's three things. You don't know what you want. Number two, you know what you want, but don't know how to go get it or both. Anytime I'm having trouble with what I want, I look at what I don't know and hopefully I clear it up. The longer I take to clear it up, the longer I suffer. Or I look at number two. Okay, I know what I want, but I don't know how to get it. Maybe that's it. Do I really want it? Maybe I don't really want it. See, most of the time in my case, I do really want it. There's just something I don't know in order to actually achieve it. See, that's number two. I know what I want, but I don't know how to go get it. Anytime I'm having trouble getting what I want, I look at what I don't know and clear it up. And the longer it takes me to look at what I don't know, the longer I'm going to suffer. Or I look at, hey, do I really want this? Do I really want this thing? Yeah, well, most of the time in my case, I do really want it. And I believe in most of the time in your world, you want what you're going after. There's just something you don't know in order to achieve it. So what do I do? What should you do? 
Get busy learning everything you can about whatever it is. You know what that means? That means you don't listen to this program one time. Learn everything there is. Trust me. You're missing points right now. If you listen to it a second time, a third time, a fourth time, you're going to hear things that I'm saying that are going to be more meaningful to you. Add knowledge to desire like wood to a fire, and sooner or later, you will achieve your dreams. Most of the people I work with in my seminars, they have the desire. There's no shortage of desire. They want it, but man, they're short on correct knowledge. So that's what we have to fix here. Learning from experience is expensive. After graduating from college, I took on a full-time sales position. When I think I had first heard the term, close the deal, I knew nothing about selling and certainly nothing about closing a deal. They just don't teach those things in school. I spent 17 years in school and never heard the word close the deal or the term close the deal. See, up to this point, no one had suggested that there were strategies, even in the sales business that I was in, no one had suggested there were strategies or actual processes for getting a deal to close so that I could actually get rewarded. They just kept calling it selling. It was pointed out to me that this thing called closing the deal was an actual step to be done in the sales process rather than something that just happened as a result of selling. So I started listening to the people around me, you know, the professionals, because those guys around me knew a lot more than I knew. I assumed that because they'd been around for a while, they knew what they were doing. A word of advice. Don't assume others necessarily know how to sell, much less how to close. Just because they were there before you doesn't mean they know much. Most salespeople haven't developed a true understanding about what it really takes to close deals consistently, much less how to exactly control the process and the outcome. See, most salespeople, even very, very seasoned salespeople, veterans, no offense to anyone listening, most even seasoned salespeople haven't a clue about this area. It is not surprising Because most have never invested the time and energy and resources in even learning the exact skills necessary to close. You know, I assumed when I was new to selling that everyone around me knew what they were doing. It'd be like thinking, okay, the furniture was here before I was, so it knows more than I do. I mean, that's basically what I was doing. So I started paying close attention to these pieces of furniture around me, the people, and particularly paid a lot of attention to those with the most experience. While this proved somewhat helpful, and as much as I was impressed with some of what I saw, I now know that watching them and learning from them caused me to develop some very, very bad habits, much like the furniture in the room. You see, most of them, and now I'm being very kind, that were using the expensive school of gaining knowledge. Remember we talked about that earlier? What's the expensive school? I do something, I have an experience, and I try to learn from it. Wrong way to learn anything. The expensive school of gaining knowledge is where you learned after the fact, as a result of the experience. This is the most popular, the most expensive, and the least successful way to learn. A Navy SEAL wouldn't do it, okay? An Army Ranger wouldn't do it. An actor, an actress wouldn't do it. And a professional athlete does not learn that way. They prepare before game time. Learning from sheer experience is very, very, very expensive. It takes a long time incredibly long time to accumulate any real wisdom. And by the time you've developed accumulated real wisdom, you'll probably be out of time to use it. My coworkers learned while they were in a deal rather than learning 
before the deal. My coworkers were learning while they were in and after they experienced losses as a result. They then tried to make the adjustments after the fact, and this just takes tremendous time to ever actually accumulate any real learning. The other, the smarter way to go, is to study, observe, and create experiences for yourself so you would learn how to handle a situation before it ever happened, beforehand. See, these people were learning after the fact rather than prior to the facts. These people were learning after the situation and trying to adjust when it was too late rather than before the situation actually happened. Then they would make slight adjustments over time, usually over entire careers, with very poor results. This is what most people do. This results in extreme transactional losses, not to mention the emotional losses that are accumulated day after day after day. I had spent 17 years up to this point seeking knowledge in my life. I'm talking about back when I was first selling. Believing at that time, the more I learned, the more I could earn. These people that I was surrounded by seemed to think exactly the opposite. I asked them if there were schools or books or something I could listen to or watch. Anything I could learn from, I was new and I was hungry. These people believed that the only way to learn was to be in the experience. They believed the only way to learn to close a deal was actually in the close and that selling was a numbers game and suggested to me that my results would be based on how many people I could get in front of and it was not something you could actually control or predict. You know, I agree that all success has something to do with the numbers game. I mean, it only makes sense. The more people I'm in front of, the more people I'm going to, you know, do well with. But I also know there's a science to increasing results. You know, like if you're trying to go to the moon, it's not how many rockets you can build to get up there. At some point, you have to make some smart, you know, analysis to predict whether the rocket's going to even leave the ground. Otherwise, you're going to go busted broke in the rocket business. See, there exists a science, a body of knowledge for everything, everything in life, everything you want to know about. Today, I know that there is a body of knowledge. There is nothing you can't know. Because if it was just a numbers game, for instance, in selling, if it was just a numbers game, then all success would be some random lottery and there'd be no control at all. If anyone has ever told you there's something you can't know, trust me, trust me, you can know. Go do the research. Somebody's looked into the area. You can know and control as much as you want to particularly around selling. We're not talking about the heavens parting here. We're talking about closing human beings on exchange. So I continued to watch these people as a young salesperson. They were the only people I could learn from as I had no other resources for information. Let's face it, these people knew volumes, volumes more than I knew. But what I heard them say and what I observed from these professionals were the same type of attempts being repeated over and over, and most often with very poor results. In the middle of the negotiations, they'd say things like, hey, what would it take to do this? Or where do we need to be? Or what is your budget? And hey, by the way, if I could do this or that or whatever it is you want, would you actually buy the product? These people were repeating the same things over and over. It was a very limited range of closes. Certainly was not a science. Top guy doesn't always mean much. See, the most experienced and most respected person in this group had been at the same location for 12 years, had accumulated a tremendous amount of following from customers, and he had only achieved average results at best. While he acted quite confident and was more experienced than all the rest of us, 
he was still unable to predict his income. He was never quite sure of what his production would be, and his earnings were flat. Year over year, they were flat. They weren't going up. Though he bragged about his past production, and when it came to predicting his future production, he talked about it as though it were up to someone else, or it was up to the economy, or it was up to the manufacturer, or up to management. While he bragged about past production, he could not predict his future production. And this confused me. It didn't seem consistent with how I thought other people would create businesses. How could someone work at the same place for 12 years and still not be able to predict his income? I mean, basically, he was in the same place I was and I was brand new. And if everyone else, the economy, the manufacturer, and luck were responsible for his results, where is the security in that job? How could I even ever plan a vacation or make an investment or buy a house if I couldn't plan? Lastly, and most amazing to me, is how could someone sell fewer products 144 months after they started a business, 12 years, than they did the first month they were in the business? See, this came up during the earlier period of confusion for me because this top guy had experienced what he said he was having. You know, man, I'm having a devastating month. This is killing me. See, he was complaining that he had sold. He told me, I sold one half the products this month in the 144th month of his career than he had the very first month. This freaked me out. It seemed mathematically impossible to have 12 years of experience, 12 years of knowledge, and 12 years of customers and sell fewer products. But it was happening, and it was happening to him. And I'm telling you, I was concerned it would happen to me one day. Didn't give me much, you know, security about this business that I was in. I'm like, 12 years from now, I'm going to have this experience. I don't want that. Here's the most respected salesperson in the group, and I knew if it could happen to him, then it could happen to me. Fear is an indicator that you don't know. I was telling a friend I graduated college with about this situation, about this guy, you know, selling 144, you know, 144 months of business in the same industry, in the same location, in the same company, and then having this devastating month and not being able to predict his income. And I was telling him how disconcerting it was for me. He said to me, Grant, maybe these guys really don't know what they're doing, and you shouldn't be comparing yourself to them. Maybe these people lack commitment. Maybe they lack dedication. Maybe they don't have an education, and maybe they don't have the dreams that you have. Maybe you don't have to have these swings in production, and maybe these guys are the wrong people to model your career after. All that hit home for me. It was like when he was telling me this, I'm like, wow, maybe that's the problem. Maybe I'm comparing myself to the wrong people. You know, I knew that the way they were approaching their futures was incorrect and that I had to do something different. It wasn't the job. It wasn't selling. It wasn't the company. It wasn't the product. It was the mathematical formulas these people were using. I need to get in front of a lot of people. If I get in front of a lot of people and I don't know what I'm doing, I'll still be successful. That's an incorrect formula. You got to know what you're doing when you're with these. While these people, they called themselves professional salespeople. The truth is they knew very, very little about the subject and, in fact, were not even participating in controlling the outcome of this subject. None of them had any real formula or plan to work with and only a limited amount of strategies that proved to be hit or miss at the best. See, success should be dependable. I had already had some success. It just wasn't consistent. 
I mean, I'd been selling for a couple months now. I'm like, I hit or miss. It was like I could do good one month and not so good the next. But it wasn't consistent. It wasn't predictable. And it wasn't dependable. And if you can't predict it and you can't depend on it, how can you really call it success? It had been the scary kind of success that was fleeting and mysterious that has no security involved. It wasn't because I wasn't trying. It was because I didn't have proven strategies in order to get people to agree with me and hit that critical survival exchange point I talked about earlier. Remember? Critical survival exchange point. When they give me something, I give them something, and we have the close. Up to this point in my career, things were heading in the same direction as those around me, the furniture. There were no strategies. There was no control. There was no plan. And when those things are not present, there's no way to predict results. I would tell myself, all you can do, Grant, is work harder. See more people. Things will improve. Keep your chin up, man. Be positive. This was more hope than strategy, more effort than results. I was getting sick of hoping, and it's hard to work harder when you aren't getting results, and I know you know what I mean. When it came to closing the deal, when it came time to wrapping a deal, it was mostly heart beating, bum, 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 scared to death, fingers crossed, hoping and praying that people would like me enough to buy from me type of closing. I was experiencing more fear than my prospects were, and look, that is not a good sign. Note, fear is an indicator that you don't know something. If a lion comes to attack me and I know exactly how to kill the lion, I'm probably not going to fear it, particularly if I've been through it a number of times. Fear is an indicator that you don't know something, don't know how to do something, aren't in control of something. At this time in my career, I didn't know how to ask for the clothes. Look, I didn't know how to justify the clothes. I couldn't create urgency. I couldn't see the clothes. I couldn't handle objections. I wasn't able to persist. And the truth is, My results were at best based on fingers-crossed luck. Then the blame phenomenon kicked in as a way to handle my disappointments. You ever had that experience? You're not getting any closes and the blame phenomenon kicks in? You start blaming your prospects. You start calling them unreasonable. I'm starting to say they're too difficult. Hey, they are not qualified when they were. They're a waste of my time. And when I got tired of blaming the prospect, When that didn't work anymore, I started blaming management. And when that didn't work, I started blaming the product. And when that didn't work, I started blaming the manufacturer. It's called the blame phenomenon. This is what every failing salesperson and dreamer goes through in order to justify their poor results. It was, this is a rule, it was, and you should learn to live by this rule, it was and it never is the customer, management, or the product. You need to knock off this blame phenomenon. It is a late response to someone that doesn't know what they're doing. My introduction to the science of the close. One day, a gentleman named Ray put a cassette tape back in the days of cassettes, a recorded program in my hand. He says, hey, listen to this guy. I got it at this convention I was at. I was given a recorded program of this guy who taught people how to professionally negotiate transactions. In this recording, the gentleman speaking was given examples to the audience of closing situations whereby the presenter had these logical and very intelligent responses for closing the negotiations. He even seemed to be able to direct and control the entire process so as to cause and direct the customer to a certain end result. 
my gosh, I was so excited when I heard this to know that there were actual techniques and strategies and an actual science for improving a person's ability to close a transaction. From the moment I was introduced to this recording, I became convinced that there was actually something I could learn that would actually influence my results and my income. As I started to work with the strategies that he shared on this recording, I became aware that these strategies were not limited to selling a product, but had as much to do with how to get my way in life by getting others to agree with me. I became aware that this thing called closing the sale, persuasion, negotiations, this thing, this area, while I had never learned anything in 17 years of an education about it, this was critical to my life. And what else is life really but getting others to agree with you so you can live life better? My hope and confidence shot through the roof. And I felt so alive for the first time in my career, so excited about my future for the very first time. I started practicing with the material every day, morning, noon, night. I didn't just listen to it, but I used it. I practiced it. I drilled it. And I rehearsed it. I listened to this one recording until it literally wore itself out and I was no longer able to play it. I believed if I just listened and practiced enough, I could learn how to handle people and increase my results. I became a maniac on the subject of closing in my mid-20s, spending every moment reading and listening to everything I could possibly find on the subject. Since then, I have personally spent hundreds of thousands of dollars in my quest to learn, in my research, my study, in travel expenses, supplies and seminars, audios, CDs and videos. In order for me to get a better understanding of how to get more consistent results in my career and in my business and in my life, I was determined because I was so sick of the lack of results I had been getting. And you know, when you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, you'll do almost anything to improve your condition. Ridicule is a good indicator. The people that work with me laughed and ridiculed me for this newfound interest and quest and this dedication. But the laughter didn't last long because my production went out the roof almost immediately. I have come to believe that ridicule by others can often be a good indicator that you are doing something right. Their incomes didn't change. Mine went up. My results immediately showed up in both higher closing ratio, increased sales, and increased income. I became the leading salesperson for the first time, and I was outselling everyone else in numbers that had never been achieved by anyone in this group before. One month, I sold more products than the entire crew combined. I was pumped. I was in control, and I knew this had just begun. There is a direct relationship between the amount of effort someone is willing to put into their learning and their earnings. And let me tell you, ridicule is a good indicator of success. At first, everyone, including me, thought my results were just a fluke, some luck, some random happening that could not be repeated and sustained. So I continued to study, and month after month, I continued to outsell everyone. I continued to even outsell myself month after month. Again, at first I was ridiculed, then I was resented, And later, I was embraced to find out by others, hey, man, what are you doing that made such a difference? What are you listening to? What are you learning? Can you teach me some of that? At first, I was ridiculed. Then I was resented. 
and later I was embraced. So know that you're going to probably go through that when you start really getting committed to your career and getting results in your career. Management started asking me to start working with and training the other salespeople on these newfound strategies, which I did because I believed the more I could teach other people, the more I would learn. By helping others, my understanding of the material and the subject matter took on a completely new level. Receiving information is one thing. You know, I'm reading this recording to you right now, right? You're receiving it. That's one thing. You teaching others this same information will bring you to a heightened understanding of this information that is beyond what words can describe. Uh, My belief is this. If you can't teach it, you really don't know it. And until you teach it, you won't know it for sure. The difference between have and have not. Today, after years of dedication and studying in this field, I can sit in on any deal, any product, and I can almost see what will happen before it even happens. It's a very weird, it's almost surreal thing to be able to see what is happening in the negotiations even before they're happening and know exactly what the other side's going to do. It's weird. I can't even explain it. But it's something that comes with all levels of knowing. When you really know your game, you're able to predict moments into the future. A person will write me or call my office and ask me uh, about a deal or negotiations they're involved in, and I can tell them almost immediately where it went wrong and what it would take to correct that deal. This type of understanding of the close is available to anyone that wants to improve and to anyone that's willing to dedicate the time. I have never in the last 25 years in my career and in my profession, I have never been unable to improve someone's results if they were willing to listen. I don't care if you think you're dumb, slow, can't read, can't write, whatever you think your problem is, I assure you, if you want to learn this area, I assure you, you can if you're willing to listen. It is a very, very simple skill to learn. It only requires a desire, it requires a commitment, and it requires a bit of study of the area. See in the close. Now, this is a warning to you. You have to get this next point completely. If you can't or don't close the deal, then you lose. Take the C out of the word close and you end up with lose. The truth is your family loses, your company loses, and if you believe completely in what you represent, then your customer or your prospect loses. I believe this with my heart today, and because I do, I will persist in a deal a great deal longer than the average person. He who can stay the longest will achieve the mostest. He who can stay the longest will achieve the mostest. That's a granism. I personally have such a belief in what I represent, whatever it is I'm representing, that I believe to my core that everyone loses when I don't close that deal. This belief combined with an arsenal of technology This is critical because you can believe in your product, but if you don't have the arsenal, you're done. This belief combined with an arsenal of technology is the fuel necessary so that you're able to persist until you actually get the close. There is only a slight difference between closing and losing, one letter to be exact, and that is more often than not the little bit it would take to close most of your deals. The C in close could stand for commitment. Commitment is defined as the state or instance of being emotionally compelled. This is the great shortage of our day. People who are committed and emotionally impelled to do whatever it takes to get something done. 
There's no shortage of money. The shortage, the great shortage, is people who are deeply committed and emotionally impelled to do whatever it takes in order to get something done. It could stand, the C, could stand for consistent, as consistency is absolutely necessary for you to achieve higher closing ratios. Consistent is defined as free from a variation or a contradiction. Consistency is critical so as to provide you with a consistent set of choices and handlings to work with so that you're able to bring more harmony and a sense of stability and logic to your negotiations. So the C could stand for commitment. The C could stand for consistency. Hey, the C could stand for a can-do attitude. That attitude that's absolutely vital to making things go right. Can-do is defined as characterized by an eager willingness to accept and meet challenges. Can-do. Eager willingness to accept and meet challenges. If you don't bring this to the table, no one will ever support you in the closing arena. No matter how good your price, no matter your product, and no matter your proposal. Your negotiations will be filled with resistance will be filled with their emotions. It will be filled with blame and bitterness. So you need to know that when you're negotiating with people, they're going to get, you know, resistant. They're going to get emotional. They're going to start blaming. They're going to start, you know, uh, stalling. People will come bitter. They'll become critical. You have to know this. You have to bring a can-do attitude to counter that to the table every time. The bottom line is, if you miss any of the C's, you will not close the deal, and you will only be left with lose. So the C's are what? Commitment, deep, deep commitment. Consistency, use, able to use consistently this arsenal of techniques. And the third C is a can-do attitude. Harsh reality. The harsh reality is you are either closing or you are losing. There is no middle ground. There is no cost to the presenter greater than the loss of the deal. You need to know this. Like when you don't close, you lose. The presenter loses. There is no greater loss of the deal, none. It depletes your individual belief and confidence in yourself and in your product and idea when you lose the deal. When the salesperson or presenter or the proposal or the mediator is unable to close, he or she becomes visibly demoralized, and over time starts to give up their quests with their attention stuck on accumulated losses rather than the confidence and competence that comes from winning. Losing the deal, any deal, has devastating results as it fuels uncertainty, insecurity, doubt, fear, loss of hope, and ultimately results in more lost sales. That is so important. Losing the deal has devastating results as it fuels uncertainty, insecurity, doubt, fear, loss of hope, and ultimately results in more lost sales. These losses become very expensive emotionally and financially to yourself and your company and should not just be taken so lightly or considered something that must happen as a result of being involved in a deal. People become too casual, too reasonable about this, and incorrectly convince themselves that, oh, that's just the way it is. Look, there's no beneficiary to when you do not close a deal except maybe your competition. Certainly, the prospect in no way benefits when you don't close them as they are left to continue their efforts to acquire some product or service 
or solve some problem that they were hoping you could solve for them. Remember, no one wins when you don't close. No one. Don't be reasonable in this one fact, as it is vitally important to your future that you understand everyone ultimately loses when you fail to close them on your proposal. Get this point drilled in to your way of thinking, and you will make things happen like never before. Also, it is vital that you understand that selling involves more than just getting the buyer to like you or like your product or like your company. If that's all it took, 90% of all salespeople would be rich, but they're not. Successful, consistent, and dependable sales results require more than just getting people to like you and your product, regardless of your likability. I know a lot of people that are likable. If you are unable to close the deal, you will not get paid the rewards that are available to you, nor will your client or prospect get the rewards of your products, your services, or the benefits of your dreams. Imagine if Steve Jobs wasn't able to close the world on Apple or iPods. Imagine if Bill Gates wasn't able to close the world on, you know, Microsoft technology software. Imagine if Martin Luther King didn't sell the world on freedom. See, closing is the one step in selling that separates those who have from those who don't have. It also separates those that love their jobs from those who don't love their jobs. It is the dividing of camps between those who dream from those who make dreams come true. This is not an overstatement. For all dreams require action. And the most important action is the one that finalizes the transaction. It's not the initial dream itself. It's, can I close others on believing in my dream, supporting my dream, funding, financing, and getting behind my dream? No dream can become a reality without someone closing others on making that dream come true to fruition. Dreams don't require dreamers. Dreams require closers. The dream closer will do whatever is necessary to close others on what he or she needs in order to make that dream a reality. The make-break point. The number one most feared part of the selling process by survey is that part involving the negotiations and the close. The close is that place in every deal where it becomes the time to ask someone to take some sort of action. Most of the time, this action requires a transfer of something valuable or what appears to be a value or some commitment of some sort from the other party. This could be giving money for a product or signing a future contract to pay something or dedicate time or energy or resources. See, the close does not always involve money, but it will always involve something of value to the parties involved. This make-break point is where people shake and quiver where tongues get tied, palms sweat, people can't think clearly, they no longer know what to say next, they act like a deer caught in the headlights, and the hearts start to race. Due to these wild reactions, the presenter starts to doubt himself or herself and the mission. These negative responses that they are experiencing are only symptoms of not having a full understanding of how to close, how to negotiate, and how to get an agreement. It is vital, vital that you learn to handle this area to the point where you no longer have physical reactions. So until you no longer have physical reactions, you need to train, prepare, drill, and rehearse. Reasons for the no-close. Now, why would this step of the sale by itself, the one which most determines your income, 
be the one step that is most feared, most revered, and most uncomfortable and most misunderstood for most people? How is it you can enjoy meeting people, enjoy demonstrating your product, and talking about your company, and then suddenly, unexplainably, abhor closing the proposal? What is happening when a completely confident person who knows his product to be superior will not even ask the client to actually buy the product? Or he may only ask if he gets no resistance. What's happening? There are many reasons that can contribute to this, and I will discuss a few. First, I believe that most salespeople and negotiators and business people are misinformed when they are brought into the business of selling. They're misinformed with information that is not quite accurate about what it really takes to be successful as a salesperson. Salespeople have been told many things over the years about selling. Some true, some not true, and some is just plain outdated. You know, everything in life changes. One would not expect the same techniques used 30 years ago to have the same effectiveness today. You were probably told, like I was, that selling is simple. You may have been told that selling is about getting people to like you. Maybe it was pounded into you that selling is about selling the product, identifying the buyer's hot buttons, then satisfying those needs. You might have also been told that selling is purely about relationships and building trust. Maybe you've been given information from others that would actually suggest that you not even go for the close. Maybe it was suggested to you not to be pushy or offensive or that people that close have to use pressure and that no one likes pressure. While some of the above may be true, it doesn't quite paint the picture of what it takes to really be successful as a closing salesperson. And some of it is just completely out of context. When I talk about successfully selling, I'm not talking about just getting the job done. I'm talking about prospering. I'm not talking about getting by. I'm talking about expanding and filling my pockets up successful. This is where closing the deal is the norm, not the exception. See, you want to think in terms of, hey, I closed the deal. It's normal to close the deal, not... Ah, I closed the deal. You know, you're going to close one out of 10. No, you know, not closing should be the exception. Closing should be the norm. There are many kinds of riches. Money is one of them. In this book, we're talking to you about not just selling, not just enjoying sales, but being paid extremely well because you own the unique talent of closing the deal down. Deal over, finished, completed, transaction agreed upon. Parties agree and we do something. That's where we want to get you. Let's face it, salespeople, dreamers, and workers are a dime a dozen. And to that degree are not extremely valuable, no offense, but they're not extremely valuable because mediocrity is not valuable. There's no shortage of workers. There's a shortage of closers. There are hundreds of millions of salespeople on this planet who call selling their profession. And they have business cards to prove it. When we talk about successful closers, we're talking about a very small, very revered, respected club of truly professional, highly trained, and highly compensated individuals who have one thing in common, the ability to close the deal, to wrap the deal up, to tie all the pieces down, to get an agreement and action. Look, even a six-year-old child understands the value of closing a deal versus the value of selling. When you go home late at night, tired, and kiss your kid goodnight, he looks up at you with those big eyes, particularly if you're in selling of any sort, and says, Mommy, did you sell anything today? What is this kid asking you? 
He's not asking if you made a friend or you got someone thinking about a purchase or if you got a commitment or if you got somebody hot and bothered or if you did a great presentation or if you were likable. Your kid's asking you one question. Did you close a deal? You either did or you did not. This program is going to get you in a position to tell your son, yes, I did. And yes, you get your bike. Relationship or close? A person once commented to me that he thought I put too much value on the close and not enough on the relationship. Look, without the trust, without the good feelings, without the relationship, without those things that make rapport, the close is impossible. However, the relationship by itself will not determine the close. Most deals only close when the salesperson closes the deal, not because someone likes you or likes your company, likes your ideas, or even likes your presentation. Certainly, I want a good relationship, as you will almost never close when you don't have one. But if it was just about being nice and friendly, then no one would have a need for this skill called closing, as you would be merely required to present your product, get people to like you, and then they'd buy it. If it was just a relationship issue, your friends and family and loved ones would call you and give you money for no reason. Look, this is not the case. Relationships are critical. They're important. But you have to close even once you have the relationship. People do not separate with their money or take action or make future commitments and make decisions will not without some help from a closer. People are highly insecure about their money. This is a generalized statement, but most people are highly insecure about their money or their numbers in the bank and their ability to make good decisions is also an area they're insecure about. And that is where you become valuable. The closure is valuable to handle these insecurities. If the trick or if the simplicity was just to be nice, most of the entire world filled with nice people would all be doing great. Reality is most of you put too much significance on being nice and not enough emphasis on closing the deal. Most salespeople spend too much time on nice and never actually transition over into the close and get that actionable exchange of value. The nicest thing you can do for someone is to make sure they make a decision and take action. That is nice. Because once I take action on your product, I don't have to look anymore. You've actually done me a service. Do you even know where this word nice, this overused nice word comes from? Well, it's original derivation. You should look it up for yourself. In the Merriam-Webster Collegiate Dictionary is French. Derivation means the root, where it first came from. It came from the word foolish, simple, silly, ignorant, and, interesting enough, not to know. Is that what you want to be, nice? When people tell you, you're the nicest guy we met, you're so nice, what they're saying is, look, you're foolish, you're simple, you're silly, you're ignorant, and you obviously don't know something. Leverage nice to a close. Don't just rest on the morals of niceness and not close. Ten more reasons closures fail. While there may be many, many reasons for failing to close, I am going to identify and discuss what I consider to be the top 10 reasons salespeople are not successful in closing their transactions. Number one, pressure is perceived as a bad thing. This closer or presenter or negotiator or mediator, whatever you call yourself, has been taught that pressure and insistence is wrong, ill-mannered, rude, not appropriate. Due to his or her upbringing regarding being nice, foolish, 
having manners, and other social graces that you were taught, the salesperson or presenter is unwilling to be insistent. While it is important to have manners and to be respectful to others, this is incorrect data for getting what you want in life. As manners and respectful and nice will not get you what you want in life. That doesn't mean you don't want to have manners and you don't want to be respectful and you don't want to be nice. As a child, you were told many times, you must learn to accept a no. Your parents told you this. Well, good for the parent, but not good for the kid, right? You must learn to accept a no. That's a kid that's persisting to get candy, and the parent's frustrated, tired, and says, Look, here's the rule of the land. You must learn to accept a no. That is life. Until you believed that, you were doing fine, always getting your way. See, again, good for the parent, not good for the kid. The kid receiving this lesson, it's absolutely suicidal information for that child that later grows up and will need to sell others on his or her ideas. See, it's absolutely essential and vital to your survival that you push through this socialized, be nice, have manners, accept a no. you got to push through this socialization of just getting along with the masses of people. You need to push through to get what you want in life. Pushing through doesn't mean not nice or ill-mannered, but rather it demonstrates that you are sold on your product that you know what you want, and that you are willing to push through all the resistance to get it. In my book, Sell to Survive, I tell the story about the biggest sale of my entire life. That was winning over my future wife. Any of you out there that want the right mate, you should absolutely get that book. Absolutely learn how to close. You can, you can sign up for every dating site you want to find the perfect mate. Look, if you can't close the perfect mate, that's all they were was a mate. If you're looking for a long-term relationship, you have to close. You have to keep closing so that that relationship keeps evolving. See, had I not continued to persist in the close of my life, in closing this woman to be my wife, I would not have achieved this biggest sale of my life. Throughout the 13 months of working this transaction, this proposal, this deal, if you will, I know some of you are going to say, oh, man, he's, t- he's calling his wife a deal. But you know what I'm saying? See, I was never ill-mannered in those 13 months. I wasn't inappropriate. I wasn't unprofessional. I didn't stalk her. But I did act like someone who was highly interested, who was highly confident in my quest to gain her interest, to go out with her, and to ultimately close the deal. Thanks to my insistence, my confidence, my dedication, and my willingness, and the good guy that I am to hang in there, I finally accomplished this deal. Being nice without persistence, even with some pressure, would not have done the job, I assure you. And if you talk to her, she would tell you the same thing. She wasn't looking for nice. She was looking for somebody confident enough to close. Number two, reason for not closing a deal. The unwillingness to deal with the emotional discomfort will prevent the close. Most people are not willing to deal with the emotional discomfort that takes place between the no and the yes and actually seek to avoid this at all costs. This retreat and desire not to experience emotional output is a retreat from life itself. You have to be willing to handle the emotional output from others in the negotiations in order to even be with them and to accomplish anything in life. When it comes to the negotiations, agreements, decisions, and money, 
in the close, people get emotional, and most of it is only emotional responses that have nothing, nothing to do with you or even your proposal. You have to be trained, drilled, and rehearsed to make nothing of this emotional output. You need to acknowledge your prospect and certainly avoid, certainly, absolutely avoid getting emotional yourself. Look, acknowledge whatever reaction they're having or whatever they may be experiencing, but do not respond with more emotion. Like a baby who's crying. Do you start crying too? No. Like a baby who's crying, your prospect is simply expressing some emotions that you may or may not understand. Instead of getting upset, remain calm and stay interested in the prospect. Don't run from the discomfort. Don't try to hide from it. Don't pretend it isn't happening. And absolutely, absolutely do not react. Stay calm and remain focused on what you're there to do. Close the deal regardless of the emotions. You know, people get funny when it comes to making decisions and especially when it comes to making money. Which do you think they have more insecurity about, money or decisions? Well, I'll tell you what it is. First is decisions and two, it's money. Train yourself to handle people logically, not emotionally. Learn how to sit in one place comfortably while your client is going off hysterically and you will become a master in negotiations. There's a course called Training Drills. It's referred to as a training regiment or drills that can teach you to sit comfortably and handle almost anything. It's called a TRS course, and you can call my office and they can give you more information on it. My number is 800-368-5771. It's called a TRS course, and it will put you in a position to sit comfortably and handle anything. I have personally taken this course, and it is absolutely amazing. There's only one group that teaches it, so call my office, and they'll give you the information on it. The third reason for not closing a deal. A lack of belief in your purpose or in your product can prevent you from going all the way in the close. This third reason happens to be the salesperson or presenter's, now closer, He doesn't fully believe in the product, the idea, or the service, or the dream to the point that they will do anything to close this prospect. See, you have to believe at a very deep level. You have to believe at a deeper level than they believe, like, hey, Grant, we don't have the money, we can't do it, it would put us in financial harm. If you believe that, you were sold and closed on that. If you believe your product is of greater benefit to the planet than this person's financial situation, you will close. You have to believe at an extremely, extremely deep level. You have to believe in something so much that you are willing to insist so passionately that you would actually make or cause someone to do something that they don't really want to do. See, this is what I'm talking about. And if you've been socialized to believe, don't persist, don't pressure, don't grind, don't hammer, be nice, know when to take no, then then you lose the ability to commit all the way. People that are selling every day lose this over time, this passionate insistence to make sure the buyer says yes to whatever you have to offer. I write about this in detail in my book, Sell to Survive, where I demonstrate people giving up due to a lack of belief in their product or service and the company they represent. You have to be sold yourself. The most important sale you will ever make is the one to yourself. You have to be sold yourself or your client will sell you on not closing. This passion and belief has to be continually rehabilitated from time to time in order to keep the insistence factor up in you. In every selling exchange, know that a sale takes place. 
He who is most convinced, most passionate, and most sold will do the most selling and the most convincing. If you are not sold, convinced, you cannot close to an actionable agreement. The most important sale, again, you will ever make is long before a client is ever involved. Close or be closed is what we say at our office. You either do the closing or you get close. The party that is the most sold will do the most closing. Number four, an incorrect estimation of effort will prevent the close. People do not have a correct estimation of the amount of effort necessary to actually achieve a result and a close. This happens to people in all types of careers, executives, entrepreneurs, CEOs, actors, athletes, managers, dreamers, human beings, anyone trying to accomplish a goal they underestimate have a correct estimation of the effort required. The ability or inability, I'm sorry, to correctly assess how much energy and effort it takes to get something done is a huge outpoint of the seeker. The result is someone who is not prepared emotionally, not prepared physically, not prepared technically to generate the correct effort in order to get the mission accomplished. Look, if you think you're going to need to lift three pounds and then only train for three pounds, you will fail more often than not even to pick up only three pounds. Real life seems to always alter the lab test. You know what I'm saying? There's always little changes and variations. Maybe you don't feel good that day and you can't pick up the three pounds, but you only prepared for three pounds, so you can't quite get it. Let's say the day you show up, one of your arms goes into a spasm. Now you need to lift the three pounds, but you're trained with both arms, not one. Problem, if you had trained to handle 30 pounds, then no matter the challenges you face in the real world, you will be able to handle three pounds, an incorrect estimation of preparation in order to get the job done. You wouldn't go on a 30-mile trip with only a half a tank of gas, would you? You know, one day this will be an outdated audio program because you'll be able to go 30 miles on maybe a tenth of gas, or maybe we're not even using gas anymore. But incorrect estimation of effort is a major miscalculation in goal achievement. Have you allotted the time, the effort, the amount of insistence, the amount of enthusiasm? Have you allotted the correct estimation of staying power to take a guy from no to yes? Have you trained for the most difficult situations that you will ever face? Most people will say no. This correct estimation of effort will allow you to correctly assess and then prepare for a situation. Train for the most difficult and hope for the easiest. Train for the most difficult customers and prospects in negotiating situations and hope for the easiest. Train hard, close easy. Number five reason, being reasonable can prevent a close. This is a human condition that seems to have perpetuated our entire society over the years, encouraging you to settle, to be happy, to take it easy, to be satisfied, and hey, what's wrong? Let's just do it tomorrow. People have lost the importance of completing tasks and getting things done, closed. Urgency to complete is a daily habit is missing in our society today. The individual only becomes urgent when his survival is threatened. Most of the time, this is too late. The close is just the last step of a cycle of actions involved in selling and presenting and proposing and negotiating. It is no different than how bagging the grass and bringing the grass out to the street after cutting your lawn is the last cycle of mowing a lawn. Until something is completed, look, it's not done. Get unreasonable about that. 
If I didn't complete it, I didn't finish it. If I didn't close it, it's not done. One of the things I work on in my life is to complete action started. As I say this, I'm thinking about all the things sitting on my desk right now undone, and that bothers me. I need to go back to my office today and complete each one of those cycles because all those are closes. Look, the more I complete, the more I complete, right? The more I complete, the more I complete, and the more I complete, the more I can complete new things. The less I complete, finish, close, the less I can complete, which ultimately reduces my desire to start new projects. Salespeople with unclosed deals are punished more than they will ever know. But watch someone become less and less ambitious as more and more deals don't close. Why? All these unclosed cycles. Get in the habit of approaching everything with a sense of completion and an urgency to complete. Never be reasonable with time. This discipline is critical to mounting up sale after sale and one that is understood by the heavy hitters. How do you manage time? Complete every action once started. Do it as fast as you possibly can and then go and do another task. The same with closing deals. Don't put off closing what you can close today. My sister had a friend that wanted to buy my first book for me. And she asked me if, hey, uh, if I would send a book out and wait for her to write a check. I said, sure, I can do that. Or I can call her and get the money, send the book out and close it now. My sister said, Grant, you can't need $30 that bad. What's so urgent? And I told her, look, it has nothing to do with $30. It has more to do with creating the discipline in my life to urgently attack finishing things, regardless of how small they are, so that I can go on to the next thing. Don't be reasonable on this point of urgency at closing now. Be urgent. Then you're going to hit into like, oh, man, am I going to be too insistent? And then they're going to think I'm pressuring them. See, you got to get all these corrected. Practice finishing everything you start as a discipline, insisting to start closing the deal now. The urgent desire to close a deal, any deal, no matter the amount, is what I live by. One closed deal becomes a second closed deal. Two closed deal becomes a third one. I get the momentum. I start winning. I become a better husband. I become a better father. I become a better employer. I become better at everything. Be urgent and don't be reasonable ever. Number six. No financial plan in place that can prevent the close. See, what I mean by that is the salesperson or the presenter operates without a valid financial plan. Therefore, they lack the proper motivation underestimating the importance of every close to their financial plan. Now, we're not talking about closing here. We're talking about you having a financial plan that would put pressure on you to get the job done. Because the truth is, when you have to get something done, notice it gets done. Here's a fact. If you're just working to make someone else's dreams come true, you will never be a great closer. On the other hand, if you want to make sure your wife can buy anything she wants or your husband can get anything they want, you can become a great closer. You want to make sure you and your family can have everything they've ever wanted and that you can take care of every possible situation that comes your way, you can become a great closer. If you took the time to build a financial plan for yourself that takes care of more than just your bills but will create financial freedom for yourself in the future, you will be a great closer. People underestimate, greatly underestimate how much money it actually takes to truly ensure their financial freedom and their financial future. People are reasonable, apparently unconscious and even unwilling to confront this area of financial planning. Many people 
have a hard time closing because they don't have the correct motivation to do the things that may be uncomfortable in order to get the job done and the deal closed. Look, just paying your bills, the gas bill, the water bill, the house payment, the car payment, the visa, the MasterCard, whatever, your bills, just getting those paid will never cause you to be a great closer because the purpose is not meaningful enough for you. Who's going to get excited? Oh, I got to close this deal because I want to pay my gas bill. All right. Okay, good. You close it. But what else? Some of the best closers I've ever met were those who didn't do it for profit, but they did it for purpose. They had their purpose correctly aligned. For instance, fundraisers are some of the best closers I have ever met in my life. Why? They're not getting paid. But you see, because they're so aligned with the purpose of their charity, needing money, they insist, they persist, they are motivated, they are staying in the deal, they keep making phone calls. Why? Because the purpose is high. Now, what does this have to do with your financial plan? Your financial purpose, your financial plan and purpose need to be aligned, and you're underestimating the finances needed to make your dreams and your life purposes come true. These fundraisers, these people are master closers, many of them, at getting money from others. Why? Because they're so committed and so dedicated to their purpose, and they have a clear understanding of the true financial needs of that charity. You have to get a proper financial plan put in place in order to have the proper drive, the need to get the job done and close. Now, I'm going to be creating a new program just on that. What is the proper financial plan? Most of the people I spoke to, a group of 300 people, 95% by survey, did not even understand what a financial plan was. They only understood a budget, not the money they needed to create. Okay, the money you spend is not as important as the money you create. Would you agree? You know, at the age of 25, over 25 years ago, I put a financial plan in place. Prior to that, I didn't even have one. And this financial plan caused me to push harder than others around me. Now, I could go into every deal knowing that that deal, even the smallest deals, contributed to what I called the Grant Cardone Financial Freedom Plan. See, I didn't have the money to fund my plan, my car, my real estate investment. I didn't have that money. I put a plan, built a plan, and said, this is what you would need, Grant, so that you could invest in real estate, so you could invest in the stock market, so you could save money, so you could build a retirement plan, so you could have the cars you wanted. I built that kind of plan, and every time I went into a deal, I looked at others as a participation or a partner in funding my financial freedom plan. Too many people go to work to work. This is even a famous saying, go to work to work. Man, I don't want to go to work to work. I want to go to work to prosper. If I wanted to work hard, I'd go dig a ditch. What about you? Quit going to work to work. Go to work to make your financial plan a reality. Too many people go to work to work and do so for the next 40 years to later discover they're short on money and long on years. You don't want to be short on money and long on years. You want to be long on money and short on years. That would suggest that most people in the marketplace today are incorrectly estimating the financial needs or never creating a financial plan at all. I was recently on Fox Business News, and I was telling them, look, everybody's underestimating how much money it takes to get by in life. Look at the number of people having financial problems. They're underestimating what it takes to get by. Get a financial plan today and make sure it is going to do more than just pay your bills. But create a financial plan for you and your household that will provide you with security, with, you know, a safety net, with retirement accounts, with all the things you've ever dreamed of, and you will become a better closer.
you will start closing more deals and you will quit underestimating the amount of effort, energy, and enthusiasm it takes to get a deal done. Bottom line is, if you underestimate what it takes to create financial freedom, then it only makes sense that you will underestimate what it takes to close a deal. Number seven, incorrectly handling objections can definitely stop a close. Now, this is a purely technical issue, can easily be handled by someone that is willing to put in the time and effort and practice how to handle all the situations a closer can experience. I have spent years mastering, and yes, I say that humbly, I have mastered the art of handling objections. And I did so because I was completely dedicated and no longer desired to be pushed around or stumped in the close. I got tired of people just, you know, giving me excuses and not knowing how to handle them. I got tired of being stumped and not knowing what to do. I got tired of going to management. What do I do? And they don't know either. So many of the other salespeople crossed their fingers and hoped for the best, were unwilling to put in the time to really know the game of handling objections. It is said that whatever you put your attention on, you will get. Do you believe that? If I put my attention on car wreck, I get car wreck. If I put my attention on solutions, I get solutions. See, this book should become your Bible as it will show you how to handle every objection that I have ever encountered and every objection you will encounter. So we're going to load you up with an arsenal of techniques for handling every stall, objection, problem, complaint. I'm going to load you up. Reason number eight, handling objections that are only complaints is another way to never finish a close. On a similar but very different note, many salespeople, unfortunately, have been taught to handle objections that are not objections, but just merely complaints. Of all the sales books I have ever read, all the programs I have listened to, all the videos I have watched, and all the seminar speakers, sales professionals that I have witnessed, I have never seen this issue distinguished. After years of research, I learned that most so-called objections that you were told to handle are not actually objections at all, but simple complaints that people automatically make through life. Here's a rule for you. You want to write this down. Very, very important. Treat all objections as complaints until further validated. Do not handle an objection as an objection. Handle it as a complaint. Most of the time, the closure is handling a complaint that never required more than, I understand. See, when you treat a complaint, hey, grant the payments are too high or the price is too high. When you handle that complaint like an objection, you then validate it and turn it into more than what it was, a complaint. Just because somebody says the price of the jacket's too high doesn't mean they won't buy the jacket. You're proof of that. How many times have you said something was too much money and then bought it anyway? Was that a complaint or an objection? It was a complaint. Hey, the weather's bad. I understand and I agree with you. Is that a complaint or an objection? Yes, it's a complaint, right? The weather's bad. No different than the price is high. See, the more you validate a complaint and handle it, the more real and the more solid the complaint will appear to everyone. The first thing I do when I hear what appears to be an objection is I treat it like what? A complaint until further validated as a real objection. The first rule of selling that I discussed in Sell to Survive will serve you well in determining whether an objection is valid or not. The first rule of selling is always agree. If it is a legitimate objection, you will know soon enough. But trust me, most of what you hear in the close are not objections at all. What are they? There are complaints. Number nine, a lack of closing material will stop the close. 
Due to a lack of successful closing material and techniques, salespeople are unable to persist in the close. I have personally met hundreds of thousands of salespeople, professional negotiators, transactional people, mediators, real estate agents, people involved in huge negotiations that only have a handful, some none, zero, techniques for even closing a deal. Only a very small percentage of these people in my career have more than just a handful of practiced and rehearsed prepared closes. I know thousands of salespeople who, after leaving my seminars and getting on my closing programs, memorizing these killer, incredible, logical, and smart closes, are now able to go out and use these not just in their work, but in real-life situations. These individuals watch their confidence zoom, watch the love of their job increase and their income soar. See, great closers are rare people. Why? Because they don't have the technology. If they have the commitment to learn and add technology to that, they'll be killer closers. The rare ones, the rare great, the professionals, you know, those guys you hear about, they have deep, deep arsenals of closing material that is completely memorized and rehearsed. They are prepared closers. They absolutely understand this material and are able to wield them with ease, even in the heat of battle. Just for clarification, none of the closes in this program are used for the intent of manipulation or deception, but rather are used to help the prospect make a logical decision that allows the winner's exchange. Number 10. An incorrect barrier can make you blinded to the correct reasons you fail to close. You understand? If you identify the incorrect barrier, you could blind yourself to the real reason you failed to close a deal. Salespeople wrongly believe their customers are the barrier or reason for the no close rather than understanding that the closer in actuality is the ultimate and only barrier in every close. I'm going to say that again to you. The closer is the ultimate and only barrier to every close. It is never, ever anything else. Now, I know this is a hard one for most to swallow. I was once told, no matter where you go, there you are. Well, this hits me like a ton of bricks as I immediately agreed with it, knowing that the things that are happening to me happen because of me and my beliefs. It's not happening to me. See, so if you could live with this in your life, look, it's happening because of you, not to you. If you're not getting the clothes, it's because of you, not because of them. When I heard this, I was actually uplifted as it raised my responsibility level and put me at a point where I could take charge of my life because I could take responsibility for the results. It's not them any longer doing something to me. It's me doing something that causes them to do something. At least I can do something about that if it's about me. This brings me to a new saying. Nothing happens to you, it happens because of you. I assure you that whatever is happening to you in your life, whatever is happening to you in the clothes is happening because of you, regardless of how difficult that is to eat. Your actions in life and your beliefs are causing things to happen to you. Whatever objections or situations that are recurring over and over again are happening because of you, because of some agreement you have or some belief you have or some mental creation you continue to validate. What you focus on, I think you would agree, you will attract. Things like 
car wrecks. Think about a car wreck long enough, and you will have a car wreck. Think about the flu long enough, and you will get the flu. Look, the media every year around January, December, January, starts convincing everybody to get the flu. Think about prices being too high. You know, I guarantee you, everywhere you go, the prices will be too high. If you think you need to think and time's a problem, you will always be out of time and you will always need to think. If you believe you need to shop or you can't make rash decisions, whatever you believe will show up in the clothes. I know it sounds way out there, but just look at your own life. Look at the objections you continue to get in the clothes, and I assure you, you have some basic agreement with them somewhere in your life. This is happening to you because of you. And if you trust me long enough to look at how this might be true, you will find out it is true. For the next week, I want you to write down every objection, also called a complaint, first a complaint. I want you to write down every objection you get, and I want you to see how many of those you do in your own life. Grant, I need to think about it. Guarantee you're doing that in your own life. Grant, the price is too high. Guarantee you everywhere you go, that's what you believe. We can't afford this right now. I promise you, you do that. Grant, we never make a rash decision. Guarantee you, you have some belief about that in your own life. You will be amazed at the connection between the objections you're getting and the beliefs and ideas and thoughts that you maintain in your own life. Okay, so there's your 10 reasons. You want to really look at those, really study those, and start looking at where you can improve. This book is going to give you a tremendous arsenal, but you got to get your head right around these as well, okay? Your head right around selling, about the commitment, about the consistency. you got to get your heart into it. The rules. Like any game, particularly in closing, there are rules, and you must abide by these rules to ensure your success. Now, there are 20 major rules that I identify, and they're laid out below, and I'm going to comment on each. These rules should be looked over from time to time, and you should treat them as a firm policy that you will not violate under any condition. Rule number one, always be seated when negotiating and closing. This is a highly violated policy that is missed by every seasoned professional. You will hardly ever close someone while standing up. The saying goes, present the product, service, idea on your feet. Always negotiate the terms from your seat. In addition to making sure you are seated when attempting agreement and closure, you want to also have the prospect seated. Even if your prospect stands up in mid-negotiations, remain seated, suggesting you are not done. Do not react by standing up. Stay seated will show confidence of the ability to come to an agreement. Going from a seating position to a standing position suggests somehow that something has changed and will allow your prospect to exit and end the negotiations. Rule number two, always present your proposal in writing. People do not believe what they hear, they believe what they see. That which is written is more credible than and more valued than that which is simply spoken. The old saying, talk is cheap, plays out big here. Always have a contract available, have a legal pad available so you can make points on the legal pad separate from the contract. Anything offered as points of value should be included. Anything expected should be written down. Anything taken for granted should be written down because it becomes real to them. Example, if your product or service, for instance, 
has a warranty that is standard in your offering. You should still write it down as something your buyer gets when they make a decision with you. This is overlooked by 99% of all negotiators in the close as they assume because it's included, it should not be disclosed, and certainly would never be used as a closing point. Why not? It's included as part of your presentation, as part of your package, as part of your overall benefits. Anything of value should be accented, should be written down, should be validated in writing, and should be used to build your case of logic as to the many reasons someone would do business with you and close with you. Hey, if you're a good guy, write it down. You know, If you've been in business 25 years, write it down. Whatever it is you can add value to, the written word is more valuable than the heard word. Number three, rule number three, always clearly communicate your proposal. It is important that you rehearse and clearly communicate what your offer is, what your benefits are, what your presentation includes. Work it out. Don't mumble. Don't cover your mouth. Speak clearly. Speak confidently so that your offer is communicated in a manner that suggests optimism, pride, and credibility. No one will trust a person who cannot communicate clearly and confidently. Practice your delivery and do not just assume you're coming over clearly. Maybe video yourself and see it. You know, I practiced using recorders and videos for years and then playing them back to ensure that my communication was coming across in the way that I intended. Rule number four, always make eye contact. It is very important that you learn to maintain eye contact with your prospect and in your proposal. Avoid wandering eyes. Avoid looking around them. Avoid looking at their shoulders or over their shoulders directly into their eyes. This is a discipline instilled only through practice, and you can perfect it by videoing yourself and by practicing and rehearsing with others. Most of the population on this planet does not make eye contact today. Just walk down the street, get on an elevator, ask someone a question, try it today. Try 10 people and eight of them won't even look you in the eyes. All you have to do to prove it is just walk to the coffee shop. Walk down the street and ask a question. You'll see what I mean, okay? So if I start giving people eye contact, they're going to be like, well, I mean, the guy's looking at me. They, they might not even know consciously that something's different because so many people don't do this. It is vital to be believed that you're making eye contact. It is vital for you to be believed that you make eye contact with your prospect as it suggests interest in them dedication and commitment to them, and confidence in yourself, your products, your services, and what you are proposing. Learn to make eye contact. Rule number five, always have a pen available. Closing is great, except for the closer that finds himself without a pen in a contract can't really close. See, I remember once I was closing the deal. My prospect agreed. I reached for my pen, which I had misplaced, and the prospect took this as a sign that he shouldn't close and didn't. Can you believe that? I went to reach for my pen. I'm like, oh, man, I don't have my pen. I got to go to another room. He's like, by the time I got back, you know what, Grant? I changed my mind. He actually took this as a reason like, oh, the pen's not there. So maybe this is the gods telling me I shouldn't close. I was devastated, devastated. And I said, okay, Grant, new policy. Put a policy in place. I refuse to go anywhere without my sword ever. And my sword is my pen. The only way you can close is with ink and agreement and with action. So get them to sign. That means you need a pen. All agreements, all agreements. I don't know of any agreement on this planet that doesn't require a signature and that doesn't and won't require ink at some point. Keep a pen available on you at all times. And in fact, you should have a backup pen as well. Also consider 
getting a nice pen, something that portrays you as a professional. Invest in nice things and you will have nice things. Rule number six, know how to use humor to relieve pressure. Now, this is an absolute art known and practiced by all the greats. Life sometimes reveals itself through stories, and everyone loves a good story. If the story contains humor, it will cause people to relax. Now, be careful that your humor doesn't offend, should not be off color, but rather it should tell or convey a story and it should relieve pressure in the clothes. That is the purpose of humor. It's not to be funny. Avoid using humor that makes fun of others. Use humor that causes your prospect to feel good, to feel positive, and that reminds them that life is to be enjoyed, not endured. Any humor that can make people feel good, inspired, or hopeful is always appropriate. People are more likely to make decisions when they're less serious than when they become very serious. Would you agree? People are more likely to make a decision when they are less serious than when they become very serious. People pay more for entertainment in this country than they do for an education. Do you understand? Jay Leno will make more money this year to host The Tonight Show than all the teachers combined in the city of Los Angeles. Why is that? Because people want to feel good. Make sure your humor makes your prospect feel good. Keep your clothes to be more about a game than about a critical decision, about something not so serious as opposed to something terribly serious. Make it more about how they will look good, feel good, and how they're doing the right thing than about it being some serious thing to do. You as a closer will close more deals when you're able to cause your client to lighten up, to laugh, to have fun, and to be less serious. I have used humor my entire selling career to take the edge off. And combine that with the right techniques on how to finish to close, you will become unstoppable. Rule number seven, always ask one more time. This is a perpetuating rule because one more time is always one more time. This is what separates the closers from the sellers and the big money from the average. To continue to ask, to continue to persist, to figure out another way to circle back after being told no, to figure out how to reposition your negotiations and ask one more time, always one more time, is ultimately what will make you a great closer. This requires you have a deep, very deep arsenal of techniques and a total and complete understanding of all the closes in a variety of orders so that you can continue to persist. The only way to wear out resistance, the only way to wear out resistance is through persistence. And this requires that you know the information in this program and you know it so well that you can weave all the closes back and forth. You can route back and go back and grab another one. You don't rely on one or two, but you have hundreds to use to finally get the buyer or your prospect to say yes. This area of persistence is also a social issue, as you were told again as a child that persistence was actually a bad thing, that it was rude, obnoxious, that you're not listening, that you don't ask, don't ask me again. How many times were you told that? You're stubborn, all these negative connotations connected with being persistent. Look, stubborn is a good thing. Asking again and again and again is a sign of someone that knows how to get what they want in life. It is not rude to continue to persist as your parents may have told you as a child. But rather, it is a sign of success and prosperity. It is a sign of someone that is committed and dedicated to what they want. Because I continue to ask in another way for a yes after being told no, does not mean I did not listen. It only means I am more sold on my view than the others are sold on their view. Vince Lombardi, the great coach, said, 
Winners never quit, and quitters never win. Who wants to say yes to a quitter? No one will. And how can they? How can they say yes to you when you quit? To persist and ask another way, to persist to route back and use another close, means you must be completely sold, that you must have complete, utter confidence in yourself and your product, and that you must be absolutely clear about what you want and how important it is to your survival and your prospect's survival. You should treat every opportunity to close like your life depends on it. See, because if your life depended on it, you'd ask again. You wouldn't care how you looked. Quitting is a discipline that is encouraged in our society today, and persistence is actually discouraged. There is an oversupply of quitters on this planet and a shortage of persisters. Which one is more valuable? If quitting is a discipline, then not quitting is also a discipline, and it can be learned. Practice not quitting. Role play using the closes in this program, where you try one more time with one more close, even after they've said they're done and you've tried 10 different ways. See how strong you can continue to persist. See how strong you can get this persistence muscle. And like any muscle, it will get stronger, it will get faster, and it will serve you better. Drill this persistence until you are no longer being obnoxious or rude or ill-mannered, but professionally persistent. See, the fact that you persist right now and you appear rude or obnoxious is because you're not trained. Train it until you become smooth at it. Once a man told me after hours in the negotiation, it feels like you're starting to pressure me, Grant, and I don't like that. And I said to him, please don't confuse my persistence and my enthusiasm and my dedication to my company and my product, and the fact that I know this is the right thing for you, please don't confuse that with pressure. He laughed, and then he closed. Rule number eight, always have available an arsenal of closes so you don't repeat yourself. And that's what this program is going to give you, hundreds of closes. Now, you got to practice them so you don't get relying on two or three or four or five of them. Most salespeople, most presenters, negotiators, and proposals, you know, professional proposals fail because the individual presenting quit because they lacked a variation or an arsenal which this program will give you. You need a large, very large, a wide range or variety of situations to handle different customer types and different objections. Remember, correct estimation of effort. It is said that most prospects close after five attempts, but the average salesperson or presenter only has four closes available. See, I don't want four or five. Look, I want hundreds. I want to be able to lift three or 400 pounds. So 30 will feel like a piece of cake. You get it? I want to have hundreds of closes. So if they resist four or five times, it's nothing. I want to prepare myself for two marathons. So one marathon becomes easy. See, you need to have a complete understanding of this arsenal, not just a familiarity. So for those of you who are like used to skimming, don't do that with this program. You need to listen to this program over and over and over again. One of the best ways to get a complete understanding is through listening. In addition to keeping this program with you and referring to it daily, get the book, read the book, and have the book available so you can use the closes written in the book. Okay, But you also want to continue to listen to the audio program. You want to refer to it as it will benefit you by reminding you of what you can use. This program has helped thousands of deal makers and dreamers. Listen to it. 
until you can duplicate my every word, my every little joke. You know, just keep listening to it until you're sick of listening to me and past that point to where you're able to predict, oh, he's going to say this right now, and I love this. See, I know people who on the program, on this program, have 10x their income, okay? That, that they were making 40, and they went to 400. Because a master, a master becomes a master through repetition. All masters of all arts become masters through the repetition. Know them well. Know these closes, this entire arsenal, so well that you can use them in any order and with complete confidence. Rule number nine, always stay with the buyer and reduce the number of times you leave your buyer alone. Now, this is important that you continue to create and leverage credibility and believability with your prospect or your customer. You have to continue to increase your credibility with them. Each time you leave a customer to go check with someone else on something, this establishes some lack of credibility in the mind of your prospect. While you do want to use leaving to check with a third party at times, you don't want to overuse this. This is the great notoriety of the automobile dealer who continues to send the salesperson back and forth over and over and the greatest peeve of the buying public of automobiles. This back and forth creates undue antagonism in the negotiations. It actually lowers the perceived value of the salesperson. It reduces the customer's experience to negative reduces customer experience, extends the closing time, and actually affects the end price that they get for their product. This does not mean there's not an appropriate time to leave, and there is. As using a third party or authority can be a very powerful close, but you don't want to overuse it. You want to stay with the money, stay in your presentations, and quit leaving so often. Rule number 10, always treat the prospect, the person you're in front of, or the board, or the, whoever the group is you're in front of, Treat them like they will do something. One of the biggest errors made in negotiations, particularly by experienced negotiators and salespeople, is the mistaken ability, or disability in this case, to determine who is and who is not a buyer. Now, anyone that's listening to this program can think back over your career, as short or long as it may be, of multiple times when you made this error. And it costs you business. You thought, oh, they're not going to buy. They can't buy. This is a problem. That's a problem. You predicted the future on their behalf, and you were wrong. They went out and bought from someone else. I have been on hundreds of transactions whereby I was told there was absolutely no way the person would close. And because I treated them like they would, I went in, handled their problems, handled the objections, handled the complaints, handled the situations. Because I treated them as they would, they did after being told there's no way they would. See, the regardless of the circumstances, no money, no budget, no ta you know, taxes are due, I can't do this, I'm not the decision maker, I can't make a decision. Uh, always, 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 okay, regardless of who you're dealing with, treat them like they can do something. You see, I have this little trick I play on myself when I'm in a close whereby I survey the prospect for all the signs that demonstrate to me that they have bought in the past, they have made decisions in the past. I look at the scene, you know. Let's say I'm in a negotiation right now. I look around the room. 
Oh, wow. The, the watch they have, they bought that. The shirt they own, they bought that. The suit they're wearing, they bought that. The necklace she's wearing, she bought that. The car they drove up in, the office they're renting, the place, you know, the, the house they live in, the credit cards they have. Oh, he's got a trophy on his desk. Somebody paid for that. He's got, he's got files over here. He's got a phone bill every month. You know, I want to create all the evidence that I can that this person in front of me has actually demonstrated the ability and history of actually closing with others. So regardless of what I'm hearing them say, I always tell myself, every buyer is a buyer. Treat them as a buyer, and they will turn into a buyer if you treat them like a buyer. You get it? Every buyer is a buyer. Treat them as a buyer. They will turn into a buyer if you treat them like a buyer. It's a nice little rhythm, a nice little poem you can make up for yourself. Treat the buyer like a buyer because they will buy someday, somehow, some way. Rule number 11. Always know you can come to an agreement. This ties into number 10. This is the mental attitude that has to be further developed in all of us. And that attitude needs to be protected. This attitude of they will do something has to be protected like all the gold in Fort Knox. If there's even gold in Fort Knox anymore. I continue to maintain this idea that they will come to an agreement no matter what I am told. Almost to the point of deluding myself. I continue to tell myself no matter what, they will do something. So that I start to convince me. You know the old saying, where there's a will, there's a way? The mind, this mindset of knowing that I can come to an agreement, that I will reach an agreement, requires me to eliminate all the negativity that comes my way from my environment as though negativity was a disease that kills. And by the way, it does. People spend billions of dollars trying to protect their bodies from diseases and spend next to nothing on protecting their minds from the endless viral infections of we can't do that, it's not possible, there's no way, and on and on. The newspapers, television, and radio are the disease carriers and cancers of our day spreading misinformation and mental contamination that brings wreckage to marriages, careers, finances, and people's dreams. If you don't have my Rules of Success program, that comes on DVD or CD, this is a tremendous tool for making sure you always can maintain a positive mental attitude throughout the close. The people that you work with, managers, salespeople, other employees, the receptionist, anybody in your organization that has any kind of negativity going on, handle them as they are carriers, much like they would be of the flu or cold or a venereal disease. You don't want it, right? Good. Then tell them to knock it off. And I would encourage you to do the same thing with newspapers and television and radio. Knock it off. It's killing you. You have to maintain an attitude of agreement. And if you have anyone negative in your environment, you might want to let them just, you know, maybe stop this piece, rewind it, and have them listen to it. Because you need to either handle them or you need to get away from them. Because either way, they're going to affect you. You're going to either affect them positively and have them handle themselves and clean up their act and clean up their head and clean up their actions. Or, hey... Get them out of your environment so you don't get sick like they are. Rule number 12, always maintain a positive demeanor no matter the response from your prospect or for that fact from management that is on your side. You understand what I'm saying? You got a prospect being negative. You got maybe management being negative. It is critical as stated above that you maintain an attitude of being positive no matter how your prospect no matter how ridiculous that prospect is or their offer may be. Keep it light, stay positive, maintain a positive professional can-do attitude regardless and throughout the entire negotiations. In my marriage, my wife and I do everything we can daily to keep 
our life light and easy, fun and flowing, so we can excel in our marriage and in our lives. We effort to do the same thing in our offices, regardless of the results, so as to keep things positive, upbeat, even game-like. It is said you can't always control what is happening to you, but you can control how you respond to it. When you're closing a deal, it is critical that you control your attitude regardless of your prospect's attitude. When you go negative due to the buyer or prospect being negative, there's only one outcome, A, and it's not positive. When they're negative and you stay positive, it only makes you look that much better and more attractive. When they become insane and emotional and you're rational and logical and positive, it makes you look even more sane. When they're, the world's going crazy and you're the only sane person, you become the leader automatically and people will do and go where you say to, you know, what to do and go. Negativity always gives into positive always, as long as you're more positive than they are negative. Now, this, this thing, this attitude thing, has to be practiced. And it needs to be practiced not just by the new person, the rookie, by the, you know, the guy that's been around two or three or four years, but needs to be practiced as well by seasoned people. A word of caution to the most successful and seasoned professionals listening to this program. You of all the groups that listen to this program, you must practice this more than any other group. Due to your years of experience, your many years of experience and your hardening, you can come off to your clients or prospects or buyers or pro- whatever you want to call them. You can come off as a bit intolerant and arrogant in your responses. Be careful, old pro, not to rest on your past successes as that it will cost you future sales. One great book says, the meek will inherit the earth. And I say, those that can stay positive no matter what is happening around them will inherit the treasures of the earth. Rule number 13, always smile no matter the outcome. Always smile no matter the response or the objection or regardless of the communications. This is not just about being positive now. This is taking it to what your, your, your physical manifestations. You have to practice this until you're able to genuinely smile regardless of the situation. The six-month-old child seems to do this naturally and melts everyone in her path. Walk around and see how children smile, and you will see the financial value that awaits you by rehabilitating your ability to build a smile throughout the close. Now, for the next week, I'm going to give you a little challenge. For the next week, practice smiling with everyone in every situation you encounter, including arguments, disagreements, when you don't get your way, and every time you perceive poor service. I want you to smile. Every time you don't, you get in an argument, I want you to smile. Every time you get a disagreement, I want you to smile when you don't get your way, and I want you to smile when you don't get good service. I want you to smile big, and I want you to smile always. Do this until you're able to argue with a smile. Disagree with a smile. Negotiate with a smile. Overcome objections with a smile, and close with a smile. Until you do that, you will never be the master of your profession. Smile always. Smile in every situation. You know, have you ever noticed that very successful people smile all the time? It's not because they're successful that they are smiling. It's how they got successful. Don't you get it? You're like, oh yeah, I could smile too if I had his money. Dude, he was smiling before he had the money. This is that million dollar tip smile, okay? This is the guy smiling. That's why people do good things. You ever seen an ugly guy with a beautiful woman? It's because he had a good attitude. It's not because he was pretty. Rule number 14. Always treat the buyer, the prospect, 
the person across from you, always treat them like they can. I have always said, if you treat someone like they have money, they will act like they have money. You understand? If I treat somebody like they have money, they'll act like they have money. They'll even act with regards to money with money they don't have. If you treat someone in a certain manner, they will respond in that manner. Treat me like I won't buy, and I assure you, I will not buy. All your words, responses, actions, facial expressions, your handling objections need to communicate that you're treating the person across from you as though they are someone that will do something, that is going to say yes, that will ultimately go along with your proposal. Treat them like they're going to play and they will play. In my first book, Sell to Survive, I told a story about how I hooked my wife. I used this exact premise whereby I always treat her like she would be my girl. I never stopped acting in such a manner regardless of how she treated me. I'm going to tell you, she didn't treat me so good the first 13 months. Even when it wasn't positive, I maintained she will. Even today when she gets mad at me, I treat her as though she loves me, admires me, and as though I can do no wrong in her eyes. Sooner and sometimes later... I close her on this. Your buyer, your prospect will become whatever you believe about them every time. Treat them like they will play no matter what. Rule number 15. Always acknowledge the offer. Always acknowledge the buyer for any offer they make and every communication they make. Regardless of what the buyer offers in the negotiations, even if it's absolutely not acceptable, Take the time to acknowledge them for that offer. They make you an offer. You know it's not acceptable. Thank you very much for that. I want to congratulate you. That is a, you know, I really appreciate your time to make that offer. See, the wannabe closer doesn't take the time to acknowledge the prospect. They don't take the time to acknowledge the offer because they're so intent on selling their proposal and then fail to acknowledge what was even offered in the first place. Because once somebody offers something, at least you got them moving in the right direction. When you don't take the time to acknowledge... You only make the matters worse for yourself as your prospect becomes more solid about what they just offered as they didn't get acknowledged. See, if somebody says, hey, man, Grant, I'm really mad at you, and I just completely disregard they say that, what do you think they're going to do next time? They're going to get more solid, and they're going to say, hey, I told you, I'm really mad at you. And if I keep not acknowledging them, they're going to keep raising their voice until I hear them. Take the time to say Every offer, regardless of what it is, how ridiculous it is, how crazy it is, how stupid it is, regardless, acknowledge. I appreciate you for making that suggestion and then move back into your proposal. So always acknowledge. Rule number 16, always agree with the buyer. Always, 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 always agree with the buyer and never, ever disagree. This is one of the most absolute truths when negotiating. If violated, it will crush you. Always agree with your prospect, no matter what they say. That is completely different than the old saying, the customer is always right. Not true. The customer is not always right. I don't believe this to be true, but rather this old saying has gotten confused with, hey, look, just be agreeable. Always agree with them. Whether the buyer, the prospect, the person across from you, your husband, your wife, your friends, your relatives, whoever it is, the insane guy on the street corner, whether they're right or wrong is not the issue. If you want to resolve conflict, if you want to resolve disagreement, it only requires you to agree with the other person's point of view so that you can actually handle the disagreement. 
Because the moment I say, yeah, I agree with you, they're going to be like, even if they're insane, right? They're going to be like, you do? Yeah, really? See, what do I have? I, we, we have some commonality now. We have some communication. For a disagreement to exist, it requires two sides. Once one side agrees with the other side, the other view, the disagreement's over. Disagreement only results in not closing deals. You got to be willing to lose the battle in order to win the war. Be willing to agree with the disagreement in order to move forward to the close. Rule number 17, always look for a solution. Look, the world is filled with can't-do people. And like negative people, there is no shortage, okay? The world is filled with these can't-do people, and then there's the handful of can-do people. The six billion people on planet Earth, I mean, if there's if there's 1% of can-do people, can-do, will-do, no problem, you got it, positive, excellent, super, I can figure it out, leave it with me. If there's 1% of the planet, I mean, you got to tell me where the valuable is, in the shortage or the oversupply. Those that can-do, do. Those that can't-do, don't do anything except keep telling others that they can't do something. See, no one cares what you can't do. They only care what you can do and how it can be done, and how you can meet their specifications, and how you can solve their problems, and how you can offer their service. Nobody cares what you can't do. No, they don't even hear about it. Hey, man, I need my room upgraded to a suite. Can't do it, sir. I don't care what you can't do. Show me how you can do it. You understand? Hey, I need this audio program fixed. Grant, we can't do that. I don't care. I need this plumbing fixed. I don't. I can't do that, Grant. I don't care what you can't do. I, I want to go to the moon. Oh, we'll never be able to do that. Come on can-do attitude. This attitude is about attitude and mental conditioning so that you can always keep moving forward and not hold up, grind out, you know, swamp your negotiations. You got to find a way, figure a way out. You got to have that attitude to look for solutions. Now, we're not attempting space travel here, folks. We're trying to close a deal. There's nothing ever been offered me that I couldn't figure some way to close it, particularly if I had the attitude that I could figure a way to close it. I need to come up with an earthly solution of how it can work and ask them to participate in finding a solution. Sometimes it requires you to be very, very creative in your thinking. But this goes back to being committed. If you're committed, you get creative. If you're committed to going to another planet, then we'll figure out space travel. See, there has to be a way. Let's figure this thing out together would be your terminology. There has to be a way. Let's figure this thing out together. Some great lines you can depend on are always... Hey, how can we make this work? What can you do to help me make this go right? Sir, help me help me out here. I'm doing everything I can to make it work for both of us. See, people appreciate those that don't quit, and they appreciate those that always look for a solution. Note, if the people you are closing aren't offering you a job, it's because you're not using the information in this audio program. So one great indicator is... Boy, man, you're good, man. Hey, you want to come work for me? When people start offering you jobs, that is a good indicator that you're truly becoming a great closer. Okay, rule number 18. Care so much that you refuse to not close. Now, this goes beyond selling and is more on the line of purpose that we talked about earlier with the charity or fundraiser. An individual reaches incredible heights in their life if what they are doing lines up with their true purpose. That is why you see mission workers, charity workers going at it day and night, endless to make a difference. 
you know, you see the husband and the wife or the boyfriend and the girlfriend go out to South America, run a charity. They're there for three months, sleeping in a tent, no air conditioning, getting all kind of infections. Why? Because their purpose is so big. See, this is missing in most salespeople. Truth is, it's missing in career people, missing in business people, bankers, real estate agents across the board. It's missing. This idea of purpose is missing, particularly in sales and negotiations, closers, as most people don't correctly and completely align themselves with selling a product and closing a sale with some higher purpose. At the end of the day, your true purpose will carry you through. An employee of mine watched me handle a customer over the phone one day out of my office in Los Angeles. And when the call was over, he stated, man, the difference between your call and my call is the amount of care that you communicate and your desire to help his people. It is not how much you want their money or even the clothes, but how much you care and how much you want to help another that ultimately will get you what you want in life. Care more and you will close more. Rule number 19, use the full arsenal of closes. Never depend or get comfortable with one or two or three or four. Get well-versed in all the closes. I have stated this earlier. It is critical that you don't get familiar or comfortable with only a few of these, but prepare yourself to be able to use all of them. Certainly, you will find your favorites. That will be the first ones you'll gravitate to. Actually, what you'll gravitate to are the ones you maybe are familiar with or you know or you heard something similar of. You will find those and, oh, those are the easiest for me to remember. You know why? Because you already agree with them. I want you to go grab the rest of them and take time with those. You'll find your favorites and those that somehow make the most sense to you, you'll move towards. But I want you, again, to take time to get familiar with and be able to use all of them as one day soon. You will need them all. It's like a hammer. A hammer is always looking for a nail, right? If you're a screwdriver, you're always looking for a screw. You know why? Because that's the purpose of the screwdriver. If you're a closer and you know all these closes, all of them, you will actually start setting up scenarios to where you can use that close. So get familiar with all of them. Rule number 20. Always know that you don't truly provide a service until you close. This is critical. Selling, presenting, demonstrating, promoting, marketing, building trust, making friends. Look, they're all commendable. They're admirable, maybe, but they don't close deals. Breathing and eating are important, but ultimately, it's not the eating and the breathing that you want to do. It's the living you want to do. You get it? Making a friend is not the deal. Building trust is not the deal. Selling, presenting, demonstrating, promoting, that's not the deal. Closing the deal is the deal. If I could live without eating, I would do it absolutely. It'd be good for most of the planet to give up half the eating they're doing. I want to close the deal is the point. You get it? The same with selling and closing as eating, breathing, and living. It's the living you want to do. It's the closing you want to do. Certainly, I have to sell. Closing allows you and your company to expand. What's the benefits of closing? We close more deals. We close 20% more deals. What happens to your company? It can expand. It has bigger budgets for advertising. It can get new products. It can do more research and development. All the things that closing does for a company benefits the company. It benefits you. All the things that took place prior to the close were necessary to get the close, but they won't allow for survival and expansion. Close the deal. Be willing to do whatever it takes to close the deal. And know that only until you actually get that critical exchange point that we talked about earlier, only when you get that, the close, do you provide real value. Look, I've been studying selling, negotiating, closing for over 25 years. 
and I do consider myself an expert in this sector. This program is made possible because of thousands of hours of research I have done in this area. It is also possible because of the many sales greats that I took the time to study over these years that have gone before me, that did programs just like this, that I'm able to do this program. These people greatly assisted me, some positive, some negative. These people assisted me, though, in my sales education, in my sales career, and in the development of this program. While the majority of these closes are original to me, many of them are the result of contributions over my years of studying from others like Zig Ziglar and Tom Hopkins and Jackie Cooper, Brian Tracy, and many, many others, just to mention a few. This arsenal of techniques, the Closer's Almanac, is presented in no particular order. So don't assume that the first one is more important than the 99th one, because the first one doesn't have any more value than those that follow it. They all have value when used at the appropriate time in concert with others. I have been in situations where it would have appeared that my first five attempts failed, yet later discovered the first five attempts only prepared the client to be closed on the sixth attempt. I would never suggest to anyone that one close will get the job done, but I also would not suggest that you cannot close in the first attempt. It has only been my experience over 25 years that this is an exceptional situation. If they closed on the first event or the first attempt, that would only be something you should be grateful for. It should not be expected as the norm, but it also should not be excluded as a possibility. You will also notice that each of the many closes included has a list of other closes that you might want to use with or might be compatible or that are similar. Again, none of these techniques are any more valuable than another, but all are to be used in concert with one another, which will create the effect you desire. You will become most effective when you become familiar with them all. You will become unstoppable when each of them and all of them become something you no longer think with, but just deliver. Beware of becoming comfortable with just a few, because you would defeat the purpose of having an arsenal. Learn them all, and then learn how to tell a story around them, one after the other, weaving the story, and you will be rewarded the status of master closer. The more a salesperson understands this thing called the close, the more he will reach to sell others. The more he will prospect, the more professional and believable he will appear to his client, and the more he will be rewarded. It is this thing called the close that defeats more people than anything else, and it should not have to defeat you. This thing called the close is needed by every human being on this planet, regardless of your career, your title, your post, your job, your purpose, or what you do. You need to learn how to get final exchange from others so they close on your ideas. Closing the deal is vital to a salesperson's survival. And without a wide and varying range of techniques and a complete understanding and the ability to deliver each one of these, you will never reach your financial goals. But armed up with a complete arsenal, confident in how to use them, the ability to communicate them clearly, a persistence muscle that can stay in and keep using, you can get anything you want on this planet. Remember, dreams only become reality when someone closed others on that dream. So get prepared for an arsenal of closes. The Delivery Close so when would you want to take delivery or have your new whatever installed right away, this afternoon, or tomorrow morning around 11? 
This thing called the delivery close assumes ownership, offers options to say yes to. This is one of the most powerful and overlooked closes there is. It's very, very simple. You never want to ask, what do you think, or open-ended questions you don't know the answer to. Always assign ownership by using the word your. Again, when would you want to take delivery of your new or have your new whatever installed? Right away, come back this afternoon, or tomorrow morning around 11 o'clock. If it's something you're delivering, hey, when do you want to take delivery? I can have it installed right away. You want to do it this afternoon, right away, or tomorrow morning around 11 o'clock. Always assume ownership. It's called the delivery close. The check close. Would there be any other changes or additions you'd want me to make to your new before we come to an agreement on the figures? Now, this thing called the check close assumes ownership. It avoids rejection. It creates an opportunity to close based on changes and additions rather than the purchase that your buyer may be interested in. Maybe they have their attention on something that needs to be changed, added, or amended to your proposal. So here it is again, the check close. Would there be any other changes or additions you'd want me to make to your new before we come to an agreement on the figures? Scale from 1 to 10 close. On a scale from 1 to 10, how would you rate your new? Wait for an answer. Okay, so on a scale from 1 to 10, how would you rate your new, whatever the product is? What would make it a 10? So once you get the answer, hey, it's a 7, what would make it a 10? Once they say, look, I need this, this, and this, great. Let me get that handled, sign here and here. So if there's things you need to add or change, add those things, the changes, the cost of that, and then go for the close. This is a killer close. It gets you some sense of how sold the buyer is and what would it take to make this product or this proposal perfect. Note, just because the buyer or the prospect says it's a seven does not mean they won't say yes to this agreement as a seven, as they may be satisfied with a seven. You can also use this when finding out about the product he is using now. So you could ask him, hey, how would you rate the product you have now on a scale from one to 10? Great. What changes would you need to make to make that a 10 so it's going to better identify the proposal or presentation you need to make? This is great for any consumer or service sale and especially for realtors trying to get a listing on a home. Payment close. If the payments aren't agreeable, we wouldn't expect you to buy the product. I am confident that our local lender can provide you with alternatives that will make your monthly investments agreeable and affordable. See, most products today are bought on payment and should be sold on payment. I don't care what you're selling, houses, cars, equipment, large contracts, lease terms, you should be selling to a payment. This fact is missed by many industries, including insurance, investments, furniture, retail sales, real estate, annuities, the whole gamut. Why sell the price when you know it's going on credit cards or the buyer is going to be making installments? This is a great close when the buyer becomes payment concern, hangs up their ability to pay monthly, and avoids resting the deal just on payments. So again, payment close. If the payments aren't agreeable, because that's their concern, we wouldn't expect you to purchase the product. I am confident that our local lenders, of which we have many, can provide you with alternatives that will make your monthly investments agreeable and affordable, sign here and here. Payments to figures close. When the buyer says, what are the payments going to be? Sir, until you and I come to an agreement on the price, the product, and the terms, you will not need to concern yourself with payments as there won't be any. I need your initials here, here, and here. Now, you're looking for 
approval of price, product, terms, anything else other than the payments. So this is called payments to figures. You're trying to move off of payments in this case back to the figures to get agreement on the major points of the proposal. Until you and I come to an agreement on the price, this is when they're saying, what are the payments going to be? Until you and I come to an agreement on the price, the product, the terms, you don't really need to concern yourself with payments is there won't be any. I need your initials here, here, and here. Now, this is opposite of the close that preceded it, which was the payment close, where the buyer wants to move to payment and still has a disagreement about the price. This avoids closing on payments. For those of you who want to do that, management might say, no, 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 focus on the figures. Let's let the payments take care of themselves with the lender. Beware of the buyer who continues to move the target on you from price to payments to terms to conditions to equipment to whatever amendments. Beware this buyer as he continues to move the target, giving you too many things to handle so that you can actually never close that that, uh, opportunity. So this is called payments to figures close. This is called a rate close. This is for the buyer asking you what are the current rates Okay, and in a situation where you're not sure you can't nail that down yet, you want to use what's called the rate close. We use every lender in the state, including every credit union. Who do you currently use? Wait for an answer. We have access to them as well. That's great. There are a couple people in town that are cheaper than your lender at this current time. Sign here and here, and I will provide you with all the options. Worst case is we use your present lender. See, this particular close is when you don't want to quote rates, maybe because they're changing so fast or so often, or you're not quite sure in this moment. They will change. Trust me, rates change every hour. This will negatively impact your credibility if you quote something and it can't deliver. And then we'll later give the buyer or prospect a reason to bail. You have to be positive about your ability to get lending in every situation and every deal. It is your responsibility to handle this so you can get a close on the terms, the price, the amendment. You're trying to move the deal forward, okay? Automobile dealers are exceptional at this, but most other industries drop their responsibility around rates, payments, uh, and terms from lenders and think, you know, just closing the deal will get the deal. That's not true. You have to take responsibility, increase your responsibility about actually getting the money. In this case, the money is the exchange. So this is called the rates close. We use every lender in the state, positive attitude, every, including every credit union. Who do you use? We have access to them as well. That's great. There are only a couple of people in town cheaper than your lender. Sign right here. Sign here. I'll look at all the options. We'll provide them. The worst case is you go to your present lender. Great close. Equipment close. Assuming we can get all the items you told me you wanted and have to have, and we have the product delivered as you requested, I would need your okay here, here, and here where I noted the changes. Now, this gets the focus off the request of changes and back onto the close. See, again, your buyer prospects, some of them very professional, know to keep adding things. So you want to nail things down. Ask for the agreement on the figures, assuming you get all the other changes handled. And this does not mean you have to include or give those changes away. So equipment close. Hey, assuming I can get that added, assuming I can change that, assuming I can get this done, assuming I can do all the things you told me you wanted and have the product delivered as you requested, I need your okay here and here where I noted the changes. Get the close. Title and registration close. One of my absolute favorite closes. Very simple. Assumes ownership. Whose name will we be registering your new product in? Your name, your wife's name, the company's name, or both? 
See, this doesn't ask for an agreement. This doesn't ask, will you do it? This doesn't ask when you want to do it. This says, whose name do you want to put it in? It assumes ownership. Probably the most powerful assumption close of all, you look the buyer dead in the eye, ask for the close. I know I'm going to use this. Personally, I will use this on almost every deal. So title and registration close. Whose name will we be registering your new product in? Always calling it your new product. Your name, your wife's name, the company's name are all three, or in this case, all four. Paperwork close. So whose name will we be doing the paperwork in? Your name, your company's name, or both? This is very similar to the title and registration close. Assumes ownership, calls it your product, paperwork close. Whose name will we be doing the paperwork in? Your name, your company's name, or both? This is similar as the earlier title and registration close. See, as there's paperwork on every transaction done, everybody that's listening to this has got a transactional paperwork process. So no matter what you sell, you're going to be asking a question like, whose name or how do you want this titled? Very similar closes. Wording's a little different. You could even use this paperwork close as a trial close earlier on to determine whether or not you're with the actual decision maker or the actual ownership or whoever's going to sign this documentation to finalize the deal. Spouse stall close number one. The buyer says, I need to talk to my spouse. What if your spouse says no? See, what you want to deal with here is worst case scenario. Now, there's only two answers to this question. What if your spouse says no? A, he won't or she won't, or B, we won't buy. So let's handle one at a time. What if your spouse says no? A, he won't say no. Grant, I know my husband. He's not going to say no. Then I need your okay here and here. Now that, believe it or not, will happen more often than you think. Okay? Grant, my husband never says no to me. Good, then I need your okay here and here and go back for the close. Do not ask questions like, what is he going to say no to or what's the problem? You're creating objections you don't need to deal with. John, what if your spouse says no? She's not going to say no to me, Grant. Good, then I need your okay here and here. Great close. Or, Grant, if he or she says no, we won't buy. Then you want to ask this question. Would he or she say no to the product or to the money? If she says no to the money, you say, what about the money? Is it the price, the down payment, the monthly payment? What is it? So you determine what the actual objection that they think the husband or wife would say no to. Now, being that they haven't seen the money, whose objection are you really hearing? Grant, he's, he's going to say no to the down payment. Oh, who's, who's really objecting to the down payment? It's the person in front of you. You're basically using the spouse that's not there to determine what the real complaint or objection is. So... We won't buy the car, Grant, if my husband says no. Would he say no to the product or no to the money? If it's money, what are you going to say? What about the money? The down payment? The monthly payment? The price? The terms? The rate? What is it? If he or she says he's going to say no to the product, what do you suggest then? Well, he wants a truck. I want a car. He wants a, a double side, a, a stainless steel, and I want a wood. You know, whatever the deal is, you're going to find out what the problem is right now. Understand that the spouse is not there. So whatever they answer, product or money, you're dealing with their objection, not the spouse's. While people consult their spouses for many decisions today, many spouses still decide without checking in with the spouse. This is used by the individual customer or person you're proposing to as a stall tactic more often than as a valid objection. Note also that more women will buy without their husbands today than men will buy without their wives. 
Check for this to be a valid objection with the spouse stall close one. Also, you're able to flush the actual objection by asking, what would your spouse say no to, the product or the money? Great close. Learn it. You'll use it all the time. Spouse stall close number two. Grant, I need to talk to my spouse. Now, this is after you've presented, you're in the close, you gave the presentation. Grant, I need to talk to my spouse. I agree, and you should talk to your spouse. But if your wife or your husband is anything like mine, she never tells me no when I love something. Never. Never happens. Okay? And I never tell her no when she loves something. So I need your approval here, here, and here. Let me get this ready for you. Now, this has to be used with confidence, speed, and strength. You validate and acknowledge the objection. I need to talk to my spouse. You look up, smile, and tell your story. I agree, and you should. But if your wife is anything like my wife, she never tells me no when I love something, when I'm sure about something. She just doesn't do it. And the truth is, I never tell her no when she wants something. I need your approval here, here, and here, and let's do this. Now, this could get you in a situation where your buyer, prospect, says, well, I wish I was married to your wife because mine, when she says no, that's the way it is. Then you'd have to resort back to number one. Would your wife say no to the product or no to the price? So that's why you have to know all these closes, not one or the other. Don't depend on one. Know them all. Know them well and be able to weave them. Spouse stall close number three. I need to talk to my spouse. I'm with you, sir, and I totally, absolutely understand. But let me say this. It's better to ask for forgiveness than it is to ask for permission. So let's get you going right away. Sign here and here. Now, try this, and you will start relying on it. Master closers only should use this. I mean, you got to have some confidence to use this. Don't be weak. You got to go for it. You got to go for it with confidence. You got to put fear aside. You have nothing to lose. Smile before you say the first word and deliver. Better to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission. Let's get this going right away. Sign here and here. Spouse stall close number four. Buyer says, I need to talk to my wife. Sir, if you're anything like me, and I think you are, I talk to my wife about everything. Yeah, Grant, we talk about everything. Good. Then she already knows you're here. She already knows you're looking. You wouldn't have left the house without her knowing it. Just, I never leave the house. I never go looking. I've always talked to everything about my spouse before I ever do anything. So look, she already knows you're doing this. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, we've talked about it. See, many times when this person says, I need to talk to my spouse, it's not true. They've already talked to their spouse. Anybody that needs to talk to their spouse about everything has probably already talked to their spouse about everything, including their visit over to you or their consideration of this product or the product they're looking at. He says, Grant, I need to talk to my CFO, right? Great, sir. If you're anything like me, my CFO, CFO and I talk about everything. In fact, my CFO would already know that I'm out doing this. Does your CFO already know you're here? Well, yeah, yeah, we talked about it. Great. He knows you're looking at this product. He knows you're considering this. He knows the company needs it. Let's do this. So what you're going to do with this close, spouse stall close number four, is you're going to use this to basically sift through these invalid objections that are basically just stalls. Great close. Practice it for masters. Unavailable party close. So the buyer agrees to ownership at figures and conditions spelled out. Delivery is subject to so-and-so's approval. Is that fair? So you follow what I'm doing here? This is called the unavailable party close. When you don't have the party you need, maybe it's a CFO or it's a finance person or it's the spouse or whoever. 
Great. So the buyer agrees to ownership and figures and conditions spelled out. Delivery of the product itself is subject only to so-and-so's approval. Is that fair? Now, this should be used as a last resort for an unavailable party and only after the spouse or boss stalls are used. Short cutters will abuse this and lose deals, so be careful. Unavailable party close. Buyer agrees to ownership at figures and conditions spelled out. You'll write that on the worksheet of the invoice. Delivery is subject only to whoever the person's name is, approval. Is that fair? If they won't close on that, you're getting a stall, you don't have a valid objection, and you probably don't have a third party that really needs to be involved that you're being told. Unavailable party close number two. Now, does your spouse approve of your present situation and the cost of it? You could say the CFO, whoever's involved, whoever this unavailable party is. Does this person approve of your present situation and the cost of it? Look, if nothing changes except for the fact that your situation is improved, certainly he or she would support you in improving your situation. Alternative to the above or earlier unavailable party close, this tests the validity again of the objection. Too many deals are lost trying to get the spouse or the third party in. Time is then wasted when it's not even valid. You're getting jacked. You're getting hijacked. You're getting literally stalled and not into a deal because they're going to say, well, I got to talk to so-and-so. They'll always have a third party to pop up. So you're going to say what? Unavailable party close number two. Does this person approve of your present situation? and the cost incurred with your present situation. You're looking for a yes here, right? Look, if nothing changes except for the fact that your situation would be improved, the company's situation would be improved, their situation would be improved, certainly they would support you improving the conditions in the situation. Let's do this and go for the close. Insurance close. Who will you be insuring your new product with? Great, what's his number? I'll call and get coverage transferred so your insurance takes place before you leave. Now, this close is very aggressive. It's a very, very simple close, but you got to go into it really with your head around commitment and knowing that you're getting an agreement and a high level of assumption that we got a deal here, we're doing a deal. So you're sitting down, they're buying whatever it is. They could be buying a $50 product to a $50 million product. There's going to be insurance on most products purchased today because people want protection. So you're going to say, hey, by the way, who will you be insuring your new whatever with? Great. What's that phone number? Who's the insurance? What's the address of the insurance company? What's their number? I'll call them and I'll get your coverage transferred so that you're insured when you leave today. Again, this is done before you ever get involved with numbers. It's very aggressive. It can be used only by very confident closers like you. And you're not going to know how well this works until you actually use it. It's called the insurance close. Second party assist close. Now, this is when you're dealing with a second party. You're having to deal with a buyer and like the maven or the coach, the third baseman, the second baseman, whatever you want to call them, right? This is a second party that's going to give their, you know, severe intelligence to the whole purchase, but not be financially involved. Second party assist close. So you're going to look at the second party, not the decision maker now, but the second party. John, at this figure, considering what you know about the product, knowing your brother as you know your brother, what advice would you give him about the purchase of this product and the fairness of the figures? What are you doing here? You're flushing out the second party. 
you know, the maven, this guy that's going to give the professional advice but probably knows very little about anything, but he's got to look good. So you don't want to neglect other people who may appear to be involved in the actual purchasing. But if not involved in the conversation, they'll certainly waste your deal behind your back. You understand what I'm saying? They're going to kill your deal later. So to prevent them possibly killing the deal and contaminating or putting poison into the deal, you have to get them involved and verbal and communicating with you. The buyer obviously values their opinion more than yours. They brought them with. So use them. Use this second party to assist you in actually closing the product or at least to find out any considerations that they may later share with this person that would influence their decision. Second party assist close lethal. So, John, at this figure, considering what you know about the product, knowing your brother as you know your brother, what advice would you give him about the purchase of this product, the decision to buy this product, and the fairness of the figures? Flush any verbal out from the second party. Great close. Second basement close. Very similar to the second party assist close. Here we're going to, again, use the second baseman, the third baseman, the maven, whatever you call it. We just label this the second baseman close, and it goes like this. Will you be helping with the price, the down payment, the monthly payment, the paperwork, or all of the above? This is similar to that second party assist close, but it directly asks the second party or the other party to get involved financially. You will never have a problem with this advisor ever again, and it may even cause them to step up and get involved financially. Second baseman close, number one. Will you be helping with the price, the down payment, the monthly payment, the paperwork, or all of the above? Okay, great close. You got to be courageous with all these closes, folks, and you got to be committed to the close to use any of them. Okay, great close. Second baseman close. Number two, did you want me to work it out so that it's affordable using the monies that he or she has a loan, or did you plan on getting financially involved as well? As with all the closes, use courtesy, use respect, use a positive attitude, be interested in everyone involved, okay, even if they're a bit adversarial, and only after you had this second party involved in the sale and the presentation and the demonstration of the product itself, showing that you do welcome their involvement. So you want to welcome these second parties, these advisor types, okay? So when you get to the close, though, you're going to look at the second baseman in second baseman close number two. Let me ask you, did you want to work it out? Do you want me to work this out so that it's affordable using the monies that he or she has alone? Or did you plan on getting financially involved as well to make this work for them? Okay, learn these three assist closes where you're getting third parties to assist you in the close itself. Second basement close one, second basement close two, and second party assist close. Great closes. Immediate delivery close. So if there aren't any objections or reasons for not moving forward with your new immediately, I will then need your okay here and here. So this is when you're just going to move for immediate delivery. If there aren't any objections or reasons for not moving forward with your new product, immediately I will need your okay here and here. You want to look them in the eyes when you use this close, pass the pen, point to the place where you want them to sign, and close the deal. You're asking for an immediate delivery. You're putting speed into your close and your process. This requires, again, confidence. If there aren't any objections, if there aren't any reasons for not moving forward with your new product, immediately, then I'll need you okay here and here. You're actually asking. If there's no objections, let's roll. If there's any no reasons, let's roll. If there are, they're going to come out right now. Great close, learn it, and use it every day. 
agreement close number one. Now, these closes I'm about to give you are sick, okay? They're absolutely incredible closes. And the first time you're hearing, you're going to be like, I don't know, man. I don't know if I can use that. Just trust me. Use the closes. They're going to work for you. And you're not going to depend on one anyway. It's called the agreement close number one. I agree it's a lot of money. Their objection is money, price, terms, whatever. I agree that it's a lot. I agree that the terms are. I agree that the payments are high. Whatever the deal is, I agree it's a lot of money. I need your okay here and here. Now, what just happened? You agreed, but you didn't fix it. See, you're handling the complaint, not the objection. I agree it's a lot of money. Most of the people buying from you knew it was a lot of money before they came there. Let's say you're selling a suit. The suit's $2,500. Man, that's a lot of money for a suit. The guy knew that. He came in asking for the label, knew he wanted a certain material. This is not the first time he's shopped for that suit. He's looking at a car. He's looking at appliances. He's looking at tile for his house. He's looking at a house. Man, that's a lot of money. Yes, sir, I agree with you. It's a lot of money. I need your okay here and here. Let's do this. Agreeing first is one of the first rules of selling, and it must be used as one of the first, number one, first rules in negotiating. This is power selling at its best. What you're doing here is acknowledging the objection, but giving it no value and closing through and over it as though it is not an objection, but just a complaint. It is one of my simple favorites The agreement closed, number one. I agree it's a lot of money. Try this out. I agree it's a lot of money. I need your okay here and here. Agreement closed, number two. Hey, I agree it's a lot of money, and I expect that you knew that it was a lot of money before you even came here. Now, I need your okay here and here. See, most people, again, know the amount or portion of it, at least a portion of the amount it was before they made their call, walked in, or looked at the product. No one says, I love the price. It's not going to happen. They all complain before they get the close. So agree, 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 and get the close. Let's say you're raising money for a charity. Man, that's a lot of money, Grant. That's a lot of money. They didn't say they didn't have it. They said it was a lot of money. Hey, I agree it's a lot of money. And I expect that you knew it was a lot of money was needed for this particular fundraiser before you even came here. Come on, I need your help here. I need your okay here. Let's do this. Man, Grant, that's a lot of money for a house. Hey, I agree it's a lot of money. And I expect you knew it was a lot of money before you came here. I need your okay here and here. Let's do this. So I want you to try that out. Agreement close number two. I agree it's a lot of money. And I expect you knew that before you got here. I need your okay here and here. Agreement close number three. I agree... And everyone that has ever bought this product, everyone that has ever made this investment has said exactly the same thing. Now, I need your approval here and here. This agreement closed number three. You're using the agreement, and then you tell them that everyone else reached the same conclusion that they had. Everyone else had a similar reaction, and everyone else still bought the product. This is a discounting of the response as an objection. See, you're basically discounting. You acknowledge, you agree, you affirm what they said, you got it, but then you basically discount it a bit by assuming it is just a mere complaint. You'll find most objections are not objections. They're just complaints and should be handled as such, and you can still close over. It's almost like a diving board. You know, you use the spring in the diving board to get height. Uh, a wrestler uses the weight of the opponent to pull the opponent towards them. The salesperson, the professional closer, will use the objection or complaint and the weight of that complaint and the spring in the complaint is a way to move forward. Hey, Grandma, that's a lot of money. I agree. And everyone that has ever bought this product has said exactly the same thing. Everyone that's ever made this investment has said exactly the same thing. I need your approval here and here. Let's do this. Won't be the last time close. 
I agree, and this isn't the first time, and it won't be the last time that you spend more money than you expected to spend. I need your okay here and here. Now, this is closing over the objection by treating it as, again, a complaint rather than an objection. Every buyer will relate to this. I guarantee you they're going to relate. They're going to be like, yeah, every time I buy something, I always, I always spend the most money. I, always, I never get the stuff on sale. I never, you know, we always pay more than we should pay. By just acknowledging, I agree, and this isn't the first time, and I know it won't be the last time that you guys spend more money than you expect to spend. I need you okay here and here. So it's called won't be the last time close. Try it now. I agree, and this isn't the first time. It won't be the last time that you spend more money than you expected to spend. I need your okay here and here. Lethal, lethal close. Be grateful close. This is the killer, killer close right here. Sorry to be using so many military terms today. I don't know why I'm thinking like that, but these are just, you know, you need to get excited about your closes, folks. You've got to have these, this arsenal I mean, when I read some of these to you on this audio program, I'm thinking, man, I remember using that and it worked for me so well. Okay, so here, be grateful, close. I agree with you. Now, be grateful that you can invest this much money. Not everyone can do this. There are people out there starving on this planet and you're investing in your wife or your company or yourself, whatever it is. I need your agreement here and here. Now, this is great for high-end products. It's great for big equipment sales. It's great for long-term leases. Anything that's improving a company or an individual, you want to use the Be Grateful close. This is a very, very strong close. It requires tremendous self-esteem and confidence on your part. See, the truth, if you would use the truth in the close, it'll cut through the resistance in people. It'll cut through the objections. It'll cut through the stalls. It'll cut through the complaints. And too few salespeople actually use the hard, cold facts. This particular close works extremely well on those that have more than most, on the well-heeled people. It requires you to be strong. And as the old saying goes, be strong, be bold, and mighty forces will come to your aid. This is one of the master's closes. You want to use it. It's called Be Grateful Close. And it goes like this. I agree with you. Now, be grateful that you can invest this much money. Not everyone can do this. There's people, there's people, entire parts of countries starving on this planet while you are over here investing in yourself or your wife or your company or whatever the case. I need your agreement here and here. Let's do this. Congratulations, close. Hey, I know it's a big investment. And you should congratulate yourself for being able to make an investment of this magnitude. Not everyone can even consider living here or doing this or considering this kind of investment. I need your okay here and here. This close, like many you're being introduced to, uses the weight of the objection or the complaint as the momentum necessary to actually make the close. You want to use the objection rather than overcome it. Okay? So the congratulations close. Man, it's a lot of money, Grant. Man, it's a big investment for my company. I know it's a big investment, and you should congratulate yourself for being able to make an investment of this magnitude. Not everyone can even consider doing this. I need your okay here and here. Do it anyway, close. Now, I'm going to give you this close right now. The first time you hear it, you're going to probably laugh, and you're going to be like, come on, not really. you got to be kidding. This close is unbelievable. It's called do it anyway, close. Hey, I understand it's more money than you had budgeted. Do it anyway. 
I understand the payments are higher than you want them to be. Do it anyway. I understand the price is more than you thought it would be. Do it anyway. I understand this is more than, you know, than your budget will allow you to do. Do it anyway. It's called do it anyway clothes. And while I know that if you have never used some of these clothes, they may seem like almost offensive and too bold and too outrageous. But you will have a different experience once you're using them whereby the buyer starts to respect you for not chasing down every bone or objection they throw at you. How do you think people get over a budget, folks? Look, they do it anyway. How do you think the whole government of the United States is in a deficit? Because they bought the project anyway, because we went to war anyway, because we borrowed more money anyway, because we gave money to countries that couldn't pay us back. So what's the close? Do it anyway close. It's what, you know, 99% of the population on planet Earth and certainly in the United States does every day to get over budget. Do it anyway close. It goes like this. Hey, I understand it's more money than you wanted to spend. I understand the payments are too high. I understand the price is higher than you wanted. I understand all that. I understand it's more money than you budgeted. Do it anyway. You want to shut up right there, and you want to pass the pen and go for the close. Look, if you don't use that close, the buyer is going to use it on themselves. I've actually had clients sit down in my office with me. I make a presentation to them. I'm selling them a big piece of equipment for their company, and the husband looks at the wife, and the wife looks at him. We can't afford this, and the wife tells the husband, hey, let's do it anyway. We need to do it. Boom. I'm like, hey, that's a great close. I need to start using that myself. Disease close. I know you're thinking, disease clothes, come on, man, that's not even right. You're bringing disease into it? That's right. You know why? Because I'm committed to my product. I'm committed to my service. I'm committed to the clothes. So this is a money or price objection, payments, budget, whatever. You could use it on any of these scenarios. Disease clothes. I know it's more than you need, and I know it's more than you want to spend. But look, it's not a disease. It's not like you'll die from it. Let's do this. Sign here and here. Pass the pen and close. Here's the pitch. I know it's more than you need. And frankly, I know it's more than you wanted to spend, but sir, it's not a disease. It's not like you're going to die from it. Let's do this. Sign here, please. Where did you get the audacity to possibly say these kind of things you might be asking? Well, this is the fact. Don't make a bigger deal of objections than they are. Close on the objections. You'll find these are very, very successful ways, and you will later wonder, hey, why wasn't I using this? Oh, I forgot. You were selling back then, and now you're closing. You understand? See, now we're moving you back into a closing position. So when the buyer says to you, or the person, or the board, or whoever you're talking to, man, this is just a lot of money. This is more than we want to spend. I know it's more than you need. I know it's more than you wanted to spend. I know that you're actually making a decision before you planned on it. But it's not a disease. It's not like you're going to die from it. Let's do this. Now, this close is very, very powerful if you just trust yourself with it. How many times have you known a family member that got sick or got a disease or had a problem and they're like, God, you know what? Nothing really matters anymore because now I got cancer or I got this problem. So that's what you want to leverage on right now, okay? The fact that, look, this is not a big deal. It's money. It's a decision. These decisions are nothing compared to terminal illnesses, okay? Disease close. How does it go? I know it's more than you need and I know it's more than you wanted to spend. But look, it's not a disease. It's not like you'll die from it. Let's do this. Stay uptone, stay agreeable, stay positive. This close is great. And I won't say it's sick because this is the disease close. Do it for me close. Sir, if you can't do it for you and you can't do it for your wife, then I'm going to ask you to do it for me. I need your okay here and here. You get it? You're like, oh, no way, man. Come on, you can't even do that. 
Yes, I do. Most people want to help others. Most people want to help you, particularly if you're a likable person. Now, you need to really leverage the likability. You need to ask for help, ask for assistance, and ask them to do it for you. This isn't as crazy as you might think. Do it, and I will prove you wrong. Try this close on your next five or ten customers. When you're in the close and they're like, oh, no, I can't do it. This works perfect after the last one I just gave you. Do it anyway. I can't do it. We can't do it. It's too much money. We can't do it. Hey, sir, if you can't do it for you and you can't do it for your wife and you can't do it for your family, hey, do it for me. If you can't do it for yourself, do it for me. Now, I need your okay here and here. The guy's going to look at you and start laughing. you got to be kidding, man. Before I do it for you, I'm going to do it for me and the wife. Great, sir. Sign right here. You get it? Great close. Use it with courage. Do it for me close. How does it go? Sir, if you can't do it for you and you can't do it for your wife, do it for me. I need you okay here and here. Let's roll. Inventory close. Move down a model. So you're getting some kind of price objection in the close. You want to move the buyer down a model and ask this as a solution. Would you consider the product right under this package, let's say? Let's say there's an A, B, C, D level. Would you consider going from a B to a C? You wouldn't say it like that. You'd say, would you consider the product right under this? This would save you $500, $1,000, maybe $1,500. It would reduce the payments by $12 to $30 per month. Or would you rather get exactly what you want and pay a little more? See, this is done either at the presentation of product. You could do that before you actually present the product to be sure you're on the right product. It could be done right at the write-up to determine if you're on the right product to test as a trial close that you're on the right consideration here. Or you could do this in negotiations when you get some kind of objection to money. And it goes like this. Would you consider the product right under this? Don't just ask a question and not continue. You want to ask the question and continue on. Would you consider the product right underneath this? That would save you $500, $1,000, $1,500 and reduce your payments $12 to $30 a month. Or would you rather get exactly what you want and pay a little more? Okay? So you should always use inventory as a way to solve problems. Always use inventory as a way to negotiate. Always use inventory to negotiate. Don't use money as this is a much more value-added solution and a much better way to negotiate than just reducing price. Reducing price gives no or passes on no value. It also gives your buyer or prospect choices and allows them to save face if he is not able to actually afford the product. It also builds value in the product they finally decide on. So how does it go? Would you consider the product right under this? Rhetorical question requires no answer. That would save you $500, $1,500 and reduce your payments $12 to $30 a month. Or, hey, would you guys rather get exactly what you want and pay a little more? Inventory, close, move up a model. Before I write this up, I want to share with you that if we move up from the 4 gig to the 8 gig or whatever the package is, from this package to that package, we actually move up, it would only be an added cost of X dollars. And with the payment programs, it would only change your payments by a little bit per month. Would you guys consider that? Now, this could, again, be used in the demonstration of product. It could be used at the write-up. It could be used in the negotiations to actually handle the price and the terms. Now, you're saying, Grant, you got an objection over price or terms. Why would you move somebody up a package? One of the great misnomers of salespeople, closers and negotiators, is they always want to move down a package, which is incorrect. I would actually choose to move people up a package as a way to build value 
before I move them down a package. I talked about this in Sell to Survive as being a critical way to negotiate. This move up a model, let's say I'm on a $140,000 machinery purchase, okay? And I get, man, that's a lot of money. Let me ask you something. I, I know you guys are just, you know, looking at all the possibilities today. Is there any chance you'd consider moving up one package? We move up one package with the kind of financing agreements we have in place right now and the lease agreements we have in place right now. We could move up. It's only another $70,000. We move from one forty dollars to two ten, dollars but it would only change your payments by about $345 a month. Would you guys consider that? And they'll be like, well, tell me what's on that package. You see, now you don't have a price objection. You have an inventory objection. Or he says this, didn't you just hear me? I just said it's too much money. I can't go up more money. Well, now what does that do to you? If he says, no, I can't go up, it makes your 140 look good. See, you're actually moving him up to something he won't take as a way to justify what he needs. This is a great close. It is very, very valuable. You're going to use it in many, many situations. Anytime a customer says it's too much, they're saying too much what? Too much money or too much for that product? Too much money, period, or too much for what you're offering me and bringing them up a package helps. Others will think you're crazy, but then the buyer sees that the choice is to spend more money, not less, and the move up may actually validate the product and the price you're on. Great close. Inventory, close, move up a model. So what are you going to say? Before I write this up, I want to share with you. If we move from this package to this package, it would only be an added cost of X. And with the payment programs and the lease programs in place, it would only change your payments a little bit. Would you consider that? Selection alternative close. If the payments are too high, I suggest we go back and consider the model earlier. It won't have the memory that you requested. It won't have all the package and ingredients and things that you said were important, but it would put you in a position to get what you want and you could later upgrade. These inventory and alternative close offers solutions to buyers and makes you look like someone who is trying, someone who is professional and has solutions. See, all buyers should be moved up and down the inventory line by you as they will anyway when they leave you. You understand? If you don't move people up, up, and down in the package line, when they leave you, what are they going to shop? They're going to shop other alternatives. So you want to take advantage. Use your inventory. Quit using your money. It's easier to sell inventory than it is to sell price. This is how people make decisions. They shop, they compare, they evaluate. You know, they do comparables. They're like, okay, this is 210, this is 175, this is 140. Where do I need to be? What can I afford? Where's the real value? The truth is most people buy more than they need, not less than they need. And who's happiest? The people that are the happiest that move all the way up to the package they can't afford. So you're using logic in the clothes here. You're not using emotion. When you use inventory, you're using logic. You're using alternatives to justify and satisfy customers' thinking. This will help you close many more deals. Selection, alternative, close. Okay, look, if the payments are too high or the price is too high, I suggest we go back. We consider the other model that I talked about earlier. It, look, it won't have this, this, and this that you requested, but it would put you in a position to get what you want, and then you can upgrade later. Package alternative close. Okay, there's a package alternative close. We're going to be moving on different packages. If you don't want to go down a model and you won't consider something one year older, why don't we consider moving down just a package? You would only have to give up these two options, but it would save you X and reduce your long-term commitment by the month by this much per month. 
that's called package alternative clothes. See, you always want to show the buyer a way to get what he wants. Always show a solution. Always offer a way out. Always offer a way to satisfy what they want. You may be on the right product right now, but you might be on just a package too much of that right product. It's very similar to earlier closes where we are using models in inventory, but now we're just using the package. Also, this gives the buyer a way to buy something and it gives them a way out in case they truly can't afford it. So, how do you say it? Package alternative clothes. If you don't want to go down a model and won't consider something a little older, why don't we do this? Why don't we move down just one package? You would only be given up these two options. It would save you X, reduce your payments by, and you could come back and add these items later if you chose to. This is called payment breakdown close. Now, you want to refer to this close and all the closes in the book. You want to refer to those during the day so you have these to use when you're closing people because you're obviously not going to go to the audio program and listen to it in the middle of a close. So you want to have these so you can look at it, particularly this close because it has a lot of numbers involved. Payments, breakdown, close. This is when you get the payments are too high as an objection. I have to be under whatever, $500 a month. And then you're going to say, using logic, John, we're already less than 500 a month that you want to pay. See, the package you're buying here before any options is 20000 and that results in a $400 payment. The GPS system that we added to this is $3,000, and that's $60 a month. The sunroof you added to the car is $1,000, and that's $20 a month. The leather is $1,800, that's $36 a month. The taxes are $3,000, that's $60 a month. When you add all this up, it's $576 a month. You want it to be at $500, we're at $400 for the car, 60 for the GPS, 20 for the sunroof, 36 for the leather, 60 for the taxes. So what are you doing here? You're showing the buyer logically that you have satisfied their requirement to be under a certain number. This would work on anything, automobiles, equipment purchases. It would work on uh, computers, any kind of software packages, any kind of TVs, appliances, any of that. It would work on contract material. You want to basically break down the payments and justify logically why you're under their target. Now, we have some options. Once you present this, we have some options. A, we remove the extras and the payments are only 400. That's 100 less than you want to be at. Option B, you pay cash for the extras and the payments are only 460. That's the product you wanted plus the taxes. Or C, get the extras, keep your cash, pay the extra $3 a day and get exactly what you want. Now, personally, I would go option number three and keep my cash. What do you want to do? Look, again, this close is based on pure logic. It can be used daily on any products. Consumer products would be lethal with this. Anytime you have extras or add-ons or options or packages and you got a payment objection. It's called payment breakdown close. You definitely want to refer to the book when using this one. Budget close number one. Grant, we're over budget now. I mean, we can't afford this. So everyone who buys here is over budget, but we all still work it out. We have a support group that meets here on Monday nights over budget, Monday night meetings. I need your approval here and here. Let's do this. Now, look, it's just a budget, folks. Okay, don't make a big deal about it. Also, remember, no one gets over budget because they don't buy things. They get over budget because they do buy things. Anytime somebody tells you they're over budget, what are you looking at? You're talking to somebody that spends money and they go over budget. You understand? The budget is not the obstacle you are. You're buying into the wrong presentation. Grant, we're over budget. Okay, okay, you're over budget. Now, why, how, how does anybody get over budget? Oh, yeah, they say yes too often. 
Now, if I just closed them right now, they'd say yes to me. So close the deal. They came in over budget. Look, they're going to leave over budget. This is America. It's called the budget close number one. Grant, we're over budget now. Please feel sorry for us. Sir, everyone that buys here, everyone that gets this product, everyone, I'm telling you, 99.9% of the people that leave here with our product, okay, are all over budget. And they still work it out. By the way, we have a support group here that meets on Monday nights. We're all over budget. You're certainly welcome to our membership. And you can speak Monday night. I need your approval here and here. Add a little humor. Keep it light. It's no big deal. It's just a budget. Nobody dies about it. You could use the disease clothes with this. So you're over budget. It's not a disease. It's not like you're going to die from it. Okay? You'll find yourself, when you get more familiar, you'll start combining these closes. Okay? For instance, budget clothes number two. And, sir, you can probably say that about your credit cards, your car payments, your insurance, your taxes, your groceries, restaurants, heating bill, Visa, MasterCard, electric bill, your alimony, your child support. I mean, come on. Your house payments, they're all over budget. They're all more than you want them to be. But you still do them every month. I need your okay here and here. Let's do this. Discount the objection, right? Grant, man, we can't do this. It's over budget. Discount it. Treat it like a comment or a complaint and close the deal. Okay, so how does it go? And, sir, you probably say that about your credit cards. That's your Visa, your Master, your American Express, your car payments, your truck payment, your insurance, your taxes, your groceries. The, you know, you eat out at the restaurants. Your grocery bill is too high. That said that. Heating bill, your electric bill, alimony, child support. I mean, come on. They're all more than you want them to be, but you still do it. Now, I need you okay here and here. Let's do this. Learn these closes, folks. You're going to hear companies, individuals, husbands, wives, kids. Everybody's going to say what? I'm over budget. Budget close number three. I understand and expect that this decision will have plenty of company at home and it won't be by itself. What do you mean by that, the buyer says? Sir, you said it's over budget, right? I showed you the payments. The payments are $1,200 a month. You're like, ma'am, Grant, we're over budget. I understand and I would expect that this decision will have plenty of company at home and won't be all by itself. What I mean is this won't be the first purchase that you make that's too much and over your budget. I need your okay here and here. Let's do this. You will have customers cracking up over this response. The truth is so powerful, people actually, like, get relieved on it. See, all people extend themselves for things they really want. You got banks going out of business in this country that extended themselves too much. You got professional investment companies, entire companies, going out of business or on the fringe of going out of business because they don't know when to say no. Budget close number three. I understand, and I would expect that this decision will have plenty of other company and won't be by itself. That is, the payments won't be by itself, or the price won't be by itself. What do you mean by that? This will not be the first purchase or the last that you make that is too much and would be over your budget. I need your okay here and here. Let's do this. Budget close number four. So assuming... You got an objection to payment or price. So assuming, but they're telling you it's over our budget. So assuming your house note, your present car note, your insurance, your utilities, gas, electric, water, cable, groceries, medical, clothes, babysitter, school, entertainment, movies, restaurants, Visa, MasterCard, your alimony, your child support, your retirement contributions, the health club you belong to, and assuming you continue to save money every month and still have room left over in your monthly budget to enjoy your new purchase, you'd have no other reservations, correct? 
Great. Let's go through the list. This is budget close number four. When the buyer says this is over budget, you're going to basically, and you need to know these so you can just pitch, pitch, pitch like I did. House note, present car note, car insurance, utilities, gas, electric, water, life insurance, groceries, medical, clothes, babysitter, school, entertainment, movies, restaurants. You need to pitch this. Know your budget and know their budget so you can go through the whole list of possibilities. You could already have a piece, a budget made out, fill in the spots because you're going to ask. Certainly, if you have no other reservations and we still have room for you to afford this, you would do this. Is that right? Great. Good. Start at the top. What's your house payment? Visa, MasterCard, American Express. Be a professional. If you have to give financial guidance as to how they can do this and you have to be the financial planner that can show them there's room, that's what it takes to close the deal. You need to become a financial planner. And for those of you who say, man, I'm getting too nosy by asking somebody their house payment, what you need to be saying is I don't care enough to close. Learn these closes, folks, so you can have whatever you want in your life and you and your family aren't going over budget. Budget close number five. Now, I've given you five of these budget closes. So what do you think? You think that's important? Sure. If I got five of them, that means you're going to be hitting it all the time. Budget close number five. 90% of the people I work with are over budget when they arrive here. Just because you may have made some decisions in the past that didn't make sense or made some purchases that you really didn't need should not mean that you would penalize yourself today from getting those things that do make sense and that you do need. Let's do this. Now, the U.S. government is trillions of dollars in debt, but it doesn't mean that it quits operating. I'm talking to you now, okay? I'm out of the close. This close is a way to acknowledge that being over budget is not actually a big deal. Don't let the budget be the barrier. Don't let their budget be your excuse not to close. They were over budget before they got here, before they met you. And they will be over budget regardless of what they do today. Don't let the buyer penalize themselves. If you have something they want and they want something you have, just tell them. Budget close number five. 90% of the people I work with, 90% of the people that come here, 90% of the people that consider this product are over budget when they arrive here. Just because you've made some decisions in the past that didn't make sense, or maybe you purchased something that you didn't really need, shouldn't mean that you penalize yourself today from getting the things that do make sense and that you do need. Hey, let's do this. You want to use empathy, understanding, express, you know, that you've made mistakes before and that they have, and you want to basically separate the last purchase or many purchases and the many mistakes and the bad decisions from this one. Okay, you got it? Budget close number five. 90% of the people I work with are over budget when they arrive here. Just because you made some bad decisions in the past, possibly decisions that didn't make sense, and you purchased things that you didn't really need, shouldn't mean you penalize yourself today from getting the things that do make sense and that you do need. Let's do this. Assume zero balance close. This close is going to be used anytime there's debt being carried on, equipment that's being traded, a lease contract that's being, you know, rolled over, a car that's being traded in, a boat that's being gotten rid of. Anytime there's some type of trade in place or some kind of consideration from some earlier purchase involved. So it goes like this. Assume a zero balance. Your payoff has nothing to do with the value of your lease, your car, your boat, or whatever it is you're talking about. For instance, if you owed zero on that product, would you want zero? Of course not. It is worth what it's worth, and it's not going to get any better by waiting. Pay the difference between what it's worth and what you owe, and let's get you in the product you want. Sign here and here. Now you're saying, okay, where am I going to use this? I'm selling a house. 
okay, the guy's got to sell his house. He's going to buy a new house for me. I got him in the new house. He loves it. But he can't sell his old house because he owes too much money on it. That's going on all across America. There's over three, almost three million homes that could go into foreclosure this year in this country. So if you're a real estate agent, your sale of the new house is being hung up in the sale of the old house. So there's a short sale because he owes 800 and the house is only worth six. Okay, so he's going to say, man, I can't get enough for my house to sell your house. Your house's value has nothing to do with what you owe in your house. The payoff you owe the bank has nothing to do with the value of that house or the car, the boat, the lease, whatever. If you owed zero, what would you want? Oh, man, if I owed zero, I'd take 600. Exactly. See, it's worth what it's worth and it's not going to get better by waiting. Let's do this. Let's pay off the difference and let's get you in the house you want. Sign here and here. I'll work it out. Leave it up to me. Again, this is used when your buyer is involved with a situation where the person or company owes more on the present purchase or old purchase than the value of the asset is actually worth today. And they're trying to get rid of that. This stops many salespeople due to them being focused on the problem, not the solution. You need to become solution-oriented. Closers are solution-oriented, not problem-oriented. You want problems, folks. Because by solving problems, number one, you get paid money. Number two, when there's problems, you have less competition because nobody else knows how to solve them. Solve the problem and you close the sale. This is great for bankers, auto dealers, furniture sellers, equipment leases, mortgage brokers, and certainly good for real estate people. Payoff close. John agrees to purchase now. Assuming we pay off the balance owed on his present lease or mortgage, using the company's rebates and discounts, or by getting the lender to carry the difference over. John's funds, whatever he's putting down, will be used to reduce the amount financed on the new purchase. Now this, again, while it might sound complicated when you're listening to it, go back and look at your book. This is great for products where equipment is being traded for a new purchase and or the sale is being held up due to the balance on an earlier purchase. Can also be used when the buyer has a contract or lease on some other product or service. Trillions, trillions of dollars in sales are lost annually because of your lack of responsibility to take responsibility for earlier purchases that don't appear to have anything to do with the new purchase, but they do because if you can't solve the old problem, something that happened earlier, you can't get the new deal. So this is called a payoff close. This is when he's saying, hey, you're not giving me enough for my blah, blah, or whatever, or I'm not getting out of it. It's a problem. You want to shift the attention off of that because you can't solve that problem. It is what it is. And say, look, John, would you agree to purchase now, assuming we pay the balance off, owed on the present mortgage, and we are able to use whatever rebates we have available, whatever discounts I can get from the seller, or by getting the lender to carry the difference. So notice I've covered myself. I'm saying I'll pay it off by getting what? Company rebates, discounts, or get the lender to carry the difference. So even if I can't pay it down, I can't add money to the product, I could get the lender to carry the difference and I'd be all right. John's funds will then be used to reduce the amount financed on the new purchase. Great clothes, learn it, and refer to it in the book. Delay payment close. John will own now, assuming we pay off his credit card, save him from making his current payment, and set it up to where he doesn't have any payments this month, next month, not until the following month. How does that work for you? This is for those of you who are involved with the financing on a product sale and can get creative, not with how the sale is made, but how the individual or company makes payments. Let's say a guy's moving in now, saving a month rent. He'd have no payments this month and none next month. So rather than discounting the price of the house, let's say you're selling a house. 
you could include one payment. Rather than discounting price, you could get your seller to say, look, let's carry the guy's payment this month, next month, and the third month, if that's what it takes. If his problem is time, buy time. You ever heard this? Time is money. Build the savings or the solution for the buyer without giving up the price. You don't want to discount price. There's no value, particularly in this case where he can't make a decision. Hey, Grant, I need three months. You know, I, I got this situation. I got that situation. Things are coming at me. Good. Let me make this suggestion. John, you'll own now, assuming we pay off your credit card. That's a problem. We save you from making any current payment that's due right now. We set it up to where you don't have any payments this month on the new house. You don't have any payments next month and not until the following month. How does that work for you? Okay, what are you saying? You pay off all my credit cards, so 25000 there. Uh, you're going to make this payment on my, my lease this month. Okay, that's um, $4,000. You're going to make this month's payment on the house. I move in right away and next month. Okay, that's another 10 Okay, boom. Yeah, that would work for me. Good. You see, you're building savings for the buyer without giving up the price and devaluing the price price of the product being sold, and you'll ultimately give up less. Most salespeople don't get creative enough by becoming responsible for all the parts of the sale, including the financing, including the price, and including any problems the buyer is having. Most buyers are more worried about their monthly payment. I think you would agree. Most companies are worried about their cash flow than they're actually worried about the price. This is called delay payment close, and it goes like this. John will own now, assuming we pay off this debt. We save him from making his current payment. We set him up to where he doesn't have any payments this month, none next month, none until the following three months from now. How does that work for you? Great close. Momentum close. Okay, I've put all the numbers together for you, and this is what we can do for you. Disclose the figures. I need your approval here and here. What you want to do here is present the figures, go over them, ask for the approval, hand the pen to the buyer, and shut up. Great on shoppers, tough buyers, and people who may be comparing your pricing to something else that they have gotten earlier from someone else. You want to be confident, in control, professional, and look the buyer in the eyes. This close is called the momentum close because it doesn't open the door to be retraded. I put all the numbers together, John. We've done everything we can for you. This is what we can do. We have no more room. I need your approval here and here. Shut up. Pass the pin. Close the deal. Momentum close. How does it go? Look, I put all our numbers together. Here's our complete proposal. This is what we can do. Disclose the figures. I need your approval here and here. Now, this next close I'm going to give you, I've gotten a lot of flack about. Because people take this close out of context and then start thinking that I'm doing something or saying something that's, that's somehow sacrilegious. It's called the pray about it close. I need to pray about it close. Now, I, I am a religious person. I consider myself a spiritual person. I would never, ever offend anybody's religious beliefs or spiritual beliefs. And, and I certainly would support anyone and believe in whatever they believe. But this is for the customer or the individual that two situations here. One, that genuinely needs to pray about decisions before they make decisions. And number two, uses prayer as a way not to make a decision. So this is called I need to pray about it close. And again, it's used with complete respect to people's belief and their religion. I need to pray about this, Grant. And sir, I appreciate that. And I pray about every decision in my own life. Every morning, I pray myself. How are you most comfortable praying? On your knees, standing up, sitting down, how are you most comfortable? Good. Let's pray together. I trust God won't mislead either of us. I am willing to accept God's will for the both of us. 
Now, again, you want to honor the buyer's belief and be with him or her while he makes contact with who he or she prays to. While some may think this is taboo, a taboo not breachable area, you shouldn't go there, I disagree. See, the buyer brought God into this conversation. I didn't. And you should pay them the respect, I believe. You should pay them the respect of being willing to honor their beliefs and pray with them until you get a yes or a no. Again, my sincerity is genuine. I respect the buyer's religion. I respect the buyer's desire to pray about it, and I would respect whatever answer we get. So if you are religious or even not religious, the fact that your customer said, I need to think about it, what are you going to be like? Okay, I can't, I can't handle that. I can't breach that. Payments are too high. I can't handle that. Great, I, I need to pray about it. Okay, great, sir. And I appreciate that. And the truth is, sir, I pray about every decision I make in my own life. Now, if you don't pray every day, maybe you can't say that. But you could say what? And I appreciate that. How are you most comfortable praying? Let's pray together. I trust God won't mislead either of us. I am willing to accept God's will for both of us. You got to be bold, folks, to use some of these closes. But I'm going to tell you something. I'd rather be bold and use them than be broke because I don't use them. And if you're genuine, if you're interested, and if you're willing to do whatever it takes to sell your product, to sell your service, to sell your ideas, if you really, really believe in what you're doing, if you believe you make a difference, if you believe your company will really, truly take care of people, none of these closes should be a problem for you. You just need to look at whether you're sold on your product and your service enough. Think about it close, number one, and there's many of these. It's called think about it close, number one. Grant, I need to think about it. Sir, thought is instantaneous. Think of an elephant. Did you get the picture? Good. Think about your house burning down. Did you get the picture? Good. You see, thought is immediate. It's instantaneous. What you need to do now is make a decision. It's not think time now. It's yes or no time. It's do or don't do time. I'm fine with either one. Which one is it? Now, this is a very strong close. I never believe, I never believe that people need to think as this is a stall. It's a stall mechanism for some other consideration that hasn't possibly been spoken. They're more likely to need more information than time to think. Would you agree? This close sets up finding out what's really wrong, what's out, or what they're really thinking about. So when I'm in the close and somebody says, Grant, I need to think about it. Sir, thought takes that long. That's how fast you need to respond to this. This doesn't need to be, I need to think about it. Okay, what do I do? I got to go. Let me go to the, uh, what, what do I say right now? No, you need to be quick right now. Okay, Grant, I need to think about it. Sir, thought takes that long. It's instantaneous. Try that. Thought is instantaneous. Everybody try that. Thought is instantaneous. I want you to think about an elephant. You get it? I want you to think about your house burning down. Did you get it? See, did you get it? You see the picture? You see, sir, thought is immediate, is instantaneous. What you need to do now is make a decision. Yes or no, do or don't do. I'm fine with either one. Which one is it? Grant, you pressure me? That's a different situation, okay? And we'll handle that in a minute. Right now, the guy said, I need to think about it. And you're going to flush the objection, okay? So that's one way to handle I need to think about it. Think about it closed, number two. I understand you need to think about it, sir. However, your thinking about it will not change the fact that this product saves you money, your company needs the product, and you're going to do it sooner or later, no matter how long you think about it. Let's get this done so you can think about the other things that need attention. I need your approval here and here. Now, this is another way to handle, I need to think about it, shows understanding, and then you close over this invalid objection or stall. If you think it is reasonable that people add time to decisions, then you need to handle yourself because when people are sold, they don't think, they buy. When they're fully sold, completely convinced, absolutely certain it's the right thing, they pull triggers. 
I tell my wife, let's go to dinner. Oh, Grant, I need to think about it. Hey, well, what's the consideration here, man? Okay, that's not, I'm not hungry. It's, Grant, I need to think about it. Baby, thought is instantaneous, okay? Yeah or nay, you want to do this or not do it? Hey, don't be pressuring me. Why not? I love you. I want to go to dinner with you, okay? Grant, I need to think about it. I understand. However, you're thinking about it won't change the fact that this product, that I'm hungry, okay? You're thinking about it will not change the fact that this product saves your money, saves your company money. Your company needs the product. And look, you're going to do it sooner or later anyway. Let's get it done. So you can think about all the other things that need your attention, okay? I need your approval here and here. Let's do this, okay? Think about it. Close number two. You got it? Do you know it already? You're going to have to listen to it again. You need to rewind this. Let me give it to you one more time, okay? Grant, I need to think about it. I understand, sir. However, you're thinking about it will not change the fact that this product saves you money, your company needs the product, and you're going to do it sooner or later. Let's get it done so you can think about all the other things that need your attention. I need your approval here and here. Let's do this. Think about it. Close number three. Grant, I need to think about it. Great, sir. Do you think two to three days would be long enough? Or would two to three weeks be better? Buyer will probably say, two or three days, man. Two or three days is plenty. Good. The truth is, sir, no matter how long you take, whether you take two days, three days, two weeks, or three weeks, you'll be faced with the same three questions. May I share them with you? Sure. What are they? Number one, does the product get you what you wanted? And write it down, product. Does it get you what you wanted? Number two, can you afford the product? Okay. Get an answer to number two. Number three, am I the kind of person you want to do business with? If yes to all, point to the signature line, let's do this, okay? So this is one of my all-time favorites. While it relieves the sense of having to do something right now, because what did I say? Great. You think two to three days would be long enough? See, immediately when they said I need to think about it, what did I do? I immediately went to agreement. Hey, man, I, great idea, great idea. Do you think two to three days would be long enough? How about two to three weeks? What would be better for you? Oh, great, man, two to three days is plenty of time. The truth is, sir, no matter how long you take, you're going to be faced with three questions. You take two days, three days, three weeks, or three months, you're going to be faced with three questions when you go home. Number one, can I share them with you? Number one, is this the product you want? Write down product. Yes or no? Yeah, yeah, Grant, I love the product. Good. Number two, can you afford the product? Yeah, Grant, I can afford it. Number three, am I the person you want to do business with? Yeah, Grant, I like you. Good, I need your signature right here. Let's do this. Or what happens? Three questions you're going to have going through your mind when you leave here, whether you take two days, three days, two weeks, or three weeks, okay? Number one, is the product what you want? Grant, that's not what I'm sure. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I'm thinking about an X model or whatever down the street. Okay, good. And then you know the product is the problem. See, quit using think about it as a screen for whatever the real objection is. This close, think about it, close number three will get you to the real objection. So how does it go? Grant, I need to think about it. Great, two to three days would be long enough or you want to take two to three weeks? Most people are going to take the shorter term. Two to three days, plenty of time. I'll think about it overnight. Hell, I'll call you back this afternoon. The truth is, sir, no matter how long you take, you call me back this afternoon, you call me in two days, you call me in three weeks, you're going to be faced with three questions. Can I share them with you? Is the product right? Can you afford the product? Am I the person you want to do business with? PPP. Think about it close. Number four. They're saying, I need to think about it. Great. Most people want to take the time to think about their decisions before making a decision. Let me ask you. On a scale from 1 to 10, 10 being you're absolutely certain and ready to go, and 1 being you wouldn't take it no matter what, where would you stand at this time? On a scale from 1 to 10, where would you be? Get an answer to that question. Oh, Grant, I'd be about a 6 on a scale from 1 to 10 if I was going to make a decision right now, 10 being I'm ready to roll, give myself a 6. Then what would make it a 10? What would I have to do to get you to a 10? This allows you to determine what the real objection is, and trust me, there is one objection at least one, maybe more, by agreeing with their need to think and then asking where they stand now 
if they were going to make a decision, you will get a sense of where this buyer is and the real, possibly unspoken objection or complaint. While it momentarily relieves the buyer's sense of having to do something right now, it positions you to find out what it takes to get the buyer to the point of doing something now. Okay, so remember, how does it go? Think about it. Close number four. Grant, I need to think about it. Great. Most people want to take time to think about their decision before making one. That's the acknowledgement, okay? Great. Most people want to take time to think about it before they make a final decision. Let me ask you a question. On a scale from one to ten, ten being you're absolutely certain and ready to roll, and one being you wouldn't take it no matter what I offered you, where would you stand at this time? Once you get an answer, ground a seven. Great. What would make it a ten? Well, you'd have to delay payments for three months, okay? I can't put any money down, and I need to get this signed without, uh, without the corporate getting involved. So let's do another one. How about think about it close number five? I understand. When you say I need to think about it, I understand. And as a consumer myself, I have said the same thing at which time I, A, didn't want to confront the salesperson, B, didn't want to disappoint the salesperson, or C, there was a concern that still hadn't been addressed. Let me ask you something. Which one is it for you? What, Grant? Sir, I understand that you need to think about it. And when I go out and buy something myself, anytime I tell the person I'm buying from that I need some time to think about it, A, I don't want to confront that person, B, I don't want to disappoint them, or C, there was some concern that I still hadn't addressed. Which one is it for you? And write these down, okay? You're going to take the time to show understanding and empathy and use the agreement. Hey, I agree with you. I do the same thing when I buy something. You're establishing rapport and you're identifying what the real objection is by clarifying that you experience the same situation and how to resolve it. See, the close, this close will allow you to determine what the real objection is. Is it trust? Is it the product? What is it? Something hasn't been stated. And many times the buyer just can't talk to you anymore. They're not going to tell you what the problem is. To use these type of closes successfully, you have to be convinced there's a deal. Don't give up. Sell them. Don't let them sell you. So he says, Grant, I need to think about it. I understand, sir. You know what? When I go to buy something, when I make a decision like this, when I make an investment, I go through exactly the same thing. Right at the end, I'm like, I need to think about it. And then I realize, sir, you know, there's always three reasons I do that. A, number one, I didn't want to confront the guy across from me. B, I didn't want to disappoint that person and tell him, hey, look, this is just not whatever. And C, there was some concern that still hadn't been addressed. Which one is it for you, sir? Is it you don't want to confront me and tell me what the deal is? Number two, you don't want to disappoint me? Or is there some concern? No, Grant, man, I don't mind talking to you. I don't mind confronting you. I don't, I'm not worried about disappointing you, Grant. Here's the deal, okay? My brother-in-law, whatever. Then Now they're going to tell you what it is, and then you can handle it, okay? It's called Think About It Close Number 5, and basically it shows understanding and empathy. Great close. Represent close, also known as the re-demonstration close. When you're getting an objection, you've got some situation you can't handle, you want to think about going back to your product line or your presentation or the benefits. Don't just keep hammering the clothes away. So watch. I'm getting an objection, price, payments, terms, conditions, something. Hey, come see. I want to show you how close we are to you making the wisest, most enjoyable, most practical investment of your lifetime. Follow me. 
get up, get out of the clothes, and go back and redemonstrate the benefits of your product, whatever that product is. This is a great failure of the closer. He gets into closing, but you're not there yet. And forget to go back and sell. Sell your products, sell your services, sell yourself, sell your company, sell the organization, sell all the benefits. This is one of the most effective and least used overlooked closes in the business of selling and negotiating. People are buying a product, folks. They're not buying a price and they're not buying the terms. If they're buying a service, they're buying a service. The fact that they have to pay for it, yeah, that's a given, but they're getting a service. Go back, return to the product, the service and sell them, sell the features, sell the benefits of that product and service, sell the benefits of your company, sell the benefits of you, and come back for the close after you represent or redemonstrate your product or your proposal or your service. Be enthusiastic about what you're selling. Let them touch it again. Let them feel it if, if they can feel it, if it's a consumer product. If it's something that are going to be used or some service they're going to get, man, get in some testimonials, show them some video, show them what people, why people actually keep doing business with you. If it's an intangible, then you need to return to selling them the value of owning this intangible product by writing down what they're going to get from this product. Maybe it's a summary list, okay? It's called the represent close. Come see or take a look at this, I want to show you how close we are to you making the wisest, most practical, and most enjoyable investment of your life and redemonstrate the benefits of owning this product or service. Apology close. You didn't get the close, and you're going to go use the apology close. I really need to apologize to you for not being able to come to terms with you. Can I ask you, was this something I did? Was this something I failed to do? No, Grant, everything's fine, man. It's nothing you did. It's it's nothing you failed to do. Well, I got to apologize to you for not being able to come to terms with you. Man, I really tried hard. I know we're on the right product. Can I ask you a question? Was it something I did? No, Grant, it wasn't anything you did. Was it something I failed to do? No, Grant. No, no, man, you've done a great job. You've, You've been great, Grant. Then allow me to get the product ready for you versus you going home or having to go through this process of looking for another solution. Come on, let's do this. So... Maybe the buyer's on their way out. Maybe they're at the front door. Maybe they're asking you to leave their house. Maybe you're leaving the house and you're grabbing the doorknob and you turn around and say, I got to tell you guys something. I really need to apologize to you, to both of you, for not being able to come to terms with you. Can I ask you, was this something I did? Was it something I failed to do? No, 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 Grant, you were great. I've never had somebody tell me, yeah, you're an idiot. No, no, Grant, you're, you're great, Grant. No, no, it's nothing you did. No, Grant, no, no then allow me to get the product ready for you. Let's do this versus you taking more time or going home or having to go out and look at this somewhere else and go through this process. Let's do this. You should always first apologize for not closing a deal as it was your fault. And because you didn't get to close, because you weren't able to handle a customer's desire to get something done, because you missed something, you should apologize. Also, always walk the buyer to wherever they came from. And in the case of you being in a home selling situation, do this when you grab the door, but never let them leave your office alone and never leave their environment without first using the apology. This gives you an opportunity to sell yourself again. Every buyer regrets their decision and not doing something is a decision. People second guess their decisions. This area of decision-making is less secure for people than the entire arena of money. 
People have made more bad decisions in their life and don't want to make more of them. No decision is a decision. The apology close puts you in a situation to position yourself to close this no decision. So how does it go? The apology close, right? What are you going to do before you leave? So I need to really apologize to you and the wife for not being able to come to terms with you. No, Grant, hey, man, you don't need to apologize. No, no, really. Can I ask you? Was this something I did? No, Grant, you're fine. Was it something I failed to do? No, Grant, everything you did was perfect. Good, then allow me to get the product ready for you versus you having to go back out and look for this, study it, research it. Let's just go ahead and do this. Go for the close. Refuse to believe close. Man, Grant, I just can't do this at this time. Sir, I refuse to believe that you aren't going to do this. Look, it's the right product. The price is great. I know you want it. Let's do this. Turn the contract around and give them the pin. Grant, man, what are you doing, man? Grant, what are you doing, man? You pressuring this guy? Yes, sir, I am pressuring him right now, okay? I refuse to believe this close. He says, Grant, I can't do this right now. Sir, I refuse to believe that you're not going to do this. It's just not real to me. you got a smile on your face. you got to do this with a smile. All these closes should be done smiling, okay? I refuse to believe that you're not going to do this. It's the right product. The price is great, and I know you want it. Now, let's do this. And you're saying, Grant, man, you're pressuring a guy. No, look, this is called a hard sell. A hard sell means that I care so much. I care so much, I'm willing to confront hard things and emotions in order to get it done. I'm going to stand up to my product. You have to deliver this, this particular close, in a very uptone, very positive manner. One of complete disbelief. Like, I can't believe this. I refuse to believe you're not going to do this. Let's say I'm raising money for my charity, my church, right? And the guy's like, I can't do any money. What? I refuse to believe you're not going to help us out right now, man. Come on. This is the right time. We need it. You know we need it. We have this opportunity. Come on. Help us out. Turn the contract, pass the pen, and shut up. This is a hard sell. You have to be sold yourself on this being the right decision and press for the right decision. People don't make decisions easily. Know this. They don't make decisions easily because they're insecure about them. So they need help. So how does it go? Refuse to believe. I refuse to believe that you're not going to do this. It's the right product. The price is great. We're the right company. We'll take care of you better than anybody. Look, I know you want it. You're going to do it sooner or later. Let's do it now. Turn the contract past the pin. Can't quit close. Grandma, I'm just not going to do anything on this today. There's no way. I mean, no matter what you tell me or what we do or what happens, I just can't make a decision today. Sir, I'm not going to quit on you. You're either going to buy from me now or I'm going to call you every day until you do do this. It is the right thing. This is a great deal. I am the right company. I will take better care of you than anyone. I just want you to know up front, right now, I will not quit. Now, I can do it now, or I can come back and do it later, but I'm not going to quit on you. Again, you have to deliver this very positive, very uptone, very positive manager and with complete conviction. You are communicating that you know this is the right thing. The fact that they're not sure doesn't mean you need to be sure. This is the right thing. This, again, is a hard sell close. Doesn't mean it's a high pressure close. It means it's hard sell and one that requires you to be completely sold as all do. You have to be sold yourself on this being the right decision again and press for the right decision. you got to communicate your conviction and they will become convinced. And that is when a close takes place. When your conviction is greater than their conviction and they realize that you have more conviction than they have to know, you have more conviction to yes than they have to know, at that moment a close will take place. People don't make decisions easily. Help them. So how does it go? I can't quit close. 
Ran, I can't do it today. Sir, I'm not going to quit on you. You're either going to buy from me now, and I'm going to call you, or I'm going to call you every day until you do this. It's the right thing. It's the right product. It's the right price. It's a great deal, and I'm not going to quit on you. So let's do this. Let's do it now and be done with it. Pass the pen, turn the contract. Three yeses and then close. Now, this is a preparatory of questions that you have to know the answer to that set up a close. Here they go. Did I answer all your questions? You're sitting down, you're writing up the contract, right? Did I answer all your questions? Great. Were we easy to get to? Great. I mean, these are simple, no-brainer questions. Do you like the weather today? Because it's pristine, beautiful outside. I mean, you want a yes. Am I the type of person you feel comfortable serving you? Yes. Good. Then I need you okay here and here. You're basically using minor questions to close. It's called three yeses and then close. Yes is the most powerful word in the entire English language. Get the buyer saying yes. Only ask questions you get a yes to and then ask for the order. You could ask the buying question as the fourth yes, but I would not. Don't ask the buying question as yes or now. Assume the close and ask for a signature. See, I wouldn't ask, you know, did I get all your questions answered? Were we easy to get to? Am I the kind of person you want to do business with? Do you want to buy it? I would, I would, I'd kill the last question and I just pass the contract. I need your okay here and assume the close. Assuming the close, ask for a signature is much more powerful than asking yes or no. The yeses set up the signature. It gets you momentum to the close. Okay, it's three yeses and then close. Come up with your three questions. What are they? Did I answer all your questions? Yes, good. Were we easy to get to? Yes, good. Am I the kind of person you'd feel comfortable doing business with? Yes. Turn and sign. Referral close. This would be done before you actually present numbers. Now, this is a very powerful close. A guy named Carlos Pantera that works with me used this close very, very effective where we were out selling seminar tickets to, to businesses. And before he would actually sign the business up for tickets, he would ask, hey, before we get involved with the figures, who do you know that may be in the market for a product of this sort? Somebody progressive like yourself, somebody interested in training, interested in education, who would be interested in a product like this, okay? And he's like, oh, man, I know John, I know Bob, I know I can help you with a lot of people. See, what you did with this close called the referral close, which most salespeople wait till after the sale, which is incorrect. It's too late. You don't sell most of the people. He would ask, and I would ask, before we get involved with these figures, before I get involved with my presentation, before I show you my proposal, who else do you know that may be in the market that would consider a purchase of this sort? Progressive, if, if that is the case of what you're selling. Who's interested in education? Who might consider doing something like this? Maybe somebody you know in the market, somebody you go to meetings with, uh, somebody you have a working relationship. Who do you know, before we get involved with the figures, might be interested in what I'm presenting? Get the referrals before you present the numbers, okay? This provides the buyer with leverage in their own mind that they believe will cause them to get a greater deal. As the buyer believes the more people they send your way, the more this person would be entitled to in getting or gaining or negotiating a better deal. Now, I think you would agree that a good deal, whatever that is, it's not in the dictionary, a good deal is basically a perception or state of mind. So the fact that this person I'm negotiating with would think that they gave me five referrals, they're going to get a better deal, that is a state of mind, a perception. People want to help others. They want to help me as well, okay? If the guy likes me, he'd want to help me. Why wait to get referrals after the close? Let's get them now. 
And because I'm asking for help, and they want to help me, I might actually be adding value to the transaction because he'll actually feel better because he's helped me. So what is it? The referral close. It's like the insurance close. Hey, who are you going to have your product insured with? I want to go ahead and transfer that before you leave. I haven't even negotiated the numbers yet. Who else do you know that might be interested in equipment like this? I haven't even closed the deal yet. I'm asking for that data before I actually close. Down to the penny close. John, we're within $48.50 of you getting exactly what you want. In comparison to the price and the length of time you will own this, $48 is a minuscule amount. Let's do this. This is used when you are at a small price difference. You know, I could take $100,000. Depending on how much time I have on that purchase, I could make sense that that is a small price difference. Let's say the $100,000 is over 30 years or 40 years, okay? How much is that really? That's well, $2,500 a year, right? Yes, $2,500 a year is $200 a month. Let's see, that's $200. That's $50 a week. Divided by seven, that's uh, $7 a day, okay? The fact that they keep this machinery on for 10 hours means we're down to what? See, I'm getting down to the penny, right? I'm going to break that $7 a day down divided by 10 hours. So what are we talking about? I don't know, 50 cents a, an hour, 50 cents an hour. Yeah. See, this is used when you're at a small price difference, but small price difference, depending on time, could be a million dollars and still be a small price difference. It would be great to keep a jar of money on your desk and show them or in your pocket how little money we're really talking about. I could reach in my pocket and say, look, man, I'll give you the $48. We're within $48.50 of you getting exactly what you want. We're within $7 a day. Here, I'll give you the first day. Here's seven bucks. You know, I'll give you the first month. Here's seven times 30. Here's $210. This works great on monthly payment objections and price objections. Let's say the objection is 300,000. Just work it out. Sit down with a pen and a piece of paper and work out all the different objections. Use time. Reduce it down to the smallest number, down to the penny close. Hey, we're within $48.50. We're within what? $1.50 a day of you getting exactly what you want. In comparison to price, in comparison to the length of time you're going to own it, there's a minuscule amount. Let's do this anyway. Reduce to the ridiculous close. Now, this is not my close. This close has been around for at least 2,000 years. Not sure who invented it, but it's been around a long time, and it's a logical close, and it makes sense. And you actually heard me breach into it in the last close down to the penny close. So you're going to take the objection. Let's say it's $1,000, $1,000 a month. Let's say there's a term of $1,000 a month. Hey, that's $30 a day. You're going to live in this home, wake up in your home, go to sleep every day and every night in your home. You'll build a life there. Your family will be safe here for what? 30 bucks a day? It's 30 bucks a day. You spend 10 hours a day in your house. The rest of the time's at work. What are we talking about? 30 cents? Hey, you could divide that by the four kids you got and the wife. That's five people. Let's see, five people divided into 30 cents. Okay, so basically everybody's six cents a day in the house per hour, Okay. Now, this may seem crazy and like, man, you're carrying this thing to the absurd extremes, the ends of the universe. That's exactly what I want to do with money. Look, money is dead. It's dead. It has no life or value in it. People place so much significance on little bits of money as a way not to make decisions. And you do the same thing when you don't justify for the customer and help them work it out logically. You want to reduce objections to the smallest number possible. The buyer always focuses on big numbers, and they shouldn't. Once a buyer makes a decision, he almost always makes it go right. And when buyers are done buying something from you, they always spend more money afterwards with someone else for something else. 
So your job is to justify and make sense of the figures so the buyer can say, yes, you want to use reduced to the ridiculous. I want to use it probably every day on every presentation. And how does it go? Let's say we're talking about $1,000 a month. $1,000 a month for a house? What is it? Grandman, we can't afford this an extra $1,000 a month. We can afford five, but we can't afford six. Sir, it's $1,000 a month. That's $30 a day. You're going to live in your home, wake up in your home, go to sleep here every day and every night. You'll build a life here, and your family will be saved here for $30 a day. There's you, there's the wife, and three kids. That's five at $30 a day. That's six bucks per person, okay? You guys live in the house, what? You're here, what, 10, 12 hours a day? It's what, six cents an hour or whatever the number is? Come on, let's do this. This is ridiculous. Close the deal. Reduce to the ridiculous. Better to live rich close. This was taught to me by a gentleman named Juan in Acapulco, Mexico, who was selling me a piece of jewelry. And I have used this close thousands of times to close other people. You have an objection over price, payment, terms, whatever. And you're going to say, particularly on consumable products or products where people are personally enjoying something. Different than maybe life insurance or a big machinery purchase for a company. Better to live rich close. It's better to pay a little extra and get what you want than to pay a little less and make a mistake. It's better to live rich than die rich. I need your okay here, and I'll get your new product ready so you can start enjoying it right now. This is a killer close, folks, okay? Better to live rich than die rich, all right? It's better to pay a little extra and get what you want than to pay a little less and make a mistake. It's better to live rich than die rich. And trust me, you're going to die. Look, I need your okay here and here, and I'll get you your new product ready so you can start enjoying it right now. This is a great close, one of my favorites. I'll never forget Juan down in Acapulco. It reminds the buyer that he or she can't take it with him. I remember a friend of mine wanted to go buy a you know, big SUV, and he's like, oh, man, I don't know. It's a lot of money. I'm like, hey, pal, better to live rich than die rich. He's like, what? It just snapped him. He's like, what? I said, better to live rich than die rich. Trust me, if you die, your daughter's going to get the money from your inheritance, and she's going to go buy the truck she wants, okay? He's like, you're right. Went down and bought it right away. It's better to live rich than die rich. Try it out here. Better to pay a little extra and get what you want than to pay a little less and make a mistake. Everybody's made a mistake by paying too little on something they didn't really want. Better to live rich than die rich. I need your okay here and here. I'll get your new product ready so you can start enjoying it right now. Can't take it with you close. I agree it's a lot of money, but look, let's face it. You can't take it with you. Let's do this. This close brings it all down to the truth, that ultimate truth that you can't take money with you when you go. Obviously great for closes on discretionary consumer products. Money is a very, very strange thing for most people, whereby they put more importance on money than their own enjoyment. Trust me, if this guy had some terminal illness right now and the doctor said, hey, man, you got three days to live, money would not be the issue right now. Everybody agree? He'd be like, how much money? I'll find 100 grand to pay for this if, if you can get me some extra time. Ted Turner said one night, he's like, you know what? No matter how much money you have, it won't buy you an extra day. See, that's why you want to counter this phenomenon of money and fear and I can't afford it. You want to counter it with something even more unconfrontable. Sir, you can't take it with you. I agree it's a lot of money, but look, you're not going to take it with you. Let's do this. Yeah, so use this close, okay? Don't be scared of it. Don't be talking about death, man. Look, people wake up every day wondering, hey, I wonder how much time I got. Don't be scared to use some of these closes that may be new or different to you or you think are overboard, okay? No shortage of money close. Look, I agree it's a lot of money, but there's no shortage of money on this planet. Now, there are a shortage of people who are happy, who have the things they want, and who love their lives. Now, let's do this. 
See, this close reminds the buyer, reminds your prospect of what's really important and that while money can be reproduced, there is no shortage of money. Being happy now, there is a shortage of, and that's what's really important. Like, can't take it with you clothes. This is a great close for discretionary consumer products. It can also be used for business purchases as what is more important in the present budget is the hope of more money in the future. So you could use what? Hey, look, there's no shortage of money, but there is a shortage of production. There's a shortage of hours in a day. There's a shortage of people getting the most out of their production schedule. Focus on the positive and get off of the spending. This is called no shortage of money close, and it goes like this. I agree it's a lot of money, but there's no shortage of money on this planet. Now, there is a shortage of people who are happy and love their lives. If you're selling a manufacturing, a piece of equipment, hey, there's no shortage of money on this planet, but there is a shortage of people producing at levels high enough to make you a profitable company. Great close. Use it. Reason to buy clothes. Excuse me, but may I ask, are you looking for reasons to make a decision today? Or are you looking for reasons not to make a decision? Grant, man, I want to make a decision. I'm not here to be difficult. Good. What are some of the reasons to do this? Now, this close is to be used when you have a difficult buyer who continues to throw objections endlessly with the effort, apparently, to either just be right or to not do something. Now, you have to be very careful with this one. Once you get the buyer to agree that he is looking for reasons to do something, then ask, well, hey, what are some of those reasons? You want to put attention back on the positive and the can-do and the solution and get off the negatives. And this close, reason to buy close, excuse me, John, but may I ask you a question? Are you looking for reasons, sir, to make a decision? Are you looking for reasons not to make a decision? You want to use this late in the negotiations. Don't use it early. You got it? Reason to buy close. Excuse me, but may I ask you, are you looking for reasons to make a decision? Or are you looking for reasons not to make a decision? If I could, would you close? Now, this close is so overused by closers that I want you to be very, very careful with it. It comes to the point to where somebody's finally said, look, I can do this, 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 and this. If you do these things, this is what it would take. And you want to get a commitment at this point and ask, if I can handle every objection you had, if I could handle and get you every term, every request that you've made today, would you make a decision about this product? You want to save this close for late in the game. Never, ever use this early. Your attempt is to see if you can get the buyer to see a way to make a decision today. Once you can get a yes, then you want to get a list of objections and terms that you can handle. The most important step in any close is the decision maker being able to see himself saying, yes, I'll do this. See, until this happens, until this actually is accomplished, this idea that I'm going to do something, no close is actually possible. Be careful not to overuse this. If I could, would you close? Okay, it goes like this. If I could handle every objection you had, if I could make all the terms you've requested a possibility, would you make a decision about this product today? Eleventh inning close. How many innings are in a game? Should be nine innings. Eleventh inning would suggest you do this way late, way, way, way at the end of a deal. So you're going to ask your buyer what figures and terms would be necessary for you to say yes to this purchase. You're pulling out all the stops now. You're firing your last shot, not over the bow, but directly into the camp 
of the buyer. And you're saying, hey, what figures and what terms would be necessary for you to say yes to this purchase? Come on. We've worked on it. I know the product's right. I know it's right for you. So at what terms, what figures would be necessary for you to speed up your process? I know you want to wait until June of next year, but what figures and terms would be necessary for you to say yes to this purchase today? Use this when a commitment seems unattainable. Always use it late, never early, and be careful not to overuse it. This close is most often overused by the short cutter, be careful short cutters, and the undertrained closers. 11th inning close. I probably don't even need to repeat this to you because most of you overuse this already. What figures and terms would be necessary for you to say yes to? Look, I don't like this close a lot, so I'm telling you right now, be careful with it. Justify close. Very simple one line. How do you justify an investment of this size? You're saying, why would you ever ask somebody that in the close? I'm sitting down. I'm writing up my product order. I'm sitting down. I have the decision maker in front of me. Maybe the whole board's there. There's a million-dollar project I'm trying to sell them. And I ask them, hey, let me ask you something. How do you guys justify an investment of this size? I remember I was selling $52.8 million worth of property in Tucson, Arizona. I'm sitting down negotiating with the new buyer, Ricardo, and I'm like, how do you guys justify $52,800,000 for this apartment complex of multiple purchases? How do you all justify an investment this size? And they looked at me and says, because we believe in Tucson, we like the way you've taken care of the product, we love your occupancy, and we believe we can increase the rents. Who's closing who here? <laughs> I'm a little confused. They became the closer. This can be used as a trial close, even as a lock close, if you will, to have the buyer close himself or herself by telling you how they can make sense of the purchase. This is used by very professional closers who welcome knowing the truth of the matter, who don't wish deals closed, you know, cross your fingers, hope for a deal, but actually close the deal themselves. This close eliminates buyer's remorse. It allows the buyer to rationalize a decision and voice that decision, which is important because a buyer has to make logic out of even the most emotional purchase for a deal to stay close. So the close goes like this. It's lethal, man. It's lethal, and I would use this a lot. Hey, how do you folks justify an investment of this size? Right before presenting your full package, let me ask you guys a question. How, how would you justify an investment of this size? And they're going to tell you, be bold and mighty forces will come to your aid. Lock close, L-O-C-K, close, lock close. You close the deal, you've agreed on numbers, at that point you want to lock this deal down. Would there be any reason you would change your mind about this decision? Or would there be any reason you couldn't make it tonight when you said you would come in? Is there any reason at all you want to lock this thing down? You want to check for any unspoken objections. You want to ensure or assure yourself that there is a deal and these people don't back out on you. Now, this is something missed by even the most professional of negotiators. They don't lock things down. So when they come back tomorrow, they find out the deal unwinded. Now, Rich, the producer of this audio program, just reminded me that the word unwinded is not an actual word. And I'm like, Rich, dude, unwinded is a real word where I was brought up. In the bayous of Louisiana, you damn right he unwinded. And then we shot him after that. So, look, this guy, this deal unwound itself, right? You came back in and you're like, what happened? Uh, we changed our mind. You know why? Because you didn't lock this deal down. It's better to find out now, you know, in the close before this thing unwinds itself. And this close typically is not risked 
by both young and veteran salespeople is you are wishing deals closed rather than locking that deal down. This unwinding process or the lock close prevents the unwind. It's great for situations where you can't spot or deliver in real time your product. So it's called the lock close. Would there be any reason you change your mind about this decision? It'd be great for appointments. Would there be any reason you couldn't make it tonight and lock this thing down? Everything the same close. Hey, if everything was the same, now this is when your buyer is shopping products down the street and they're like, I need to do business down there. or I want to look at this or I'm going to buy from them. If everything were the same, which product and who would you rather buy from? Me or them? Now, you got to get a commitment here to me or them. Grant, I'd rather do business with you. Why is that? Okay, because uh, you're closer, because I like you guys better, because I bought other products from you. Good. Why else? Uh, because uh, you're the nicest guy I ever met. Okay, why else? Because you got the color I want and they don't have it. Okay, good. Why else? Until you can no longer get an answer, you want to ask, if everything was the same, which product would you rather own? Who would you rather buy from me or them? And then they will tell you why, why else, why else, why else, why else? This is used when the buyer says he has found the same or similar product for less money. You want to get money out of the objection, move it off the table by asking, look, if everything were the same, who would you rather do business with? At this point, half of them will tell you, I'd rather buy from you. The other half are going to say, I'd rather buy from them. Others will tell you who they would rather buy from. Then once they tell you this, establish why. Don't take the first why. Keep searching for more whys. Okay, don't take a shortcut here. Why? Why else? Why else? Why else? Why else? Let them build a case for you and then let them build a case against you, at which point you will handle the objections. At least now you will know what the real deal is and whether there's a deal to be made or not. Okay, this is called money equal close. If the money was the same, which product would you rather own or who would you rather do business with? This is very similar to the earlier close. You're asking, look, if the money's the same, if the product were the same, if the price were the same, would you rather buy from me or would you rather do business with them? Again, why and why else? These two closes back to back need to be practiced. You'll use them daily. It's same as everything, the same close, a little different wording. This forces the decision as to who the buyer would rather do business with. That's a real word now. Find out why and handle it. This close, like the earlier one, will get you objections that you didn't even know were there. It's called money equal close. If the money was the same, which product would you rather own or who would you rather do business with? Warning. Warning. When price is suggested to be the same, okay, never ask the question. Never ask a question which would force your buyer to misrepresent them like, well, what do they offer you? If you ask that open-ended question that you don't know the answer to, this could cause the buyer to misrepresent their offer, lie about what they were given. Don't ask how was it equipped. Don't ask what were the terms. Don't ask what was the price. If the buyer misrepresents, they will never be able to buy from you. So don't make them lie to you. If you've ever heard the adage, buyers are liars, not true. Buyers are not liars. Negotiators make people lie because they ask questions that force people to lie. The copy close. You come back, you have an agreement, you sit down and tell them, hey, I got you what you wanted. We've achieved exactly what you wanted. And they say, Grant, man, I need to think about it. Or can you make me a copy and I'm going to go home and think about it. You're going to go into an agreement. First rule of selling, agree. First rule of negotiating, always agree. I'd be more than happy to make you a copy. Give me one minute. I'll be right back. You leave. You make a copy. You return with the contract. 
Now, let me ask you, John, I realized as I was making a copy for you that if this product, if the terms were exactly what you wanted and the figures were exactly right, I wouldn't be making you a copy. I'd be figuring out when to install the product and when you wanted to take delivery and when you wanted to turn the product on. So tell me, hey, what's not right here? There's something not right. If everything was right, he'd want what? Hey, Grant, turn me on tonight. Hey, Grant, when can it get installed? Hey, Grant, when does my first payment start? Hey, Grant, I need this and this added. Hey, Grant, will you give me great service? If everything was right, it wouldn't be I need to think about it, make me a copy. This is a master's closed and it's used to handle this objection, hey, make me a copy. When you return with the copy, start closing again. People don't want more things to look at. They use this typically as a reason not to make a decision. Okay, you understand? It's not like the guy wants a copy. He didn't come for a copy of your contract. This also could be a good time to get another person or management involved to flush out an objection. It's called the copy close. Hey, Grant, make me a copy. Excellent. What are you going to say? I'll be more than happy to make you a copy. Give me one minute. I'll be right back. You're going to walk back in with the copy? Mr. Byer, don't give the copy. Mr. Byer, John, Bob, whatever his name is. Hey, while I was making this copy, I realized something's not right here. No, Grant, what do you mean? Look, if everything was right, you'd be asking me when we install them, when we start them, when you turn me on. You wouldn't be asking for a copy. What's not right? Great close. Paperwork close. So whose name will we be doing the paperwork in? Your name, your company's name, or both? This is very similar to the title and registration close. Assumes ownership, calls it your product, paperwork close. Whose name will we be doing the paperwork in? Your name, your company's name, or both? This is similar as the earlier title at registration close. See, as there's paperwork on every transaction done, everybody that's listening to this has got a transactional paperwork process. So no matter what you sell, you're going to be asking a question like, whose name or how do you want this titled? Very similar closes. Wording's a little different. You could even use this paperwork close as a trial close earlier on to determine whether or not you're with the actual decision maker or the actual ownership or whoever's going to sign this documentation to finalize the deal. Important person close. Due to your stature and influence in town, we're going to do something special for you that we don't do for anyone else. Present your offer. I need your okay here and here. It's called the important person close. Due to your stature and influence in town, Due to who you are, we're going to do something special for you we don't do for anyone else. Present your offer. I need your okay here and here. Now, notice the timing here. I said the important person closed before I actually presented the numbers. So, due to your stature, your influence in the town, due to your title here, whatever the presentation is, whatever makes this person important person, we're going to do something special for you we don't do for anyone else. Then present the offer, ask for the close. Always take the time to genuinely acknowledge each buyer, but anytime you have someone with influence, use the influence to get a close. People want to be made to feel important. This is a good reason to do something special, or at least a reason to justify or glamorize and build even more value around what you're about to propose to this person. So important person close. Due to your stature, due to your influence in this city, we're going to do something special for you we don't do for anyone else. Present the numbers. I need your okay right here. You also want to see the momentum close, the do it anyway close, the congratulations close, the be grateful close. I mean, there's all these closes got to be intertwined. Third party close. Look, if I can get the seller to agree to what you're asking, would you agree to close now? Good. Sign here, here, and let me see if I can get it approved by the seller. Now, this is when you're going to use a third party to actually help you close this deal. 
While the third party can be very effective, you want to use this selectively as the buyer will get tired of this quite quickly because it feels like some cat and mouse game, some back and forth, and you could lose your credibility. So you want to use this selectively. You want to take the focus off of you being the decision maker selectively again and show that you're working with them to get this done. Many buyers like the idea that you're the broker trying to get something done for them. Now, I'm going to tell you, this third-party assist clause, if you overuse this one or two times too many, you're going to kill yourself because you're going to lose credibility. Third-party assist clause, use it selectively. If I can get the seller to agree to what you're asking, would you agree to close right now? Can I tell them that? Sign here and here, and let me see if I can get it approved by the seller. So you're basically using a third party to create some urgency to get them to sign right now. Yeah, Grant, if you give me that, 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 and that, you can tell them I'm in. Good. Sign right here. Let's roll. Okay, great close. Don't overuse it. Treat yourself close. It's called treat yourself close. Of course it's a lot of money. And this isn't something you do every day. Treat yourself. I need your okay here and here. The whole world seems to think that they're suffering and not enjoying life enough. Use that. Use this thing. Hey, man, treat yourself well close. When the buyer gets bound up in the money, remind them to live life, enjoy life, and treat themselves well. You could use, I mean, this is similar to better live rich, can't take it with you, no shortage of money, you work so hard to earn your money, the be grateful clothes, remember all those, you're going to use all these. So when you're in the clothes, hey man, the payments are too high, I can't afford it, we're over budget, hey, of course it's a lot of money. This isn't something you do every day, treat yourself well. I need your okay here and here, let's do this. Work hard to earn this clothes. Hey, I know it's a lot of money. I know it's more than you want to spend. I know it's a big price tag. And this is actually why someone like you works so hard, so that he can earn the right to have these nice things. Look, I need your approval here and here. Let's do this. Again, the whole world seems to think that whatever stage or level they're at in life, they're suffering. The very rich people think, man, I work so hard for all this. And the poor people think what? Man, I work so hard and I have nothing. The whole world seems to agree that they're suffering and not enjoying life enough. So this close, look, you've worked really hard to earn this. Do it. You deserve it. Reward yourself. I need your approval here. People also think they work too hard. You want to use that. When the buyer gets bound up in the money, remind him that's why he works hard. There's only two segments in society that are not over budget, the very rich and the starving. The rest of us just overspend. So how's it go? Work hard to earn this close. I know it's a lot of money, John. I know it's more than you want to spend. I know the payments are too high. And that's actually why someone like you and your wife work so very hard. So you guys can earn the right to have the things that you deserve. Let's do this. You deserve it close. Again, These closes maximize and take advantage of people's hard work. Hey, I know it's a lot of money. I know it's more than you want to spend. I know you're over budget. And the fact is, you deserve it. And if you don't deserve it, I don't know anyone who does deserve it. Now, I need your approval here and here. Let's do this. See, this is much like the two before it. Treat yourself close and work hard to earn close. It plays on people's need to believe they deserve to reward themselves. This is used by people daily to indulge themselves with things they don't need. It's this middle-class America's great justifier for overspending, and you need to tap into it because if you don't, the next guy down the street will. So, how's it go? You deserve it. I know it's a lot of money. I know it's more than you want to spend. I know it's over budget. I know the payments are too high, and you deserve it. And let me tell you, if you don't deserve it, I don't know anyone who does. I need your approval here and here. Great close.
Learn these three together, you'll make more money just as a result of the last three I just gave you. Discount close. The price is too high. So you're going to use this close to handle the price objection. And that exactly, that exactly is the reason to do this now and to get it for yourself now so you can start enjoying it right now. I need your approval here, here, and here. And the guy's going to look at you like you're nuts. You're going to be like, what do you mean? Man, the price is too high. That is exactly the reason you should do this now. And you should get it for yourself now. And you should start enjoying it now. I need your approval here and here. And you're like, Grant, that doesn't make any sense. The guy said the price is too high. And you said that's exactly the reason to do this now and get it for yourself now and start enjoying it now. Exactly. See, this close, while it doesn't make sense to most that hear it, I'm talking about those of you listening, is very powerful and almost backwards way in its use. It's like the wrestler who uses the weight of his opponent to actually pin him down. You use the objection to close. The reason for the objection is the reason to do it. When you learn how to use this successfully, you will hit a new status in selling. So it goes like this. Man, Grant, the color's not right. The price isn't right. The payments aren't right. That's exactly the reason to do this now and get it for yourself. Grant, you don't have it. I got to wait. That's exactly the reason to do this now and get it for yourself and start enjoying it. Okay. Grant, man, uh, you know, uh, we're over budget right now and we can't afford it. That's exactly the reason to do this now and get it for yourself now and start enjoying it now. Grant, what do you mean? Man, I'm over budget. That's right. And it's not going to get any better because you wait. It's going to get further and further out of your budget. That's exactly the reason to do this now. Truth is, we should have done it years ago. Let's roll. Summary close. Henry, let me remind you of what you're getting here. First, you're getting the full library of training material, the complete audio versions, the complete video versions, all the workbooks. You're getting my 800 number for full support. Now, I need your approval here, here, and here. This is called a summary close for a reason. You want to take the time to write out and summarize every point prior to closing. You're getting this, 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 full support. You're getting this, complete internet access. I'm going to send you newsletters. You want to just load up all the summary. It magnifies your attempts to benefit the buyer and the complete range of value you're offering. You want to write these summary points down as we talked about earlier in the book because people believe what they see, not what they hear. This builds value, it makes it real, and it creates urgency. It's called a summary close. I'll use it on every 100% of every deal that I'm ever on. Henry, let me remind you what we're getting here. This, 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 and this. And you want to write it down. No equity close. I don't have any money at this time, Grant. Would you agree to owning your new product, assuming we can arrange financing with no money down? If so... I need your okay here, that all the figures are agreeable. See, this proposal could be set up to encounter this objection so that you can kick it out in the close as a reason not to buy. You want to get rid of the money objection. Grant, I don't have any money at this time. You want to get rid of it, kick it, get this buyer some financing, and get the deal approved. If money's the problem, let me go get the money some other place. This amazes me. How many salespeople don't take responsibility? I'm talking about bankers. I'm talking real estate agents, insurance people. I'm talking about some of the most sophisticated purchases. Individual salespeople are thinking, well, I don't have the money. I can get the money. That's the bank. That's somebody else. That's somebody else. Selling is only half the deal, folks. Getting the money is the other half. And the truth is, until you get the money, the exchange... You know, you get something, they get something. You don't have a close. No equity close. Grant, I don't have any money at this time. What are you going to say? Would you agree to do this? Would you agree to owning the new product? Would you agree to rolling up now, taking delivery now, saying yes right now, signing all the contracts, assuming we can arrange the financing with no money down? You know, a person once told me, they like, Grant, I don't have room on my credit card for this purchase. I'm like, give me the credit card. 
What do you mean, Grant? You said you don't have room. Give me the credit card. I'll run it. If it rolls, it rolls. If it doesn't, you don't buy anything. We swiped it. It ran. He took delivery. It was that simple. Take responsibility for the clothes. Ben Franklin clothes. Who wrote this? I don't know. Ben Franklin gets credit for it. I hate to think that this guy actually did this, but I think somebody else created this and added credence to it by adding Ben Franklin's name to it. It's called the Ben Franklin clothes. I didn't develop it, but I have used it many times. I understand how hard it is to make a decision. And it is said that Ben Franklin, one of our founding fathers, when faced with big decisions, would write down all the pluses and all the minuses of the possibility of decision on a piece of paper so that he could get an accurate evaluation of the right thing to do. Now, what you want to do right now is get a sheet of paper out. So tell me, sir, what are the positives of this purchase and what are the negatives? And you want to write a list out. If the advantages outweigh the negatives, do it. If they don't, outweigh it. Don't invest. What are some advantages? Tell me, number one, number two, number three, number four. Now, I have done this. I've used this close for over 20 years. I have never had somebody come up with more disadvantages to purchasing than advantages to purchasing. This is supposedly what Franklin did. I don't know if that's true or not. Hell, I don't even know if he created electricity. But you're using pure logic, okay? The fact that you're going to give Ben Franklin credit for it, great. But have the buyer help you in writing down what it is. This is a logical approach to a close. How does it go? Ben Franklin close. I understand how hard it is to make a decision, sir. It is said that one of our founding fathers, the great Ben Franklin, when faced with a big decision, would write down the pluses and the minuses on a sheet of paper so he could get a true evaluation, a correct estimation of the right thing to do. So tell me, what are some of the positives of this purchase? Good. What are some of the negatives? Write them out. If the advantages outweigh the negatives, we do it. If not, don't invest. Okay, great clothes. Use it often. Comparison investment clothes. Great. Let's compare what you have now to what you're moving up to. The reality is right now you pay $2,600 a month and your new payment's going to go to $5,000. let us take a logical look at what you get. So let's say I'm selling a piece of real estate or I'm selling a piece of equipment and the payments are going to double. Okay. Use the comparison investment close. You're going to go from this investment to this investment, from $2,600 to $5,000. What do you get? You get, and write it down, better neighborhood, safer neighborhood, newer home, all new appliances, better resale value, a difference of only $80 a day. You want to physically write this out for the buyer to see his answers, not your answers, to see his answers as this allows the buyer to see what he gets, to mentally go through the process of closing himself. Always show the positive and always include the negatives and let him tell you what those are. Same thing with manufacturing purchases, consumer products, insurance products you're selling, anything you can use the comparison investment close. The guy doesn't have insurance now and he's going to go to insurance. He's going to go from zero payments to 500 a month. What's the advantage of spending 500 a month? Life insurance, protection for your family, peace of mind. Uh, your wife doesn't need to worry about it. Man, insurance people learn these closes. They'll sell you more insurance. Same product close. This is when you get, I have a better price from a competitor. Okay, which one would you rather own if the money was the same? If they say mine, why is that? Well, Grant, because I like it better. Why is that? Because it feels bigger and plusher. Why, why else? Because it has a heater built in. Why else? Because you guys have a lifetime warranty. Good, why else? Uh, that's about it. So get the prospect to give you a list of why they'd rather do business with you. Good. Then you understand why we are more money, right? You know why? Because it feels bigger. It's plusher, has a heater built in. They don't. We have a lifetime warranty. They don't. That's why we're more money. Let's do this. See, you want to let the customer do the selling here. Don't argue. Don't ask questions that make him look like a liar. Just ask him, 
Who would you rather do business with? Which product would you rather buy? Then he will tell you the reasons why if you just keep asking why. So he says, Grant, man, I got a better price from the competitor. Don't ask what the price is and don't ask how it was equipped. Don't ask down the street what were they giving you. Just ask this. He's like, Grant, man, I'm shopping TVs and I'm shopping big plasmas. I got a 100-inch plasma with you and a 100-inch plasma with them and I got a better price from them. Okay, okay, sir. So some of these people never even been to another competitor and they're telling you that and they're bluffing you out of money. Just say this. Okay, sir. Which would you rather own if the money was the same? If he's not been to another competitor and he's just making that up, what's he going to say right now? Grant, man, I'd rather buy the 100-inch from you. Really, why is that? Because I like your TV better. Really, why else? You know, because of the black, man, the black, the black. And they had silver and I got black. I mean, I've had people do this whole thing to me. Really, why else, sir? Uh, well, because you guys are closer to me. You're right here. Why else? Well, because I heard your service is better. Really, why else? Well, because, you know... You know, I read it in Consumer Reports that this brand is better than the brand I was looking at. Really, why else? Don't handle this. Don't jump into any of these pieces right now. You just keep asking why else. Why else? Oh, Grant, that's that's the only reason. Okay, so I got a better warranty. I got a better name. Consumer Reports says better things. I'm closer, okay? You like the black rather than the silver finish. Sir, let's do this. I need your approval here and here. But Grant, it's more money than I want to spend. Let me tell you why, sir. Because it's the better brand. It's got a better warranty, better protection. I'm here to service you. I'm closer to you. It's the black finish, not the silver finish. Let's do this and go for the clothes. Great clothes. Use this and you will quit giving your product away. Remember, price is a myth. Price is a myth. People don't buy things because it's the best price. They buy things because they believe it's the best product for them at that time. The reverse close of the last one is same product with a different result. Same product close, but they'd rather buy from the competitor. Grant, I got a better price from the competitor. Okay. Which one would you rather own if the money was the same? Grant, I'd rather buy theirs. Really? Why is that? Because it's got a better warranty. Really? Why else? Even if they don't have a better warranty, don't handle it right now. Why else, sir? Oh, they have the silver finish and you have the black finish. Really? Why else? Oh, they have it in stock. You don't. Why else? Uh, they're closer to me than you are. Why else? Uh, they got a heater built into their TV. Really? Why else? They give TiVo away for free. Really? Why else? Because it's my brother-in-law. Good. I want to show you something. Follow me. Okay? See, once you get this full list of why and they can't answer anymore, follow me. I want to show you something. Because the reality is, folks, you're on the wrong product here. The fact is, you got a brother-in-law problem, and it's not the brother-in-law. It's the sister. Right? They don't buy from brother-in-laws. They buy because the sister's married to some guy. And they want to support the sister, not the brother-in-law. Trust me. So, But the truth is, in this situation, not only do you have the brother-in-law problem, but you, you're on the wrong finish. You might be on the wrong product. If you're going to shop product to product in this situation, you're probably not going to make a deal. So you have to show this buyer, this prospect, this opportunity some other way to make sense out of do business with you rather than doing business with the brother-in-law. You need to get out of the clothes because I believe you're on the wrong product here. 40% of the deals you're in today, 40% of them, you're on the wrong product. When the buyer says the reason is better price, he doesn't always mean a lower price. Many times he's saying a better value. Your buyer is not sold on your product, and the truth is they're not sold on the product down the street, otherwise they'd already taken delivery. It is not uncommon to have this buyer on too little product and miss them because of that. So don't always think that I need to lower him, get him off that 100 inch, it's too much. No, maybe you need to bring him to a bigger product and more money. But the point is, get off the product right now, because that's the only way you're going to save this deal. Same product clothes, theirs. You need to learn these. You need to learn the difference between the two. And if you think they sound the same, if you think they are the same, you need to study more on them because they're different. 
Now and later close, number one. Let me suggest that I show you the cost of doing it now versus the cost of doing it later. The cost, because you want to wait. Okay, this is a situation where they want to wait. Excellent, great idea, that's super, and I'll be here, no matter what you do. Let's just look at the cost of doing it now versus the cost of doing it later. The cost now is $300,000. The cost later is approximately 6% more with the new price increases that you're in. That cost equals another $18,000 and a monthly cost of almost $400 that you don't need to waste. Not to mention that with this new product, you, the company, and your clients would be benefiting without paying the extra costs. Look, let's do the smart thing. Sign here and here. You want to use logic to close and emotion to sell. You want to take time out by writing time down. You want to actually sit down and show them the cost of waiting because there is always a cost of waiting. Time is money. You ever heard that? Well, show them what that means. Hey, sir, let me suggest that I show you the cost of doing it now versus the cost of doing it later. If it makes sense to do it later, do it later. The cost now is 300000 At the end of the year, we're going to go up 6%. It'll be three eighteen. The $18,000 is going to cost you an extra, yeah, I think about $360 a month. $360 a month over the life of the loan will cost you another $28,000, okay? In the meantime, between now and the end of the year, you don't have the use of the product. You don't have the savings of the product. You don't have your people using the product every day and getting accustomed to it. There's so many more costs. You want to do it now you want to do it later? If after all that, they still want to do it later, you haven't uncovered the real objection. Flush the objection close. If everything were right, would you make a decision to purchase the product right now? Yes? Okay, so what's not right? Is it the price, the financing, the product, the terms? Is it me, the company? Is it something you haven't told me? This is called flush the objection close. If everything were right, everything were perfect, if all the terms were exactly what you wanted, would you make a decision to purchase the product right now? Yes? Good. So what is it? price, the financing, the product, the terms, me, the company. See, so you want to flush the objection. You want to use this late in a deal. Never, ever, never use this early. This close will test the validity of the desire not to buy and determine whether or not you have the decision maker and discover the real, possibly unspoken objection. A yes means something is missing, so you need to start over. Flush the objection. If everything were right, would you make a decision to purchase the product right now? If everything were right, would you make a decision to move forward on the contract right now? Okay, so what's not right? The price, the financing, the product, the terms, break down all the integral parts of the agreement. You knew that before close. Sir, I agree it's a lot of money. Yes, ma'am, I agree it's a lot of money. I agree it's a lot of money, and you knew that before you got here. Now, I need your approval here and here. Now, you remember the do it anyway close? I'm going to ask a lot of money. Great, sir. I know it's a lot of money, and you knew that before you got here. Do it anyway. This is called you knew that before close. I agree it's a lot of money. I know it's a lot of money. Everybody that comes here knows it's a lot of money, and you knew that before you got here. Now, I need your approval here and here. Let's do this. See, quit turning complaints into objections. You have rich people complaining it's a lot of money. You got middle class people, upper middle class people complaining it's a lot of money. You got lower middle class people saying it's a lot of money. You got poor people that even say it's a lot of money. Look, there are complaints. You have people and companies going over budget every day, every week, every month, and every year, and complaining about their next purchase being too expensive only to buy all the things they claim are too much money. Agree, discount, close. Agree. You know what that means? Discount mean. You know what that means? You discount the objection. You don't discount the price, and then you close. Sir, I know it's a lot of money. I agree it's a lot of money, and you knew before you got here that it was a lot of money. Now, let's do this.
If it's truly valid, then you will use other inventory to move to. If the objection price is truly valid, you'll move to other inventory to solve the problem. Gratitude close. Mr. Buyer, I agree it's a lot of money. Mrs. Buyer, I agree it's a lot of money. Be grateful that you and your company are in a position to consider the product. Be grateful there are businesses right now currently shutting down their doors and people that don't even know where they're going to get their next meal. Be grateful that you're in the position you're in. They would love to be in your position. You're able to own and enjoy a new, you're able to actually consider buying this. You deserve it. You've worked hard for it, and you're in a position to do it. So be grateful you can do this. I need your approval here and here. This is called the gratitude close. I'm going to tell you, it's for big hitters, heavy hitters like yourself that are listening to this. Quit buying in. Quit being sold. Quit being closed by them rather than you doing the closing. Agree and acknowledge the buyer's ability to make a big decision. Let's say it's a $200,000 product or $2 million. Man, that's a lot of money, Grant. It's just a lot of money. You're in the clothes and you're close and you know you're close. You can smell clothes. That's a lot of money, Grant. Sir, be grateful that you and your company are in a position to consider the product. There are businesses shutting down their doors. There are people that will lose their jobs this year. People don't even know where they're going to get their next meal in many cases. They'd love to be in the position you're in. Look, you're able to do this. You're able to take advantage of it. Your competitors can't. You deserve it. You've worked hard for it. Your company's in a position to do this. Be grateful you can. Let's do this. I need your approval here and here. This is called the unwind close. You'll remember the copy close. This is similar to the unwind close and the copy close. You come back and they've changed their mind. Grant, we've changed our mind. We think we're going too fast. Hey, no problem. I'll tell you what we can do. Let's just put this off. Let's put off the idea of making a decision for a while. How does that feel to you? It feels good, doesn't it? Good. You know, I go through the same thing myself. I know what I want. I go out and find it. When it comes time to making that final decision, God, I get scared every time. I get scared I'm not doing the right thing. You know, that maybe this is the wrong thing. It's the wrong time. It's too much money. Tell me this. Do you really believe this satisfies your needs, this purchase? Yeah, Grant, I do. Okay, number two. Is this product affordable? I mean, if you wanted to do it, could you afford it? Yeah, Grant, we could. The big question number three is, do you deserve to reward yourself? Or is this the time for your company to expand? This unwinding from a buyer's doubt happens often. It demoralizes salespeople who thought just for a brief moment they had a deal come back only to find out it came undone. This takes very professional handling, and this close does exactly that. You want to agree and then go back to the close. Grant, hey, we've changed our mind. Man, I hate to break the bad news to you. We feel like we're going too fast. Hey, no problem, John. I'll tell you what we can do. Let's just put off making a decision for a while. How does that feel? Hey, it feels good, doesn't it, man? Now you don't make a decision. You got a little room. You get to breathe. See, you can expand on all that, right? You know, I go through the same thing myself. I know that I want something. I go out and I find it. And when it comes time to making the final decision, oh, I get scared. I get scared I'm doing the wrong thing. Hey, tell me this. Do you really believe this satisfies I mean, does this product satisfy your needs? Good. Good. He says yes. Number two, if you wanted to do this, is it affordable for you? Yes. Good. Third question. The big question. Do you deserve to reward yourself? Or is it time for the company to expand, whichever might be the case for you? Yeah, grand man, I deserve to reward myself. I work really hard. Good. Close the deal. You see, you're back into the deal again. So it's an unwind close. There's a number of other time-related closes that would help you right here so that you quit getting stalled. Here's another one. We're going to wait close number one. Certainly you can do that. Let me just share with you what happens while you wait. 
Number one, you and your company still need the product. Do you agree with that? Yes. Two, it's costing you not to have the product. The cost alone over the next, how long do you think you wait? Two months, three months, four months, six months? We we'll probably wait about six months. Good. It's going to cost you this much, this much, this month in May, June, July. Number three, nothing changes when you leave here except prices go up. So let's do this. Let's get this done as you have many, many other things to put your attention on. I need your okay here and here. So this buyer is now going to wait. Man, they're close. They're about to do it. Now I'm going to wait. Certainly, sir, you can do that. Certainly, ma'am, you can do that. Let me just share with you what happens while you wait. You know, they say time is money. Let's just see what the cost is. First of all, you and your company still need the product when you leave here. You agree with that? Yeah, Grant, we still need the product. Good. That's important to get that, you know, realization. Number two, it's going to cost you money not to have the product. The efficiency alone offered by this product was going to save you X. If you wait six months and multiply six times X, this is what you save. Number three, nothing changes when you leave here except the prices go up. We expect a 6% increase on this product before the end of the year. So this is what's happening. You still need the product when you leave. It's costing you money not to have the product. Your people are ready for the product. Your customers want the product. Nothing changes when you leave here except the prices go up. Look, let's get this done. Let's do this. You've got many other things to run in your company. Put your attention on. I need your okay here and here. Agree. Then present what happens when someone waits. Agree with them. I agree. You can wait. That's your option. Show them when someone waits that nothing positive really happens. You're looking to uncover the real objection in this close. It's called going to wait close, number one. When value exceeds price close. This is with the buyer that says, I have a better price with your competitor. I understand and I assure you that there is a great deal of difference between what my competitor delivers and what we deliver. And once you see exactly what that is, you will see that I actually offer more value than what they presented to you. And when value exceeds price, I think you will agree, price is no longer the issue. See, this is where you know your product and your service and how much you have to offer exceeds what they have to offer. This is when you'd better figure out what it is and sell it, or you will always be beat on price and inferior products. I have seen buyers say they could buy the same exact product from someone else, and I knew for sure that no one else in the marketplace offered even a remotely similar product. Don't argue, build value. Quit selling and start closing. Show the difference in the value and you won't have to close on price. Price is a myth. When value exceeds price, that's the close. Sir, I understand, I understand and assure you that there's a great deal of difference between what I offer and what my competitor delivers. What we deliver and what they deliver are completely different products. I'm not asking you to believe me, but I'm going to tell you, I believe that once you see exactly what it is they have and what we have, you will see that I actually offer more value, more benefits, more savings than what has been presented to you. Because the reality, sir, is when value exceeds price, price alone is no longer the issue. Three agreements and close. Do you agree that this is the right product for you? Do you agree that sooner or later your company will have to make this purchase? Would you agree we have always service you? Good. Then do this as you agree it's the right thing to do. Now, this is very similar to the three yeses. Remember that? Do you agree this is the right product? Get a yes. Do you agree that sooner or later your company will have to make this purchase? Yes. Would you agree we've always service you? Yes. Good. Do this as you agree it's the right thing to do. Let's do this. Sign here and here. 
This is where you link a number of agreements or yeses in order to get the big agreement. This questioning gets momentum moving in the right direction. Very, very simple. Very, very much assumption closing and aligns the buyer's thinking to something positive so that they can take a positive action. Minor point close. Do you like the color? Do you like the size? Can you see yourself using it every day? Good, then let's wrap it up and get it ready for you. Now, you can use as many minor point closes as you want to, just things that you know are going to be positive answers. You're going for the minor point. Hey, do you like the warranty? You know, do you like the size? Because they said they like the size. Do you like the location of our facility? And have you heard good things about our service? Anything you know you can get a minor point close or affirmation on. This wraps it up. Once you get enough minor points agreed on, let's wrap this up. Let's get it ready for you. I need you to sign here and here. Look for any minor points that you know you can get a yes to. Once you get yeses to minor questions, then go for the big close. Who taught you that close? It's a great close, okay? Anytime you're in a situation, we can't afford it, we can't do it, we got to think, we got to, you could use this in so many different situations where you just look shocked at the buyer and say, who taught you to think like that? What do you mean? You can do anything you want to do. You can afford whatever you want to afford. You're capable of doing anything and everything that you choose to. Now, that's not you talking to me right now. It's got to be somebody else. Who taught you to say you can't afford it or you need to think about it or I can't do that? That's not you. Come on, let's do this deal. Sign here and here. Now, to do this close, to use this close, to be effective, you have to absolutely act shocked when you hear this as though it's impossible that this person would even say this. Like, I can't believe you're saying this to me. While this may appear to contradict the earlier agreement rule, the reality is you're acknowledging this person can do anything that he or she wants to do. To pull this off, you have to be straightened out on money yourself so that if you're hearing money objections, you need to be mentally clear on money because if you're not getting money from others, it's because you have some hang-up on money. And you maybe you're running around the whole universe saying, I can't afford it, I can't afford it, I can't afford it. So everybody's going to tell you what? Hey, I can't afford it. Then you're going to look at them shocked because I'm going to tell you, if you're telling people you can't afford it, that's not you. That's some training you got for somebody else from Susie Orman on TV or she told you can't afford what you want to afford. You bought in, you believe it, you made some mental decision, you attract what you believe in, and now everybody's telling you can't afford it. Now you're going to look at them shocked and you're going to say what? Who taught you to think like that? That's not you talking to me. Look, you can do anything you want to do. You can afford anything you want to afford. You can make any decision you want to make because you're an incredibly powerful person. Now, let's do this. Great close. Able close. It's called the able close. Grant, I can't do it or the price or the money, whatever the stall is, right? Sir, forgive me. But when you say you can't do it today, I got to tell you, you're shocking me. I'm shocked. You're one of the most competent, most able, most intelligent people that I've ever sat in front of. I have people that don't have near your capacity, near your wherewithal to purchase this product every day, and they do it. Now, come on, let's do this. Sign here and here, please. It's called the able close. This, again, is one whereby you empower the client by acknowledging what they're capable of. You're shocked that they're saying this to you. This is not them, okay? They're telling you something that you're like, I can't even believe this. You're going to basically affirm the validity of this human being. Many things heard in the close are mere reactions. They're not real responses to situations. You want to discount some of the things you hear by being almost, forgive me, sir, 
But when you say you can't do it today, I got to tell you, man, I'm shocked. You're one of the most competent, the most able, and most intelligent, creative people that have ever sat in front of me. I have people that don't have near your wherewithal, near your capacity, near your intelligence, not even close that purchase this product every day. Now, let's do this. Sign here and here, please. Great clothes. You need to learn this and make it yours. Intelligence clothes. Man, Grant, I, you know, I just can't do this, or I'm having reservations, or we need to think about it, or we need to do more homework, or whatever the objection is again. Sir, you're one of the most intelligent people that has ever sat across from me, and you know that you have a lifetime a lifetime comprised of intelligent and well-thought-out decisions. This will be another intelligent decision. Let's do this. I need your signatures here, here, and here. Again, you're acknowledging the buyer's intelligence and ability to make good decisions and are not willing to buy into just mere reactions. Many people lack the ability to believe in themselves, even when they've made billion dollars of decisions. Even when they've made a lifetime of good decisions, they still go into doubt and might need you to blow them up a little bit and remind them that they can make a good decision. Many people lack this ability or lose the ability to make a decision and closing a deal requires that you're able to inspire someone to take action. The intelligence close. Sir, you're one of the most intelligent people that has ever sat across from me and you know that you have a lifetime comprised of intelligent, well-thought-out decisions. This will be another intelligent decision. Let's do this. I need your signature here and here. Do the right thing close. This is when you're getting a stall on making a decision. Sir, I want you to do the right thing. And if you don't think this is the right thing, I certainly don't want you to do it. I want you to do the right thing as I trust that you're a person that prides himself on always doing the right thing. You've built a life of right actions and right decisions. If this purchase doesn't fit under right things, then I don't want you to do it. But I don't believe that to be the case. Let's do this if you think it's the right thing. If not, tell me what's not right. Great clothes. It's called Do the Right Thing Clothes. This comes from your sincere and genuine desire for people to do the right thing. And many times, in fact, most of the time, in fact, for me, all the time, somebody not doing something with me is never, ever, can't be impossible the right thing. If I'm closing them on doing something with me, I already believe it's the right thing. I don't have any reservations about that. They're the only one that has a reservation. Let's say I'm raising money for some charity outfit and I'm doing a fundraiser and I really, really believe in the fundraising we're doing, right? And like, oh, I'd like to, but I don't know. It's not the right time. The economy's tough, blah, blah, blah. Sir, I want you to do the right thing because I trust you are the kind of person that prides himself on always doing the right thing. You've built a life of right actions and right decisions. If this purchase or this investment or you writing a check to this charity wouldn't fit under the right things, then I wouldn't want you to do it. But I don't believe that to be the case. You know how many people this is going to help. You know how many people will benefit you know how many people in this room look to you as a model of someone that takes the right actions? And because of what you do tonight, they'll do something. Now, let's do this thing. If it's the right thing, if it's not, if it's not the right thing, tell me what's not right about it. Great close. That close is so good, I'm going to give you one to follow it up. Do the right thing close number two. I want you to do the right thing as I trust you're a person that prides himself on always doing the right thing. You have built a life of right actions and right decisions and avoid, obviously avoided, making wrong ones. If this purchase doesn't fit under right things, then don't do it. Now, let's logically look at this thing so you can make the right decision. Let me ask you, give me one thing that makes it the right thing to do. 
Good. What makes it the wrong thing to do? Great. What makes it the right thing to do? And you're going to keep going back and forth between the right thing and the wrong thing until you exhaust this list. You want to make a list and determine which one to do. This shows understanding and acknowledges the individual's ability to make good decisions. Make a list similar to the Ben Franklin, but you want to go from good decision to bad decision, good decision to bad decision, good decision to bad decision. I've had people do this. Okay, I got it. I got it. Let's do it. Let's roll. I understand. Thanks, Grant. appreciate you being so logical with me and closing me up now. So what are you going to do here? Right? Do the right thing. Close number two. I want you to do the right thing as I trust that you're a person that prides himself on doing the right thing. You have built a life of right actions and right decisions, and hey, you've done an incredible job of avoiding wrong ones. If this purchase doesn't fit into right things, then don't do it. Let's just take a logical look so you can make the right decision. Tell me, what makes it the right thing to do? He gives you an answer. I help a lot of people. Good. What makes it the wrong thing to do? Uh, I got money has to leave my checking account. Okay, good. What makes it the right thing to do? Man, it'll inspire a lot of people in this room. Excellent. What makes it the wrong thing to do? Uh, money leaves my checking account. Good. What makes it the right thing to do? Well, man, you know, I haven't given much money this year anyway, and I need the tax write-off. Excellent. What makes it the wrong thing to do? Uh, money's got to leave my bank account. Shit, has got to leave it anyway. Let's do it. Okay, boom. Close the deal. Scarcity closed. Be careful with this close, okay? It can backlash on you. As you're aware, John, there's a limited availability of this specific product. There's a huge demand for the product, and I want to ensure that I'm able to get you what you want. So look, let's get the paperwork done so I can assure that you're able to be one of the first people to own and enjoy this product. I need your initials here, here, and here. Now, you got to be careful with this because people will say, look, if it's not here later, it's not meant for me. So as you're aware, John, there's a limited availability of this specific product, a huge demand for it, and I want to ensure that I'm able to get you what you want. So let's get the paperwork so I can assure you're able to get one of the first one or have the first table or have the first product when it comes out and you can start enjoying it. This closes uses scarcity. That's why it's called the scarcity close and the hope of being the first and possibly even using the fear of loss as momentum to close. Be careful again with these types of closes. However, as today's consumers can get worn out quickly on these kind of like, okay, if you don't do it, you lose it. Takeaway close. Let me suggest that you don't do this now. If you come back tomorrow, take some time, take tonight to think about it. You come back tomorrow, and if somebody already steps up and has spoken for it, you'd have to take that as a sign that it was never meant for you. Now, you want to sit back from your desk and wait. It's called a takeaway close. You're going to actually remove the product. It's similar to the scarcity close, but opposite. They're like, I don't know, I don't know. Sir, let me, let me suggest that you just don't do it right now. You can come back tomorrow. Call me tomorrow. If it's already been spoken for, take it as a sign from the gods that it was never meant for you. Now, this is a riskier close whereby you offer to take the product away and you offer to remove the decision to close and you propose that they walk away at this time. It's better to know that the buyer is sold on the product, convinced, closed, ready. See, because if they're really sold, they're not going to walk away. This one is only for the brave, okay? I encourage you to use it. I look forward to hearing you call our office and tell us, man, I did the takeaway and it worked perfectly. Want to be first or last close? John, the reality is you're either going to buy this now or you're going to buy it later. But you know you need this. And you know you're going to do it sooner or later. The question is, do you want to be the first to do it or the last to do it? Do you want to do it now or do you want to do it later? You know what? Let's do this. Let's get it done and make you the first, not the last.
See, like all closes, the buyer has to be on the right product. They have to be the decision maker and they have to be sold. When you get to this point, you have a buyer just not wanting to make a decision, but you know they want to do it. You know it. You know they need it. You know it's the right thing. This is especially good to use when you're confident that they're going to do this sooner or later anyway. You remember the little candies now or later? This is also particularly suitable on products that are just coming out or where competitors of the company you're talking to may be taking advantage of your services later. Want to be first or want to be last? The reality is, John, you're going to be buying the product. You're going to invest in it. Either you're going to do it now or you're going to do it later. But you know you need it. And you know sooner or later you're going to do it. The question is, do you want to be the first to do it or the last to do it? The question is, do you want to do it now or do you want to do it later? Come on, let's do this now and get it done and make you the first. Sooner or later close. The reality is you're going to do this sooner or later, and you know it. You need the product. You like the product. I could probably even say you love the product. You can afford the product. So let's do this sooner rather than later. Let's get this done now. You see, you have to know the difference between valid objections and just reactions to decisions. Most of what you get hit with, I think you would agree, are only reactions. Stay confident, stay focused, be prepared with the closes, and stay certain about what you're certain about and close the deal. Sooner or later close. John, the reality is you're going to do this sooner or later and you know it. You need the product. I could even say you love the product, but let's just settle on you like the product. You need it, you like it, you can afford it. And you're going to do it sooner or later. So let's do this sooner rather than later. Let's get this done right now. I need your initials here, here, and here. Get it done and overclose. Of course you could wait. You don't have to make a decision right now. But I want to get it done now and over so that you can put your attention on the things that are more important to you. Sign here and here, please. So this is, I want to get it over. I want to get it done and over with close. Of course you could wait. You could wait. What, month, two months, three months, six months? You could wait. You could never do this. Of course you can wait. Of course you don't have to make a decision right now, but I want to get it done. And I want to get this over so you can put your attention on the things that are more important to you. Now, I need your signature here, here, and here. Now, do you think I'm too persistent and never take no as a correct decision by a buyer? You know, they're saying, I want to do it right now. I can't do it. Do you think that I think that that is never a good decision for them? Well, you know what? You're right. I believe the buyer is sold. When I believe they're sold, I believe I should close the deal and finish it. I'm going to close this deal. And if I need to persist to get it done, I will. I know enough about people to know that they're not confident until they're closed. Once they're closed, they'll quit creating reactions, emotional reactions, and noise, if you will, for why they can't do something. This is get it done and over. Of course you could wait. Of course you could put off making a decision. But I want to get this done, and I want to get it over so you can put your attention on the things that are more important to you. I need your approval here, here, and here. Never the best time close. John, there is never a best time to make this decision, as you will always have things going on. Let's do this now. You're going to do it sooner or later. Let's get this handled so you can start benefiting from it right now. I need your signature here, here, and here, please. See, people tend to want to add time to their decisions in order not to make a decision thinking tomorrow or later will be a better time. To the degree that you yourself procrastinate in life, you will probably buy into this objection. And to the degree that you aren't completely sold, you'll get convinced that the buyer should wait. People that get into power in their lives make decisions and they move on to the next thing and they do things quickly. Confront the fact that there's never a perfect time. Time is now. Let's do this and get it done. So here's the close. Never the best time close. John, there's never a best time to make a decision, as you will always have things going on. 
let's do this right now. Let's get it handled for you so you and your company can start benefiting right now. I need your approval here and here. Won't allow close. I understand your position. However, I cannot allow you not to own this product. It is the right thing for you and your company. I would never mislead you, and it is the right thing to do. Now, John, I need your approval here and here. This is called the won't allow close. It requires tremendous confidence on your part, and you need to use it with speed and power. You also need to have a strong relationship with the buyer, as in all the closes, so that you can be completely convincing that this product is right. By the way, you need to be completely convinced that the product is right, that it serves them, that you're the right people. It's called won't allow close. I understand your position, however. I cannot allow you not to own this product. I cannot allow you not to make a decision on this. It is the right thing for you. It's the right thing for your company. I would never mislead you. You're going to do it anyway. I need your approval here and here. All the assumption closes. The ownership closes. The sooner or later closes. The do it anyway closes. All those closes would be very, very beneficial. Ownership close. John, I'm putting your name on this. I will not let someone else get it as I know it's the right thing for you. It's the right product. It's affordable. It's perfect for you. Now, how do you want to pay for it? This, again, is an assumption close whereby you are in a position to insist, insist on them owning it. This requires a lot of confidence. It requires a great relationship with your buyer, and you have to be completely sold on this concept that this is the right product. Move with speed when you use this close. So what is it called? The ownership close. John, I'm putting your name on this. I will not let someone else get this product as I know it's the right thing for you. I know it's perfect for you, and I know you're going to do it sooner or later. How do you want to pay for it? Contribution close. While you alone are making the decision, I want to share with you that your decision does not just affect you, but also benefits others. As when you say yes to doing this right now, your purchase goes a long way to helping a lot of people. It helps me. It helps my wife. It helps the managers here. It helps the owners. It helps the people in the back. It helps the employee, the receptionist. It helps the, actually the community because we pay taxes here. And I know, John, you like the idea of contributing to others. Now, you're going to do it anyway. I need your approval here and here. This is called the contribution close. This close involves others, not just the decision maker. You're using the effect that will be created by this person's ability to make a decision and how it positively influences not just the decision maker, but others by them taking action right now. It's called the contribution close. While you alone are making the decision, I want to share with you that your decision does not affect just you but also benefits others when you say yes to doing this now. Your purchase goes a long way to helping a lot of people. List them, and I know you like the idea of contributing to others. John, I need your approval here and here. Personal favor close. While ultimately, John, is your decision, I would ask you to consider one other thing. The fact that you would do this now would be a personal favor to me, as I certainly benefit. I need the help right now, and it would greatly be appreciated by me and my family. Would you please do me a personal favor and agree to doing this now? Shut up, pass the pen, and ask him to sign. It's personal favor close. Some people will do it for others before they will ever do it for themselves. You have family members. They'll do anything for you and very little for themselves. Now, I personally hate saying no to a salesperson when they directly ask me for help. It just kills me. It melts me down. You have to take the time first to build that relationship and really work for the buyer before this close would ever benefit you. Once you have that relationship, this can be a very effective close, personal favor close. While ultimately, John, it is your decision, I would ask you to consider one other thing.
The fact that you would do this now would be a personal favor to me as I would greatly benefit. Look, I need the help right now. It would be appreciated so much by my wife, my children. If my dogs could think, they would appreciate it. Now, come on, do me a personal favor. Agree to doing this now and not putting it off. I need your approval right here. The bed clothes. Now, my wife swore to me that this would never work for her, on her. 24 hours after I told her about it, somebody used it on her. It's called the bed clothes. John, I'm begging you to do this now. It will make all the difference to me. It'll make the difference to my family. It'll make the difference to my month. Now, while America frowns on beggars, and because all of us have been properly suppressed or socialized, most of us read this, will resist using this clothes. Oh, I don't beg. I'm not a beggar. There's no way I'm begging anybody for anything. But I have to tell you, I think nothing of using this is the way to get my products and services in the hands of others. I'll do whatever it takes to get the job done, including tapping into that part of the human being that wants to help another human being. I am willing to beg to get the deal. This would not be used as a first resort, but late in the game when you cannot understand why the buyer is not saying yes. I mean, you can't make sense of it. You've run out of anything useful that gets the job done, so you go to the bed clothes. John, I'm begging you to do this now. It'll make all the difference to me. It'll make the difference to my family. It'll make the difference to my month. Man, I need your help. I'm begging you, John. Sign here and here. You're not even playing fair when you use that one. The game clothes. I'm asking you to do this now rather than waiting. We're playing a game here, and your decision today will go a long way to my team, which you're on, by the way, winning the game, whereby we all benefit in a big way and we beat our opposing team. I'm counting on you as our team member, as a key player, to make sure we win this game. Be on our team. Help us win. I need your signature here and here. This close utilizes everyone's desire to play games and be on the winning side. We keep lots of games going on in our office. You know, when everybody's pumped and playing games, we tend to do better. And the same in your situation. This keeps things very positive, very high tone. It's similar to the bag and commission close. Don't be ashamed to use these. Whatever it takes within ethical lines to get a deal done, be creative. This is called the game close. I'm asking you to do this right now, John, rather than waiting. Because our team here, our company is playing a game. And your decision today will go a long way to my team winning. By the way, you're on my team, man. You're the key player. Winning the game benefits everybody here in a big way. I'm counting on you as a team player, as a key player, actually. As someone who actually makes the decision on who wins and who doesn't. Look, man, be on my team. Come on, be my superstar. Help us win. I need your signature right here. Commission close. John, any more of a discount will result in me not getting paid on this transaction. And I know you don't want that. What remains as a profit is actually my commission. And that is the sole way in which I get compensated and how I take care of my family. Come on, boss. Help me out here. I'm working day and night to take care of my family with only a small hope. If I work hard enough, I might get where you are one day. Look, people are more likely to help another human being and reduce the need for more of a discount because of a human element than the product itself. That's why I say price is a myth. People want to help other people, and you're not tapping into that. If you're a great salesperson, if you're a professional, if you really know your product and you really stand up, you can ask people for help. Commission close. John, any more of a discount would result in me not getting paid on this transaction, and I know you don't want that. What remains as a profit is my commission, and that is the sole way of how I get compensated and how I take care of my family. Come on, boss, help me out here. I'm working day and night to take care of my family with only a small hope if I work hard enough, I might get where you are one day. 
Leave it up to the bank close. Great close when the buyer thinks they can't get done, they can't get financed, they can't get approved. It's obvious, sir, you're concerned about the money. Let me suggest, since money is the issue, we leave it up to the bank. If the lender, the bank, the credit card company, if they approve the deal, and I know they won't approve it if they don't think you can do it, then we do the deal. If, however, they don't approve it, then no harm done. Let's leave it up to them. Sign here, here, and here, and we will leave it up to the lenders. This close is used when the buyer is saying it's all about the money and does not think that the company can afford the purchase or they can't get credit or whatever. Use the lender as the approval point, as the close point. Leave it up to the bank close. It's obvious. John, you're concerned about the money. Let me suggest, since money is the issue, we leave it up to the bank. If the lender, the bank, or the credit card company approves the deal, and look, I know they won't approve it if they don't think you can do it, then we do the deal. If not, hey, no harm done. Sign here and here, we'll leave it up to the lenders. Puppy dog clothes. Be careful with this one. It's been around a long time. You don't use it enough, but you can't overuse it. Let me suggest you take this home tonight. You take delivery of the product. You start using the product. And when you wake up tomorrow morning, then you decide whether it's the right thing for you or not. If you decide it's not, then bring it back and no problem. This close can be overused, of course, as a way not to close the deal. So be sure you make this as a last-ditch effort. But you want to get your product in the hands of people. That's why this 100% money-back guarantee thing works so well on TV sales and Internet purchases. 100% money-back guarantee. Well, most people don't send it back. It's a puppy dog close. The power of this close is particularly with those items people really have an affinity for. They want. they got to have it. They want to touch it. It would not work well with products that don't have some heart connection as well anyway. And again, weak salespeople, shortcutters, will tend to overuse this as a way not to confront, not to close, and not lock deals down. Puppy dog close. Let me suggest, John, you take it home tonight. When you wake up tomorrow morning, you decide whether it's the right thing for you or not. If you decide it's not, no questions asked, bring it back, no problem. We undo the deal. Phil felt and found close. Learned this when I was 24 years old. I appreciate the way you feel. I have felt exactly the same way until I found out that I don't have another one coming in. So you could wait. And I, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. You could certainly wait. And I, and I felt the same way. Uh, yeah, what, what's the difference in waiting? And then I found out, management told me, we don't have another one coming in. Look, the product's not going to get lower. And the bottom line is you need it now. Let's do this. It's called feel, felt, and found. Grand man, I don't like this, or the payments are too high, the price, or the budget, or we need to wait. I appreciate the way you feel. I have felt exactly the same way you feel until I found out. This close is about empathy and understanding. Feel, felt, and found. Then move back to why they should do it anyway. It's a great close. It's easy to remember. I don't know who originally created this, but I'll tell you, the first guy I ever heard it from was a great, great sales trainer, a Southern boy by the name of Jackie Cooper. John, I appreciate the way you feel. I felt exactly the same way until I found out. And then I tell them what I found out. Quality clothes. John, I know it's more money than you considered. I know it's more money than your wife considered. And I would expect that is exactly the same thing that happens to the both of you when you buy any products. It is obvious. You're people that exemplify quality. You buy quality goods. You live in quality. You wear quality. And you know that quality products cost more than other products. Now, let's get this done so you can start enjoying it now. Now, this is a rich person clothes right here. This is for rich people, and it'll make you rich. It's quality clothes. I know it's more money than you considered. I know it's more than you and the company expected to spend. And I would expect 
That is exactly the same thing that happens to you when you buy other products. It's obvious you folks are, you exemplify quality, you buy quality goods, you live in quality, you wear quality, and huh, you know quality products cost more than other products. Let's get this done so you can start enjoying it now. Great close. Future date close. This is when you can't get a close, but you want to get a commitment to a future date. Since I'm unable to get you to do this today, can I at least get a commitment and an agreement from you that you will do this with me at some time in the future. This is used when you're unable to close the deal now, and you've made tremendous efforts, probably had some help getting a deal closed right now, but you can't. But you want the buyer to give you some future commitment to participate or do something with you. If they will not give you this agreement in the future, time is not actually the issue. It's more likely that you haven't uncovered the real objection. Future date close. Since I'm unable to get you to do this today, and I have tried, can I at least get a commitment and an agreement from you that you will do this with me at some time in the future? Price guarantee close. Since price is your only concern, I'd like to offer you our price promise guarantee, which is that if you were to leave here with our product, find a better price from anyone, we will match that price or beat it. This is our way to give you the assurance that you're getting the very best price available anywhere in the market. Since I have now resolved your only concern, which was price, I need your approval here and here. Now, this close obviously has to be coordinated with executives and management, whereby the company will then stand behind the lowest price promise or guarantee. I don't know what the big fear or concern is, because most of you will match or beat the price later anyway if you had to to save the deal. This has become a very popular way of legitimizing pricing in retail today and should be considered as a way to encourage decisions now. Almost anyone would later match a deal if that is what it took to save a deal. So initiate this as a way to close. Price guarantee close. John, since price is your only concern, I'd like to personally offer you our price promise guarantee, which is if you were to leave here with our product, go down the street and find a better price, we would match that price or beat it. This is our way of giving you the assurance that you are getting the very best price. Now, since I've resolved your concern about money, I need your approval here and here. Now or never close. This is the offer I'm making you for right this moment in time, and it is a now or never offer, as I will not be able to make this available tonight, tomorrow, or even later today. Because we have an incentive available to us right now, I am able to offer this to you right now. And John, it expires when you leave here. Look, let's do this so you can take advantage of the incentives I'm being provided right now. Now, this can be a very powerful close. It has to be used selectively and carefully as if the buyer denies this and resists it and doesn't want it. You're going to lose face later if you offer the same thing later. It will normally be offered at the same time that you bring some special consideration to your negotiations. And for that special consideration, you're asking for a decision right now. Also, you need to be very, very positive when you offer this. Avoid making it confrontational. Be very careful not to overuse this. Now or never close. John, this is the offer I'm making to you right now at this moment. And it is, don't be offended, but it is a now or never offer as I will not be able to make this available tonight tomorrow, or even later today. Because of incentives that we have available to us right now, tied to targets that we're trying to attain right now, I'm able to offer this right now, and it expires when you leave here. 
Come on, let's do this. You can take advantage of it. We win. You win. Everyone wins. Done everything possible, close. I've done everything possible. Everything I can do for you, I have done. I have found the exact product that you wanted. We have met your exact specifications. I have done everything that you've asked to get the terms that you've wanted. And I will continue to do everything for you in the way of service. Now, I need you to do something for me. What's that, Grant? I need you to sign here, here, and here, and let's get on with this. This is called done everything possible close. I've done everything I can for you. I've found the exact product that you wanted. We have met your exact specifications. I've done everything possible to get you the terms you've wanted. And I will continue to do everything for you in the way of service. Now, John, I need you to do something for me. Sign here, here, and here, and let's get on with this. It's a great close. Get strong, go long. Get more done close, particularly for stallers. John, the sooner we get this done, the more you will be free to get other things done and the more time you can have to concentrate on those things not yet done. Let's do this so you can get on with doing all the other things that require your attention. This is a very successful close on high-powered individuals, movers and shakers, who know the more they get done, the more they can get done. This is just one of those basic truths of the universe, and any salesperson that ever uses this on me will close me. Okay? It's get more done close. I don't know. I don't know. I'm thinking about it. i got to think about it. John, the, the sooner we get this done, and the more you will be free to get other things done. And the more time you can have to concentrate on the things not yet done. Let's do this so you can get on with doing all the things that require your attention. I need your approval here, here, and here. Handshake close. You know it serves your needs. You know you can afford it. It's only a matter of time before you do it. Let's get this done. Reach over with an open hand, assuming handshake for agreement, and shut up. You know it serves your needs. You know you can afford it. It's only a matter of time before you do it. Let's get this done. Reach your hand out with an open hand, assuming a handshake, for agreement, shut up, then you get signatures. See, there comes a time in every deal where it basically comes down to this, moving toward an agreement with assumption. Look the buyer in the eye, reach over with an open hand, quit talking, get the buyer to shake your hand. Keep it out there as long as you have to. Do not say a word. You need to drill this, practice it, and rehearse it. You're going to feel uncomfortable when they don't shake your hand. Handshake closed. You know it serves your needs. You know you need the product. You know you can afford it. You know it's only a matter of time before you do it. Hey, let's get this done. Reach out with an open hand. Assume a handshake. Shut up. Additional service close. While I have done everything I can do for you on the money, I am willing to offer to give you additional service beyond what we and I would normally commit to, like annual free service checks, personal visits, for instruction by our staff, a call to you weekly to make sure you're getting exactly what you need from your new investment. But what I need from you is a signature here, here, and here. This additional service close. Service to most people is worth more than a discount. Discounts have no long-term value and should be avoided except in rare occasions where the buyer is only price sensitive. What you want is value exchange rather than a price reduction. So use additional service in order to give the buyer what will cause them to feel like a winner. It will cause them to feel like a winner by being provided with added value to your offer. Additional service close goes like this. While I've done everything that I can do for you on the money, I am willing to offer to give you additional service beyond what we would normally commit to, like annual free service, uh, free service checks, personal visits for instruction by staff, a call to you weekly, access to our 800 number. I mean, just make a list of all the extra additional service. Now I need your okay here and here.
This is called the pressure close, number one. Yes, the pressure close. Grant, are you pressuring me? Not yet, John. But trust me, I am willing to resort to pressure in order to get this done tonight. Now, I need your approval here and here. This acknowledges and confirms your willingness to go there if necessary. Why not just admit it, man? Hey, I'll go there if I have to, my friend. There's nothing wrong with using a little pressure in the right amount when your prospect is unable or unwilling to make a decision. Look, more transactions are lost because of the unwillingness to apply pressure than are lost because of anyone using pressure. Being prepared to handle the resistance to pressure will allow you to continue to use pressure. You understand? Being prepared to handle resistance to pressure allows you to actually use pressure. Grant, you pressure me? Not yet, sir, but trust me, I am willing to resort to it in order to get this done tonight. I need your help. I need your approval. I need your signatures here, here, and here. Most of the time, people are going to laugh at you. You're good, son. Man, hey, you want a job? I'd like to hire you. I need more guys like you. You're going to get respect from people by going all the way with them, by telling them the truth. Hey, are you willing to pressure me to get my business? Because if you're not, you're probably not going to get my business. Pressure close number two. Grant, you pressure me? Sir, please don't confuse my enthusiasm, my insistence, and my confidence in my proposal with pressure. I'm confident that this is the right thing for you to do. Now, let's do this. So when he says, are you pressuring me? Swiftly answer the question with a smile on your face that your prospect is confusing pressure with enthusiasm. No one resents someone that's not confident and excited. You would never blame a child for pressuring her parent. You know, you're on aisle six and he wants candy. You pressure me, little guy? He'd be like, you're right, I'm pressuring you. Give me some candy. Right? So, look, sir, don't confuse my enthusiasm, my insistence, and my confidence, my dedication, and my love for my product and my job. Don't confuse that with pressure. But, look, I'm confident it's the right thing for you. I know it's the right product. I know you can afford it. I know you'll never regret it. Now, let's do this. Pressure close, number three. Are you pressuring me? Not yet, but don't think I won't resort to it. If you prove yourself incapable of not making a decision, not doing the right thing, not getting this for your wife, not doing it tonight, don't think that I won't resort to pressure. Now, come on, man, let's do this. See, a powerful closer will acknowledge the use of pressure. Your willingness to resort to anything, if necessary, as long as it's ethical. Look, I'm being ethical here, man. A guy wants to buy a diamond ring for his fiance. I'm selling diamonds. I'm 26 years old. And he's like, that's a lot of money. I can't do it. I got to think about it. Hey, man, I keep working the deal. I'm trying to convince him to do it. I'm going for the close. Grant, you pressure me? Hey, not yet, but don't think I won't resort to it. If you prove yourself incapable of doing the right thing for your girl, for your fiancé, this chick is hot, man. You need to do this. She deserves this ring. Let's do this. Now give me your credit card and let's get it done. See, that's not pressure. That's enthusiasm. Remember, in this situation, your buyer prospect is questioning what is happening, not objecting to it. They're asking you, you pressure me? That doesn't mean they're objecting to it. You got that close? You get it? Grant, you pressure me? Not yet, but don't think I won't resort to it. If you prove yourself incapable of doing the right thing and pulling the trigger tonight and getting this product, hey, man, I will go there. Let's do this. Rash decision close. Grant, I don't make rash decisions. I understand, and the reality is, it'd be impossible at this point to consider any decision you made at this point rash. You and I have met on three occasions regarding this proposal. You, your staff, and my people have spent hours considering the possibilities. Man, we're a long way from rash. Let's do this. I need your approval here and here.
See, this is your prospect's last attempt, last thread of attempt to convince you not to make a decision. And your response to this, Grant, we don't make rash decisions, is based on how reasonable you are with the facts. Look, most of the time when this happens, we don't make rash decisions. You've spent more than adequate time with people. They've taken too much time, not too little. They're not being rash. They're spending too much time in procrastination. So you want to chuckle, you want to smile, and you want to deliver this close and watch the magic. Grant, we don't make rash decisions. Sir, I understand the reality is it'd be impossible at this point to consider any decision you make at this point rash. You and I have met on three occasions. You, your staff, and my people have spent hours considering the possibilities. Come on, man, let's do this. Rash decision closed too. We never make a rash decision. I agree. I agree with you, sir. I never make a rash decision. And saying yes right now could not be considered rash or snap. You have needed this product for years now. At this point, it is not only not a rash decision, but it is absolutely the most reasonable, logical, and frankly, the only decision you can make. I need your approval here and here. Show that you're not going to be thrown off your game here. Use the buyer's attempt at reason and close by stating the facts and sanity. Most people don't make rash decisions. In fact, most people do completely the contrary. Most people take way too long making decisions. Don't be scared to tell the truth and close. Rash decision close number two. Grant, we never make a rash decision. John, I agree. And saying yes right now. Look, if you had said yes an hour ago, it wouldn't have been rash. It wouldn't have been a snap decision. You've needed this product for years. At this point, it's not only not a rash decision, but it's absolutely the most reasonable, most logical, and frankly, the only decision you can afford to make. Now, I need your approval here and here. This is called nothing to do with decision close. Grant, we never make a snap decision. We never make a rash decision. I hear you, John, and I agree, but the reality is there's only a few reasons you won't do this tonight, none of which has anything to do with your ability to make decisions or your concern about rash decisions. May I share them with you? Yeah, Grant, what is it? Number one, lack of confidence in the product. Do you lack confidence in the product, sir? No, 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 I, I like the product. Number two, the price or terms are not right. Number three, you don't have confidence in me or my company. Which one is it, sir? Now, you've heard me use a similar close three different times now where I'm going to break out the three reasons people don't buy. Me, the equipment, or the product, or the money. And that's it. So, Grant, I, I don't ever make a rash decision. I hear you, sir, and I agree, but the reality is there's only a few reasons you won't do this right now, and you won't do it tonight. None of them of which has anything to do with making a rash decision. May I share them with you? One, lack of confidence in the product. Two, price or terms aren't right. Three, you don't have confidence in me or the company. Quit letting this delay of the close and added time fine, you know, put you in a position where you can't close this deal. This is a great close and will gain you the respect of the buyer when you use it. People don't make decisions because they lack confidence. That's bottom line. They don't lack confidence in their ability to make good decisions. To the degree they have confidence in you, they'll make a decision with you. Either way, close. Grant, we're not making a decision right now. I understand. Grant, final, final, final. We're not making a decision right now. Hey, I understand, but either way, you're making a decision. You'll either make a decision to continue with what you have or make a decision to get what you deserve. What I mean is, either way, you spend money. Look, any decision you make tonight is a decision. When you say, I'm not making a decision tonight, you're making a decision. See, either way, you're going to spend money. Either way, you have an obligation. Either way, you make a decision. The question is whether you're going to reward yourself with something you want something you need, and something you deserve, or whether you're going to leave here and continue on with something you don't want, you don't need, and you still have to pay for it. 
Either way, you're going to do something. See, your prospect, your buyer, this opportunity in front of you is already paying. Before they ever got involved with you, they were making decisions. Before they ever got involved with you, it was costing them money. The question really is, what are they willing to pay for? All decisions cost something. To do nothing costs something, and to do something new costs something. Use this close to correct the thinking of the buyer by explaining all decisions have a cost. It's called the either way close. Grant, we're not making a decision right now. I understand, sir, but the reality is either way you make a decision. You'll either make a decision to continue what you have, or you'll make a decision to get what you deserve. Either way you spend money, either way you have an obligation, and either way you make a decision. The question is whether you're going to reward yourself with something you need and want and deserve, or whether you leave here and continue on with something old, something you don't need, and you still have to pay for it.